Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Encounter This, episode 100, Extravaganza. James and I are very excited to celebrate this milestone after something like three and a half years of recording ET. And we're going to do so with a multi-part episode that will see a slurry of guests, a slew of creatures revisited and hopeful ease of transition from one system to another. Uh, so uh, now some of you may know that we already announced a few major changes for encounter this a little while back. Uh, we added uh, encounter this to the uncharted North network and most recently, we announced that we are changing our baseline system from Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And some of you who don't know are probably asking why. Well, the reasons are many, and we actually recommend, although we don't want you to go away from this episode per se, uh, that you go check out our announcement on that topic first, which is simply titled 2023 Updates. Uh, and you can find that on the Encounter This YouTube channel, the Patreon at patreon.com slash Uncharted North, or just on the regular old Encounter This podcast feed. Now, once you've done that, hopefully most of your immediate questions have been answered. Now, for this episode, let me tell you what it's all about. Uh, episode 100 is quite a milestone, uh, and we're changing up the formatting on this episode for, to a rather ridiculous degree. And uh, thanks to James' tremendous efforts, um, we have pushed our episodes into video formatting not long ago uh, to go alongside our audio format. And with that, what better time is there to have uh, uh, the option to feature uh, some honorable guests and uh, go check out a few uh, past creatures. Um, and it's all thanks to James masochism and uh, wanting to learn how to video edit. That's great. Uh, episode 100, of course, is uh, with all of this is a curveball. Uh, so as we've invited several of our uh, friends and collaborators, a few content creators to join us in celebrating some of our favorite creatures that we've covered before uh, and explore them and compare them with the Pathfinder 2nd Edition system. The purpose behind this is just to give a casual primer on the intricacies of the second edition system to ease the transition for you longtime listeners and the avid 5e fans that may be looking to explore Pathfinder a bit more. And for those of you who are new to our content and fit into that avid 5e fan category, we recommend that you check out all of our original episodes for each of these creatures that we're about to cover today. You can find the list of them in the episode description to get started. And of course, we recommend anyone going back to listen to the backlog, even if you aren't particularly interested in 5e. A uh, very purposeful format from the very beginning has always been to start with lore and story, and then follow real-world cultural influences where applicable, and then hit the mechanical stuff. So given the tremendous amount of influence D&D has had on Pathfinder and so many other systems, and the TTRPG community as a whole, it's no surprise that there is a ton of inspiring content and story in all of the earlier portions of all of our backlog episodes that could be used for any role-playing experience. We believe that, you know, you shouldn't let any system stop you from exploring the lore and imagination that is so much a part of the TTRPG community and beyond. So episode 100 is uh, a bit of a reset, a bit of a transition, but we're by no means, you know, uh, ashamed of what we've done before. And uh, the number is uh, kind of chosen purposely. It might be a milestone that's real easy to, to multiply on your fingers, but it's also um, um, from here on, on our next episode, starting with Pathfinder Signature, will be episode 101, as if starting it at episode one again. 
Uh, it's clean, it's cheesy, but it feels right. At least I think so. Uh, and before we do all that, though, allow me to welcome the man who really got this all started for me. And through that, uh, the others that are on the actual play stemming the tide under the Uncharted North Network, and whom so far I have been speaking on his behalf. Uh, the man who is spending most of his time uh, behind the scenes pushing buttons and pulling strings for this extravaganza. I, Freeman, hell of a host, Eisten, am very thankful to welcome my co-host James Hello World Kid to revisit one of his favorite creatures, the Hellhound. Hello there, creatures. So <laughs> glad to be back after such a long break. Uh, and thank you for that that wonderful intro. Uh, everything you said uh, pretty much rings true, except for the want to learn video editing and the, <laughs> the necessity uh, based on how we feel this medium has evolved. So. <laughs> ah, call me, call me. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's that's totally fair. Yeah, uh, yeah. like you said, we're going to be going through one of my favorite creatures today, the Hellhound. These are uh, a crazy creature that we covered way, way back, uh, pretty early on in our ET days. So Episode I'm, four, I'm excited to actually. look at them. Four, Jesus Christ. Episode four. <laughs> I double checked. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Uh, where can we find these in in the Pathfinder books? Uh, these are found on in the the first bestiary on page two zero five. I think there's four out as of time of filming this. So you you want mm-hmm. bestiary one uh, or archives and ethos? Yeah. Well, before we get started, I didn't uh, didn't warn you or any of our guests, but uh, I, I paired a drink for every creature we're going to cover in this uh, extravaganza. And uh, today is the uh, Yellow Dog Brewing. Uh, a new beer they've released called Turbo Wolf, <laughs> and it's a sour IPA, and I hope it's delicious. But That sounds uh, perfect. Other than that, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, I also paired a drink uh, oh. with, with today's episode. Great minds think alike. And by, <laughs> and by paired, I mean went and picked up because one of my new clients works across the street, but I figured I'd go old school, and I am having a delicious blackmail stout. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Uh, good times. It's like we've done this before. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in uh, in 2E, the Hellhounds, they're not a crazy creature. Very similar to uh, 5E. They're not incredibly ambitious, nor is the lore as deep anywhere near as deep as it was in 5E. Because we've only got two mm-hmm. additions to contend with. Yeah. And it really just boils down to a few key points here. They are fiendish, extra planar, Canine-like beings, which I'm sure you could all imagine from um, the the name Hellhound, or my beer, uh, <laughs> yep, <laughs> or your beer, <laughs> steal my part, <laughs> yeah, fair. And they're from the pit, so they're from the deep hells. Okay. Uh, oh, and they look a little something like this, actually. Um, oh. Bringing back our old image page for for this particular instance. Love it. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're they're temperamental and quick to aggressive behavior, so they are very likely to bite your goddamn head off or spit fire at you. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I mean, so far that adds. I, I did make a couple notes on on the old your old five E notes, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean they're from they're native to the nine hells. Uh, late, I think in later later on the abyss and the plane of fire as well. I, I wasn't quite clear. They can be found um, there. Yeah, yeah, they're found throughout all the planes to some degree uh, it, it appears 
and uh yeah companions of devils and fire giants and evil creatures uh, just as you would expect and definitely definitely with a temper yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh and very similar to 5e uh again here's our 2e image i'm always going to point in the wrong direction apparently uh <laughs> they've fleshed the color of ash they have very sharp teeth and they're just shrouded in this ever burning flame which is not similar to 5e and this is what the 5e one looks like they're just mm. like this dark beast smoldering from the inside but they don't have that 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 ring of fire yeah i'm actually glad you 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 brought that up is it's something i hadn't hadn't thought of uh that the, you know the wreaths of fire versus the internal fire there there was was an old note of yours too that specifically said that eating flesh uh stoked the internal fires of the hellhound which is kind of cool yeah i wonder why it didn't just cook it but yeah oh well <laughs> Uh, maybe it's it. I don't know. <laughs> they, they never really know the nutrition of a raw of raw meat. Not not truly. Right. That that <laughs> makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Up next in two E, they are uh, minions to a few different creatures, specifically those who uh, love fire. So Ifrit and fire giants uh, obviously hit that list pretty high up. Yep. One of the ones I like the most of that is Chalaxian Hell Knights will sometimes bring in hellhounds to um, hunt some of, somebody they're after or something like that. I don't know. We haven't talked much about the Galarian lore. And mm. as excited as I got about the Forgotten Realms lore for 5e, yeah. I love the Galarian lore. Like I will just sometimes it's... flip through some of, uh, some of the, the setting books just on my iPad on, on the sofa at night. Like it's, I think it's that good. They're really good. They're really cool. Yeah, so, and the, the last people who they tend to be minions of, and this is a direct quote from Archives of Nethys, so I'm assuming it's a direct quote from 205 of the Bestiary One. Mortals who seek to tame the raw power of hell are also people who will uh, 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 summon these hellhounds. And I love that concept. You're just so arrogant that you need a little piece of this demonstrably existing dimension for yourself in canine form, because that's the only way you can harness that energy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and and Cheliax, man, like Cheliax is like famous for its contracts with devils, essentially. Yeah, right? like that's what they yeah, do. And... They're they're uh, they're they're the current the current timeline. Their queen is uh, her infernal magistrix, Queen Abigail the Second of the Thrice Damned House of Thrun. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like everything, everything about that spells. I made a I made a deal. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's such and a that's metal title. Power. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, and that's kind of it for Tui for the most part. Um, okay. Like I said, very, very um, little information because it, it's, you know, it's not hard to explain what this fucking is. Like it's, yeah, you, you, you get it. The second you see the image, the second, the second you hear the words, they're so visceral that you yeah. know uh, immediately that these things are a canine from hell probably yeah. include fire like that's just how how culturally <laughs> yeah. relevant those terms are if you if you see an angry dog on fire but it doesn't seem to mind the fire that's not why it's angry then you know you know you're in trouble right, <laughs> <laughs> right. exactly <laughs> you know if it's just casually sauntering along and on fire you're like okay that's 
that's not right. <laughs> yeah. Brace yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is this is not going to go well for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and if I'm not mistaken, based on the the format of the show you've laid out, that pretty much drives us right into the mechanics. Uh, yeah, should be should be pretty quick and dirty. I don't have much else on the the five E stuff. I mean, they were yeah, they were pack hunters. They attacked weaker prey. Uh, just small things that could easily apply to the two E ones. So. Uh, yep. smart loyal uh i did love the, i always love the the note of um if they weren't allowed to feed they would turn on their master so loyal but to a point you know yeah. <laughs> um yeah, but yeah i really i really quite love the 5e hellhounds yeah <laughs> let's get into the mechanics and see what you got yeah so they are um our usual parlance is cr and i think in paizo it's still creature rating but it might also be creature level in second edition i honestly can't remember what the actual um yeah. terminology is for it yeah for two e uh, i think it's just i think it's just level at this point i guess creature level challenge rating okay. still yeah it's challenge rating is, is is not quite applicable anymore cr doesn't quite work. Yeah. it's not it's yeah they don't they don't use uh that baseline system that 5e did where it's like if it's level three, then it's an appropriate fight for a party of four at level three, which was like the loose right. thing that I, I believe five you went for. Not not quite the case in um, in in Pathfinder Second Edition. I mean, yeah, but not, in the back of my head, for some reason, it's still off. creature rating. But yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you'll yeah. you'll get the idea of it. Like a party of four at third level should theoretically be able to handle it, um, because this right. is a creature level three. Yeah, be able to handle it with relative ease. <laughs> Let's yeah go with that yeah you know? <laughs> and uh i guess we should clarify that throughout this entire show as far as i know we're going to be using the normal stat block we're not going to be using the elite or um uh yeah uh, what is the weaker one uh elite weak. and weak yeah they're, they're templates yeah. you can you can tag on uh which which we will we'll end up discussing later on in this uh in this extravaganza so okay excellent yeah because there that's a really cool feature of 2e is if you want to beef it up you just click this thing and all of a sudden it's a it's the fuck you version of this creature which is I love that. That's great. Bump it up a level, basically, by by, uh, yeah. by just adding a couple of stat, stat options. Yeah, it's cool. So it's a, a creature level 3, AC 19, HP 40, medium. It is lawful evil, as expected. And it has a, a few traits. Um, each creature comes with, with a bunch of traits. Uh, and those are relevant uh, as not only as keywords to help you find creatures that are similar, um, but they can be relevant uh, for other mechanics, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, very much. They very much have. There's very much important crossovers mechanically in this system, um, and so yeah. If uh, basically like you know, if a, a an action has the fire trait, and you go up against something that you know is immune to fire, it's just not going to function. Uh, plain and simple. Even if it's, I, I think, as far as I know, even if it's like not only doing fire damage, like nothing else about it will, will not will not function, which is pretty wild. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Uh, so speaking of the fire trait, the Hellhound does have the fire trait. It has the fiend trait and the beast trait. Um, I'm still new to 2e Dungeon Masters, so I'm not 100% sure what the beast trait is relevant to. I feel like it's probably just an initiative modifier. Or uh, an no, so it's, it's, actually, it's intelligence. Yeah, it's based intelligence. So a beast is uh, an animal with an intelligence of minus three or higher. So it's basically an intelligent okay. animal. Something that is capable capable of more uh, uh, more independent thought, and uh, as opposed to just acting on instinct. Oh, excellent! That's that's great. Um, and then fiend obviously means it's from one of the lower planes. Uh, I don't think it's specified what plane specifically it's from. It's just from one of the lower planes. 
Yeah, it basically just means that it has a strong connection to evil aligned planes across the board. Okay, cool. I'm glad you're here for yeah. this because I am yeah. apparently <laughs> floundering. Actually, uh, uh, great because the Archives of Nethys is like the most wonderful tool for this stuff and the traits are on the stat block there. So I just have that up. I just hover over it. Uh, you don't have to mm. click it. You just hover over and they have a little tooltip that pops up now and it's it's so convenient. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. We, it's we can't also say enough important, good things about that site. Yeah. It's also important to note that uh, it says here with the fees too that they can survive the basic environmental effects of the planes of the outer sphere, which to me says if you go you might not be able to survive the basic environmental effects of oh, right. the better sphere. <laughs> so I want to keep that in mind before you go. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So next on the hit list here is their perception. They have a nine, uh, a plus nine to their perception. So whenever you're rolling initiative or any, any perception related checks, it's 1d20 plus nine. Um. Next is information. So when you're trying to hunt down information about these creatures, your your PCs will often roll what are called recall knowledge checks. This can either be a, a pre-combat action in order to help set yourself up and gain some knowledge or an action in combat, which takes a single action in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Mm-hmm. And there are uh, a few different tiers for every creature. There's a specified, unspecified, a, and then two very specific ones. Usually usually one or two very specific ones. Um, the unspecified lore is DC 16. The very specific lore, so if you have something that's not listed, that's um, like like lore infernal or uh, lore fiend or even, maybe even lore canine, like, like lores are so free and easy, uh, the DC for that would be 13. You can do recall knowledge generally on a fiend, which is one of those trait tags that we talked about. That is a religion... Uh, DC 18 and then you can also recall knowledge on beasts specifically which is either arcana or nature also at a DC 18 yeah I hadn't thought about how arcana might be connected to beast but I think it maybe it makes sense because it's, it's probably leading towards animals that are of a higher intelligence but uh, possibly uh, uplifted by magic or have a relation to magic in some way and that's why they're capable of such such thought like up to and including possibly even speaking a language that's how how baseline smart they can be so uh usually magic connected to that i'm sure yeah um i i've never really considered that either but it, i wonder if it if um maybe magical beasts isn't an option in 2e so they just merge the two tags yeah they were they removed that basically yeah they removed that as because okay. they don't really they don't really dig into like the creature type so specifically anymore they just have these traits attached to them instead and multiple of them so yeah you're you're not wrong in that so that makes all the sense in the world. Um, there are usually there there are many different types of movement in, in 2e, very similar to 5e. In this case, they just have a land speed of 40 feet. I'm sure we'll get into the other ones in some of the other creatures. And there's a little bit of information about them. They don't have too much other than that. Uh, they have uh, they understand but can't speak infernal. They have dark vision and they have a, a new mechanic called imprecise scent, uh, sense, which in this case is scent or smell for 60 feet. Um, I don't know if how much we want to get into the minutia of how precise and imprecise works, uh, but I'm certainly yeah. not qualified to do it. I mean, precise just simply means they can use whatever sense that is to see uh, to to uh, locate uh, anything really around them with that sense. So you know, if you have a precise sense uh, hearing, you know, uh, then you you don't have to see to like target anything freely, like no matter what. It's it's just like seeing with your eyes. 
Um, imprecise uh, is not quite as precise, obviously. <laughs> uh, it effectively means uh, you can use, I think you can use that uh, to, um, uh, to seek. You can take a seek action. So say a PC turns invisible. Well, this uh, that creature can attempt to attack it uh, while it's concealed, while it's invisible, and it has like a fifty percent mischance to attack that square. With imprecise, they can use a seek action to reduce that DC down to like twenty percent or something like that. Um, so they they can they can sense they can find your your general direction with their scent and then have a higher chance of of uh, rooting you out anyway. Okay, uh, that's that's great. Um, they have, uh, all creatures have a boost to a couple of skills. I've never found this stuff interesting, so I just skipped it. Same with their, their actual <laughs> stat block. I just, I don't think it makes for good radio, so I always just skip it. Um, this well, is no different. It's, uh, I mean, that's not strictly true because, uh, if you have the, if they have a bonus to athletics, uh, they're, they have a higher chance of, uh, tripping their, uh, their targets, which is pretty significant in second edition. It is significant, yeah, but I also don't think this is kind of a resource for every little minutia. Like, oh no, for sure, yeah, <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying I, it's I not significant. Up, I could yeah. also bring up their bonus to stealth, which means they could have hid before combat, and then you're flat-footed to its first attack. You know, <laughs> right? We're, yeah, so we're I, into, I don't like how to strategically use yeah. these characters, maybe, but like you know, yeah, yeah. So I don't mean they're insignificant. I just mm-hmm. think I don't think me spouting off a bunch of numbers makes good radio. Yeah, that no, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. Uh, but speaking of a bunch of numbers, uh, in 2E, they have reduced your saves from one for each skill down to three. There's fortitude, reflex, and will. That is con, dex, and charisma. Wisdom. Wi- uh, wisdom, respectively. Mm. So the fortitude for the hellhound is nine, the reflex is 10, and the will is seven. So those are just the modifiers. When it calls for something against your DC, you just add 10 to it. So if it's if you're trying to trip a Hellhound, uh, its fortitude DC would be 9 plus a flat 10, so 19. Yeah. So you would have to roll higher than a 19 in order to trip it. So real just clean, real easy. Basically any stat you have, you know, if, uh, if, you know, if we go back to the skills a bit, if whatever athletics bonus it might have, if it goes against an athletics DC, it is that number plus 10. So yeah, so exactly. Forth. Uh, they have uh, a couple of modifiers to their health and, uh, I guess, constitution here. Uh, the first is they are weak to cold five, and they are just straight up immune to fire. So that that number next to weak for cold, do you want to fill the audience in on what that means? Because I think yeah. it means they just take five extra damage, but That's you right. are the expert. Yeah, so as, as long as they take uh cold damage of any kind they just take five extra so they could take one cold damage take five extra that's six they could take 10 cold damage five extra that's 15 uh very simple and weakness uh sorry uh resistance would work the same if we had it in this case so say they weren't immune to fire they had resistance to fire 10 and you would take 10 off of whatever amount was there so if you hit 15 fire damage and you take 10 off they only take five if they if you hit with six and they're they're resistance to 10 you you did nothing Uh, that makes a world of sense um, but that's kind of it for the, uh, the, the, the numbers and the stats. And then we get into the, the good stuff, the actions here. This, this is the real meat of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, one of the main reasons I've fallen in love with 2E, and I think that most people fall in love with Pathfinder 2E, is specifically the action economy. I know we've mentioned it before in previous editions, but every creature at the start of your round, unless affected by a condition, are gifted three actions and one reaction. 
Um, and those three actions can be used to do kind of whatever you want. Some things take a combination of actions. Um, so like like uh, spells normally cost two to three actions. There are very few spells that only cost one. Mm-hmm. Um, and reactions work the same in 5e. So um, you could move three times with no penalty. You could yeah. um, you know take the trip action. Anything with um, with one of those traits we talked about earlier, there, there's something specifically known as the attack trait. Anything with the attack trait takes a penalty the more you attempt to do it. So the first action for the Hellhound is a one-action Jaws attack. So that means they have three modifiers. The first is 13, and then 8, and then 3. So when you roll your d20 on your first attack, you add 13 to it. When you roll that d20 on your second attack, it's uh, 8. And then when you roll it, if you choose to attack on your third, which you shouldn't do statistically, um, you only add three. And that's determined by one of two things. Either it's a flat minus five and minus 10, which it is in this case, or it is a minus four and a minus eight if the weapon or the um, attack has the agile trait. So if this hellhound happens to hit you on one of those attacks, every attack, it does 1d8 plus four piercing, plus 1d6 evil, plus 1d6 fire. So already this thing hits harder than the 5e counterpart. <laughs> yeah. Important note, though. Evil damage only hurts good creatures. Uh, it right. does not Thank you. True, no Thank matter you what. that. Yeah. yeah I, Which I is always like one of those One of those Pathfinder Galarian controversial things for some players. People, There are a lot of people who play these games who do not like to use alignment. But alignment is a very... Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very... Uh, um, a big part of the foundation of the Galarian sort of setting. Not in that it has to lock you into your philosophies. Like that's why people uh, like to avoid it. But uh, and this is the thing that I love that not everyone really likes uh, is that it, they have physical uh, properties to them, the alignments. And so there is there is alignment damage and there are alignment like energies in the world that affect the mortal and material plane and stuff like that. And that's why they exist. And they, they sort of counteract each other. Um, and it's, uh, it's not really about the philosophy of good and evil you know, or chaos and, and law. It's not, uh, it's more than a philosophy. It's a physical part of the world um, as well. So um, yeah, that's one of those things. Evil, evil damage or things with evil trait have to like sort of cross over with the opposite. Same with law and chaos and so on and so forth. Yeah. I'm on the other side of the fence. I think that's ridiculous because alignment is a spectrum and at no point is one being going to be in the same place. Each decision that being makes falls in that alignment tree, not the being themselves. They can be pigeonholed into an alignment, but I don't think like I I personally believe myself to be a lawful neutral human being, but mm-hmm. not every decision I make is either lawful or neutral. So I I don't right. like that concept. I don't like mm-hmm. the concept that you as a being are pigeonholed into one of nine squares and then mm-hmm. you take damage. Like I don't mind it when when there isn't a physical uh, repercussion or a physical manifestation like in previous editions of most of the TTRPGs we've talked about. But this specifically irks me, and I don't think I'll ever get over that. (laughs) I mean, we've talked about this before on on the show, probably multiple times, and certainly off air. Um, I think one of the the things, the way I justify my head in in this particular setting is that the um, it's it's the majority of your actions that affect the the, these so called physical energies to like be a part of your person, and it's also exactly why if the if the majority or the uh, the the largest most extreme uh, uh, examples of your actions change or do something different uh, alignment should always be extremely fluid and you should be willing to change your own alignment let alone the gm be willing to impose a change in your alignment 
uh, very much so because of those things. And I don't, I don't think it's a pigeonhole. I don't see it as a pigeonhole because it should be incredibly flexible and fluid all the time. It's only pigeonholed if you choose to play your character that way. You, you, and then you pigeonhole yourself. Or like if you again, take damage Nine based on the alignment. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, th- this is the only thing. That's that just one energy coming in contact with another. That's, that's the point, right? Because it goes both yeah. ways. If, you, if you're on the good side and you're, you have the ability to deal good damage, you can only do it to this, probably this a creature like this as well, right? Otherwise, you're not going to hit anything. So it's, it's a give and take. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I, I get that it's balanced, but that doesn't mean I, mm. I have to like it. God damn it. I'm not gonna get on my yeah. side. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna love everything about any system. Um, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but you know that, that that's a small price to pay for the, for the true beauty that is the system. It really is the the cleanest and simplest system I've played mm-hmm. so far, and that includes Five E. I actually truly believe in my soul that this is an easier game to learn than Fifth Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't obviously had the opportunity to uh, execute that in practice, but I have a gaming group on the side that I would love to teach second edition to. But everybody is still kind of a little afraid of the, uh, the, of of the math finder. Yeah. (laughs) It's not as bad as you think. It's not as bad as you think. No. And that's, that's, um, you know, obviously something we're hoping to convey going forward with this show, but speaking of going forward, uh, their next single action (laughs) is their last one. And it is the breath attack. Uh, the one this we've has all the been divine, <laughs> yeah. This is the divine and evocation and fire traits. I guess that just makes them magical. The the attack magical for the purposes uh, of passing DR. Yeah, I mean, so divine. Yes, divine does actually say that it uh, makes uh, it magical automatically, but it specifically means that it's it's drawing power from a deity or a similar source. Um, so without without some sort of connection to uh, a deity or a similar source that can provide that power, it probably wouldn't have the ability to do that. And evocation is just a school of magic, meaning, you know, you basically are creating destructive energy from, well, nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, so if it hits, it does 46 fire. And it uh, fires off in a 15-foot cone, and then each person, each being inside of that cone is subject to a DC-19 basic reflex save. Uh, so basic saves... Our savers suck, if I'm not mistaken. If if it, if it's that 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 parlance basic means it's it's fail or nothing. Am I no, correct? No, it's actually it's actually all four degrees of success. So critical success is unaffected. Uh, success is half damage. Failure is full damage. Critical failure is double damage. And that works for anything that says basic such and such save. Okay, that's great. That that's way way simpler than what I thought it was. So um, yeah, it's simple, yeah. but it's also really dangerous when you get it when you see it in practice, and the, suddenly people are critically failing, <laughs> and they only roll a nine on that check, and they're taking uh, forty six times two damage. <laughs> it really right. really halts the party in their in their tracks. <laughs> I guess that's another thing we should touch on in two E is that there are degrees of critical uh, successes and failures. So there is yeah. a natural critical and failure, and that's the one in twenty, like we're used to in five E. But there's also um, the modified critical and failure, and that's ten above for a critical success or ten below the DC for a critical failure. Yeah, uh, on top of the the uh, the natural ones and twenties, of course. Um, yeah. And uh, so the um, the important thing about that system, there's a couple of things. One is that a critical success or a, a natural one or 10 above is not a guaranteed critical success, technically. 
it just means that you increase the degree of success. So if your total number still would not have hit or would not have met the DC, but you did neural 10 over or natural 20, you bump it up from a failure to a success. If it does meet or exceed, then you know you've got a critical success or failure on your hands. Right. Um, so those so are important. To, and it's also to... important to know that not every effect that, ha- that uses the degree of success actually uses all four. A lot of them do, but not everyone. Some of them will just bypass the critical failure one altogether. Some of them will just have success and failure. It just depends on the effect in the spell. Okay. Um, so to put it into a practical example, let's say you're fighting a creature with an AC of 30 and you roll a natural 20, but you only have a plus five to hit. So that wouldn't traditionally be a hit, but since you rolled that natural 20, giving you a critical success, you bump it up from a failure to a success. Correct, yeah. And it's about the only okay. time. Now, now you know, a natural 20 is the only way you're going to hit this thing, uh, which is probably your time to run. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly fair. it. Yeah. And the same works in the inverse uh, as well for, for the failures as well. Right. And that's pretty much it for the creature. There is um, there is one related creature, the Nessian Warhound, that is a CR9 that will adjust. I'm going to work my best to stop saying CR uh, because that yeah. is... Pit- <laughs> be so C- the, somehow those two letters have been um, adopted by, by Watt-C uh, so that it's just creature nine. So I'm going I'm mm-hmm. to try and, and, and fix my, my, my yeah. vocabulary to, for I it to be creature level. creature level works too because in these things, you have, they have a number attached to most things depending on the category. So it's, this is a creature nine as it's listed, but you also can see hazard nine. You'll see item nine. You'll see multiple things like that. Um, yeah. Feet nine, you know. Uh, so yeah, the, it, it all just basically related around the level, the power, uh, the level power, power power level, the level of power. <laughs> Words and such. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if power level works either because I think that's a that that that's a games workshop term that's been coined by mm-hmm. them. But who who the fuck yeah. knows? Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Nessian Warhound uh, creature level nine, and it will just fucking ruin your day. These things are tanks. <laughs> are they effectively the same creature just like three times the level or what <laughs> yeah honestly they are uh they do have one reaction that is um slightly different it is called the hellish revenge and it is triggered as a reaction anytime the warhound is critically hit by any strike specifically so it has to be a strike so that um that means melee or ranged attacks that doesn't include most spells there are some spells that have the spell strike um category but not many of them like spiritual weapon i think is the only one off the top of my head as well as some of the mega stuff okay but right. specifically it, it it capital s on strike mm-hmm. the effect is that the the breath weapon immediately recharges and it can immediately use it as part of the reaction <laughs> amazing I'm oh, sorry. Did we, did we did we cover the recharge on the on the breath? I think we I don't know. We did we gloss over. Oh yeah, it? Uh, it, it is a one d four cooldown unless it's hit by fire, and then it immediately recharges. Okay, so one d four rounds. Gotcha. But but then if oh man, it could and they could yeah. just use it. I can, I can, so I pulled it up here. I could see that it says it can immediately use it as part of the reaction, which is a really important wording because it doesn't have to. It is recharged yeah. though, and it will kind of be at its action economy advantage to do so but these creatures are smart enough to maybe not want to hit their allies in the moment so they might save that and still spend the action right. later. but still it's that's very so <laughs> i don't think it would be in your best interest for the most part to use it mm-hmm. as part of the reaction 
probably not. So first yeah. of all, that that removes any other reactions that you may uh, receive as part of a spell buff or anything like that. But mm-hmm. B, um, because it only has the two actions, the melee and the breath weapon, I would imagine nine times out of ten, your best bet is to wait to your turn to come around, reposition, and then let the breath weapon off. Or two jaws and then to follow the breath weapon. And then you're kind of not really... Um, there, there's always a possibility when with creatures this simple that you're just going to waste that third action with an attack or a run or something else with the attack trait where they're going to take that um, multiple attack penalty, otherwise known as the map. Um, we'll probably... Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be saying map going forward. Yeah. So get used to that. Get used to the word map. And we're not talking yeah. about where the squares are. <laughs> yeah, we are not talking about cartography. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that a lot of the time it would be better to wait till your turn reposition and then let it off. And then that way you've got full use of all three of your actions. But also you could just ruin somebody's day with it. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, man, I love uh, it. Yeah, because this one are is you- a DC 28. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah fair warning fair warning listeners and viewers the the um the numbers get real high in this game compared to 5e <laughs> they get they stack up pretty quick uh they're still easy to actually run through oddly enough the way they the way the the game is is set up it's really cool but um yeah the numbers get way higher i think i think uh you know as of this recording you're level seven it's in stemming the tide and i think the numbers are already higher than 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 most uh 5e games get to at level 20 so it's i gnarly. think my character's ac is 30 right now <laughs> that's ridiculous i mean it's definitely 30 i just don't know if it's 30 with the shield up or the shield down yeah. off the top yeah. of my head um but yeah so oh, like amazing. level seven my ac is 30 so these numbers get yeah. There, there is still a little bit of math finder here, but it's it's mm-hmm. not nearly as bad as first edition. As somebody who loves first oh, edition, yeah. I can tell you that this is a lot simpler, um, way simpler. and not in a bad yeah. way. Um, <laughs> yeah, not 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 bad, not in a bad like not, the system yeah, doesn't the suffer from way. being simpler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So more streamlined, I guess, is probably a better way to put that. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. I'm actually, it's, I'm, it's funny. I have one more note that I forgot about from your old notes, and it's that. Uh, Apparently, Asmodeus himself supposedly kept a beefed-up hound as a pet called the Nessian Warhound. I don't think we ever got a stat yep. block for it, but yeah, there it is. So you see all that crossover? Damn. <laughs> yeah, I think we may have gotten a stat block from it in 3E because that was by far the biggest oh, of the, the, the yeah, d editions. I think but you're right. Since we yeah. don't cover the stat blocks from previous editions, we, um, yeah, I, I would have just glossed over it. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Also, that was three years ago <laughs> oh god i guess it was Who knows? <laughs> crazy uh amazing cool well uh that that's awesome uh is there anything else for this creature that you can think of uh no i still love them even in 2e i think i think they're great um mm-hmm. so I, I i actually hate this artwork um i've always hated the pathfinder too. artwork uh for hell ounce even in the even the one e artwork which we don't have here I just I hate I think it's way way worse than this 5e art. This 5e art is just one of the most menacing things I think I've ever seen. I agree. I think the 5e art for that one is one of the top one of the best I've ever done. And yeah, yeah. the one the one for 2e it's I don't want to say that I it's bad. It's just it's cartoony. And it doesn't it doesn't really evoke like dark terror to me. It just kind of looks no. a bit goofy, you know? 
<laughs> it is a little little silly, me, I guess. Is the yeah, best to way me, to it's it. the it's more the art style than than what they're going for, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. And Pathfinder's always one, had kind of that that goofier art style between their um their like really tiny goblins with the Hey Arnold sized heads. Yeah, <laughs> um, but they also lean heavier into like the the eldritch and the um uh a- a- extra extraterrestrial side of it. So the the elves in sure. Galarian aren't native to the planet they're aliens that's why they have right. those weird yeah. black almond shaped eyes mm-hmm. yeah they basically come and gone from galarian on a couple occasions yeah. as, a, as a whole like group of people basically yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they just uh awesome. owl to their, the fuck out of there yeah <laughs> uh cool man uh hellhounds great time i love that they're they're not much different from from what we uh what we've covered before this is a pretty good example of uh, how similar the summon creatures can be regardless of the system and obviously how much influence they have on each other you know we both have nessian warhounds sitting in there they both have breath weapons they both have recharge options to them they you know they're, they're both effectively the same thing um so you could also just to show you how much you can and cannot copyright i guess <laughs> <laughs> well we'll, we'll but, see uh, there there are some companies out there ma- making making some strides yeah uh, doing their best to, yeah. to try and just keep everything that's theirs <laughs> under their one banner yeah. one of them uses a mouse and the other one is obviously what see uh awesome well thank you james uh for covering that at the beginning of the extravaganza we will uh see you behind the scenes i guess that's not how that works uh but yeah <laughs> you uh, any any transition that's smooth or otherwise you can blame james or thank him <laughs> uh through this whole thing and uh, i can't wait to dive in and check some more creatures out with some other key players yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, and listeners, just so you know, I'm not leaving the front of the show. This is still very much going to be Freeman and I's show. But the way uh, the the way we decided to do the show was somebody needed to be behind the scenes, and I've always been interested in producing. So this gave me an opportunity to explore that interest in a way that had never presented itself before. So Freeman was gracious enough to take on uh, the vanity role, being in front of the camera, dealing with some of our more intense guests scott um (laughs) so he was kind enough to to let me off the hook for that so thank you for 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 this and thank you for letting me uh cover hellhounds and 2e i think i think we're gonna have a lot of fun going forward and i hope uh i hope you all have a lot of fun with the rest of this episode heck yeah yeah when 101 comes back uh comes around we'll be back to the dynamic duo we promise you that all right friends we will see you soon and next up is a dear friend from my own hometown. He made his podcasting debut on our second edition actual play podcast, Stumming the Tide. At least I'm pretty sure it was his debut. And I'm reasonably sure he's never even listened to a single episode of Encounter This. Uh, so I'm pretty sure I'll be walking him through, walking me through this next creature. And that's fine, though, because we're going to have fun with it. And it's good. And it's all gravy. Uh, so this time, I am Freeman Shamblin' Man Iston, and I am proud to welcome the witticisms of one Duncan Shambam Thank You Ma'am Forbes. Uh, and just because he gave me a third nickname behind the scenes, as you know, is James Shamwow Kid. Hell yeah. <laughs> James Vince Shamwow Kid. <laughs> and Duncan is going to be walking through alongside me with uh, the Shambler 
which in 5e was known as the Shambling Mound. Um, uh, that's, that's the equivalent. And it was in our episode 65. Uh, and I have uh, paired a drink, like all the creatures, to this one. Um, and this one was kind of tough because I know what a shambling, shambler or shambling mound is. Uh, and finding a beverage to go with something that's made of just swamp vegetation was a bit rough. So I chose an IPA called Greg, not because of the name, but because it's got some grassy notes to it. <laughs> oh, it was a real I stretch thought, for me on this one. <laughs> thought it was like an old Greg reference. Uh, that actually, honestly, that, I wish I thought of that because that kind of works in a weird way. <laughs> in a weird, uncomfortable way. And <laughs> very. I will very have much. you know, Freeman, I did listen to one episode of Encounter This uh, was, because yeah. I was in it. <laughs> What episode were you in? <laughs> I did the voice of an orc somewhere back. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't one of my finer roles. I, I will so you that. listened to it just to hear yourself is what you're saying. <laughs> well, to hear your reaction to me, and it was pretty, oh, okay. pretty nonplussed. <laughs> uh, like in all things. Um, yeah. Please, please, Duncan, tell me about the Shambler. The Shambler. I will walk us through this like the stumpy legs on which a Shambler shambles. Um, <laughs> so it's like, imagine if the Swamp Thing was mixed with uh, the Blob, I guess is what we're getting at here. Yep. A carnivorous plant that doesn't really have much of a discernible feature. Um, it's just made of moss and sticks and mud and evil um so and uh it's Great also combo. like a uh, a terrestrial version of those kind of rockfish that that sit in the sand and wait for a fish to come by and then they spring oh. out but yeah okay uh, yeah so this one will sit there it just kind of like chills out in the muck and the mud you know an unassuming mound you see all kinds of mounds out in the woods no big deal <laughs> and all of a sudden <laughs> wah, this thing will no, pop out at you what? <laughs> <laughs> little vine out of nowhere. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, oh, that's um, good. That's good. That that's that all lines up with what we covered in five E so far. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. Pretty standard shambling behavior right there. Yeah. Um, they tend to be solo creatures, much like those rockfish or uh, what else was I thinking? Like trapdoor spiders, kind of like those. Oh yeah. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Way less cool than either a rockfish or a trapdoor spider. <laughs> Just more of a pile of sticks and mud again. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ambush predators. Yeah. Thank you, James. <laughs> James in the, in the ear on the behind the scenes. I love it. <laughs> So they're usually by themselves, but they do get together in thunderstorms. They have a big electric entmoot, but more like <laughs> the opening scene from Blade, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> largely because the soundtrack to that was uh, that Struck by Lightning song by, I think, yeah. the Union Underground, but someone would have to look that up. Um, they get together out in the in the lightning and just kind of shout kalukala at the at the storm. I, I didn't do too much digging into this, but the only kind of semblance of a society they seem to have is one of them will get struck by lightning and then they they revere that guy. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so they gather and then one of them gets struck and then it's like, oh, we we like you now. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's like a divine favor thing. Oh, okay. Tough love from the gods, and uh, if you survive the 
Um, well, surviving is an easy thing for them, as we'll see in the stat block. But uh, when okay. they get the intense lightning strikes, they'll be... Uh... Just, they're, they're, they're liking it. They're reaching for it. Eh? They're, they're gathering for it. So obviously, obviously, there's some sort of uh, boon, even physical boon is what you're getting at, I think, um, to being struck. It, it definitely it draws them together. And then, yeah, the, the, the one that does get struck, it, it's more than just a, a society thing. The, mm -hmm. uh, the effects must let much like an Ernest when he goes to jail, they <laughs> are imbued with the powers of lightning. Um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> in a more helpful sense. <laughs> so oh, there are man. some other kinds of samplers out there. Um, some of them are made of mushrooms or nondescript fungus. Um, yep. probably a potpourri of all kinds of fungi and, mm -hmm. They are known as spore mounds. Okay. Just uh, I love the idea fun. of that uh, because uh, yeah, just like, you know, if I remember correctly in, so in 5e, there was like, they were created, they were supposed to be created possibly by lightning strikes, which is kind of cool. Uh, so there's a bit of a crossover there. Like basically uh, a lightning strike would hit like a, a mound of, of this vegetation that um, must, that was interconnected in some way through its roots, I think. And uh, it was either that or fey magic, which is a little more on the nose. But I always mm. love the idea of like the lightning strike, like bringing this thing to life in this almost like golem esque way. Uh, yeah, and uh, and they did like they, they yeah they didn't really have any discernible features so much or like structure to them, but they were known to have like a nervous system and a brain of sorts. So they weren't like totally mindless. So the idea like they gather and they kind of revere one over another because they were struck is kind of cool. That kind of also yeah, crosses over a bit. It's almost like this really loose consciousness kind of gets imbued into this pile of vegetation. And then yeah, the only seeming like intelligence it has is when this lightning storm happens and they all get together and have a big, right. I, I just want to say it. I assume orgiastic get, uh, gathering. A what now? Uh, <laughs> don't make me say orgiastic again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's really good. So yeah, otherwise they're just they're just these these like uh not mindless so much, but just they're happy to just lie and wait for the next mm. meal essentially, eh? Yeah, uh, just and I looking... love that they're carnivorous. I remember that being in Five E as well. Like they'll just kind of wait, um, and uh, they they can get enough like food out of like the the soil and stuff they need, but they kind of have a preference for for meat, I believe. Oh yeah, um, which is kind of cool. And I remember Five E iron too. in the soil, but there's much more iron in the blood. Yeah, yeah, and 5e, or at least D and D, because we do cover. We did end up covering a lot of uh, 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 details in other editions. Um, there was like a, I remember a note that said like they had enough intelligence to like feign death even, uh, and then they would just. I like, mean, not a lot of work for them. Yeah, <laughs> they would just lay dead, and then they would they would use the roots and the soil beneath them to rebuild themselves and just like go back at it again, which is kind of cool. Um, neat but yeah that's neat yeah it's cool that they there's a there's a lot of like similarity there makes sense i even love that you mentioned swamp thing earlier because we definitely covered that in our original episode um mm -hmm. but uh yeah i mean simple enough interesting little like swamp creatures uh why don't you tell yep. me about the mechanics no you know what okay <laughs> starting out with a cr6 ac22 hp120 size large yep that that all checks Trait out i suppose plants yeah <laughs> so you feeling can hit it? it quite a Nothing bit say so far but quite easily <laughs> and uh yeah just yeah perception 12 which actually not too bad for a plant 
with mm-hmm. no eyes. I yeah. can only imagine. Um, well, I guess we'll we'll find out in its senses. Um, what uh, the the ever controversial one on this on this show? What's its alignment? Neutral. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, as uncaring as the Earth itself. <laughs> And we have a, and like, so I'll try to cover this a lot uh, as we go through these creatures, uh, everything, uh, creatures and a lot of things that they have, they all have traits attached to them, which become really important parts of the mechanical system. So instead of having like, this is the creature type, uh, they don't really use that, that wording anymore. Instead, they have a particular traits uh, mm-hmm. that are important. So in this case, uh, I would assume the trait is plant. Yes. Yeah. Very okay. much and then, so. And then I, I believe fungus is its own uh trait even so we did have like a variation like you said before of that the uh the spore mound or whatever um yeah. i'm sure that would uh, have its own separate trait yeah and there was another one i forgot to mention that was made of thorns which i imagine would just have a plant trait as well but... oh cool all right yeah I, it's funny because I, I remember they had, sometimes there's families of of monsters in in tui and uh in or like at least variants so it sounds like there should be some variants but it doesn't look like we have any stat blocks for them which is a shame yeah the only other stat block i think was for a zombie shambler yeah yeah there's a, there's actually a couple uh other types of shamblers but they're not they're not quite the same it's in the in the other cases they're more of a descriptor than like the creature itself so mm-hmm. and so for a plant recalling knowledge is gonna be uh nature obviously yeah um and uh tell me tell me how it uh, how it gets around and how it senses and interacts well it doesn't get around too well 20 foot speed it does mention the stumpy legs i mentioned did come ex- uh, from the lore in uh, the bestiary page 290 mm-hmm. um so they do have stumpy little legs, but 20 feet speed, 20 foot swim. Um, okay. It does understand common elven and sylvan, but can't speak anything, probably due to lack of a mouth. Mm-hmm. And yep, it elven. has dark vision. Dark vision. Okay. So it does. I mean, technically, that means it has sight. Yeah. Somehow. Some kind of photoreceptor in there. Must some be, kind of because scene. I was actually going to guess that it had like what you call like tremor sense or tremor sight where it detects you know via people like walking on the ground even Only though it's like not an tremor. elemental um <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh but it's got some sight of some kind so it must it must be capable of being blinded too which is kind of yeah. kind of a strange thing i have uh, heard that, that the hills have fact. eyes so oh well there is there is that <laughs> mm. terrible terrible uh, movie all right <laughs> what okay, about stats moving... and skills yeah. <laughs> Stats and skills. Uh, strength six, dex one, con five. Um, all pretty good. Int minus two. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Wisdom two. Yeah. Earth is wise. Charisma <laughs> minus one. See, I don't know. I think it would have to depend. <laughs> you might meet a really nice mound sometime. Hey, those are always flexible. <laughs> They're always <Yeah>. flexible. <laughs> Uh, moving over to skills, not much, but a 16 for athletics. So a, okay. you know, think yeah. a move. And it's got, it's got a, a six uh, strength, so it's, it's a bit bulky, yeah. Yeah, and that ambush uh, comes into play with its stealth. It has an 18 in forests or swamps and 12 okay. outside. Oh, okay. So it's got a bit of a edge from its, like, I assumed camouflage, I guess, yeah. Yes, much like Rambo in First Blood, it takes to the forest. <laughs> 
so good. Something wrong with you, boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, that's all simple enough. Um, defenses? Defenses. Damage resistance against fire five. It's a soggy boy. Okay. Um, fortitude plus 17. Reflex plus 11. Will plus 14. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah, I guess, I guess the resistance kind of... That catches me off guard a bit, but it makes sense for like a swamp kind of creature in a way. I would yeah, imagine I wonder... most plant creatures have a weakness to fire. But see, I wonder if that thorn one would have the same fire. Like, I guess if it's the same stat block, it does. Right. But because it does say that they come from like a semi-arid desert, and I'm glad I brought oh. that up because it took me a while to pronounce that properly. Um... <laughs> Samiriad. That's I thought uh, it was I thought it was like some place in Galarian <laughs> that I didn't know of yet. I was like Samiriad, what is that? Samiriad desert. That's good. Um yeah, I must wonder like uh if do you think that they would uh, for being in a semi-arid, you know, area that would make them weak or or resistant to fire? At least I I think it would make them less resistant to fire, but okay. I guess I'm yeah. no arbologist. Our, our arborealist <laughs> i'm going with arbologist uh yeah arbitoir <laughs> says james of the year <laughs> uh, oh man well that's what i'm um, calling the sawmill from now on <laughs> oh god uh all right well i mean i think that all lines up pretty well that's pretty neat um what else you got yeah good old Good old fun. Um, for items, we have Shambler Treasure. Uh, shamblers collect trinkets from their previous victims and store them in small hollows within their bodies. Gems, okay. alchemical or magical items. Okay, so it likes to eat people and then hold on to their stuff. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> uh, bottled lightning and shock runes. <laughs> So one of my one of my thing one of the things I'm oddly excited for covering two V staff blocks is going to be that some creatures actually come with items and you know it's assumed even in five E that they would you know uh, but it doesn't always indicate that that you know if they have a short sword they're going to drop the short sword but it doesn't always like give you a magical item or something like that but I know in two E like something if you're fighting a higher level creature with a big great axe you can pretty much guarantee there's runes on it so it's going to be there's going to be some rewards there and I love that like that's kind of neat because like they could they pick up whatever they've you know, items for whatever they've killed and they're holding on to what you say, like prize gems and stuff. Uh, yeah, so they're, probably, they're probably grabbing then... shiny items <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Well, you just got to imagine the fun in the role play of beating this awful mound and then having to kind of convince yourself to go elbow deep into it to, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> search yeah. for treasure in this disgusting <laughs> pile of rotting vegetation. Yeah. I love the note here too. That it's it does specify a, a things with electrical effects like bottled lightning, lightning, and shock runes. Maybe yeah. you find the occasional balloon for the static electricity inside. <laughs> All right, cool. What about what about attacks? What does it do in combat here? Like we said, ambush predator. We'll move down to the passive. Um, when uh, it's not in combat, it takes one minute to settle down into an unassuming pile. Yeah, and. Um, so when adventurers are coming through, they need to succeed a DC 22 perception check, DC 28 in forests or swamps to uh, discern its true nature. And for the so, listeners, just uh, because the, the, the DC 22 and 28 there, uh, it's important to note, this is something that will come up a lot. Uh, DCs are set for everything in 2E based on like a flat 10 plus your bonus. So that's reflective of what you said earlier, but it's it's stealth. 
uh, mm -hmm. bonus, essentially. 12 outside of a Forest of Swamps, 18 inside, add 10 to that. That's where you're getting those DCs. Um, and that's what you need to basically overcome with your perception, its ability to hide passively. Yeah. When it's in the mound form, it gets to use the reaction, shamble, the eponymous Ooh. shamble. <laughs> <laughs> so requirements, the shamblers in mound form, trigger a creature is unaware of the shambler's true nature, comes within 10 feet, and it gets to make uh, its main melee strike, strike sorry, which is a vine lash. Um, okay. So the vine has a plus 17, plus 12, and plus 7 with the multi-attack penalties. A reach of 10 feet does 2d8 plus 8, bludgeoning plus grab. Okay, cool. So 10-foot uh, reach is great. I mean, it's usually pretty standard for a large creature. And then uh, bludgeoning plus grab plus grab. So it's got to spend one action if it wants to, to use the grab, but it doesn't get it for free so long as it's struck true. That's always a powerful uh, option. What else you got? It really just struck me because we're actually discussing it in the uh, episode of the podcast that I'm editing right now about just how large a large creature is. And this thing would be just this massive, you know, takes yeah. up 20 feet pile <laughs> yeah. of, uh, you we, know, we, towering over you, rotting vegetation. I'm sure James and I have discussed it before. Uh, like, I have a, I have a really hard time of like visualizing uh, the size of something. Like I can't even give you an estimate of how far it is across the room I'm in. Like I cannot do it. Like I have no no ability to, to like just averagely measure with my eyes for some reason. But I mm -hmm. started using, I started using uh, telephone poles above ground. They're approximately 16 feet from, but they go like much further underground, of course. They're approximately 16 feet high. And uh, and if, if I remember correctly, uh, that's like the top end of what a large creature can be, yeah. which is crazy Wild. to think that it can go to huge and then gargantuan beyond that. That's just how large things get. <laughs> yeah, can throw that vine at you. It will do that quite a bit, apparently, because it doesn't okay. really have a whole lot else to do. Um, it does the shamble. It does the vine lash uh, for mm -hmm. other actions. Oh, here, let me let me let me swoop in here real quick because uh, and I, I've caught this probably because I've looked at so many stat blocks compared to you, but um, basically, uh, if it uses its vine lash ability uh, as its reaction, is that what you said? No, so it actually uses a vine strike as its re as its reaction to, sh to surprising you, which is what you described. Vine lash is a different thing altogether, which is a two action um attack yes uh, so yeah. vine vine strike is the is the attack shamble is the reaction it mm -hmm. reacts with vine strike and then vine lash is a two action um that makes a vine strike against each creature within reach so if it's surrounded it will mm -hmm. or has anybody within 10 feet of it and mm -hmm. multi-attack penalty increases only after all the attacks so yeah, if you try to surround huge. the thing it will just go buck wild yeah. on you so if the whole party's within reach it can hit it can try to strike every single one of them for only two actions which is wild yeah, which means it can actually just generally even though it's a bit slow it could just one action to move into the proper position and then two actions to hit everybody around them it's important to note that these these uh this ability uh there, there are other abilities that are similar to it um but this one is like it is it is specifically one attack versus each creature. But some abilities like allow you to attack multiple times, and sometimes you can pile those onto a single creature. In this okay. case, you cannot. Um, but yeah, that's uh, 
That's a that's a, those that's a sort of simple ability that's really powerful because it's not affected by the multiple attack ability to, uh, attack penalty until afterward. Uh, right. So yeah, really really cool. Yeah, and uh, I mean that's it for actions. The other thing was um, like I was talking about with the orgiastic dances in the rain. It has an mm -hmm. electric surge. Um, so whenever it takes electricity damage or is targeted with an electricity effect, it gets 12 temporary HP and is quickened until the end of its next turn. Oh, that's huge. So, yeah, there's a reason that uh, that guy that gets struck by lightning is so revered in shambler culture. Yeah. For lack of a better word. What's cool about that is, so quickened uh, adds, gives you another uh, action to spend on your turn and has it's specific about what you can usually use, which I think you just said there. Um, but that, yeah, that, uh, that, that could really change, uh, kind of change the side of battle. And what is fun about that, going back to traits, which are constantly going to come up as a, if it gets hit with electricity damage, it's important, but an electric effect as well. So that just means if it's hit with an effect that has like the electric trait or, or, or something like it, uh, even if it doesn't do damage, if it's in any way affected by that, it'll get the quick condition, yeah. um, which is really, really neat. Like if it heard me play the key tear and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly <Yeah. laughs> uh if only you were playing a bard <laughs> <laughs> i i know uh, one um D, D campaign we i started to play and we i think we got like three sessions deep before life happened mm -hmm. and uh yeah i was playing a bard and weirdly didn't go the super horny bard route right away but, oh man, all the beams yeah. that go that route, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. I just, I just really enjoyed getting creative with the insults because, yeah, man, those fictional <laughs> characters, <laughs> they would have been absolutely devastated. Your next character might have to be a, a braggart swashbuckler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, sweet. Is there anything else to this this uh, shambling creature? I mean, I think. It might have more to, to say about itself than we might give it uh, credit for. Mm -hmm. I think it might have some serious thoughts. It might have some serious dreams. <laughs> but no, that's, it's a pile of sticks and mud that wants to eat. That's it. <laughs> well, I'm least glad there is a, another uh, little bit that, uh, that does compare to the, the 5e stuff in that. Like if they're struck by lightning, they, do, they take no damage and do gain hit points back. But, but I like the 2e one a little better where it's like it's getting quickened and it's getting temporary hit points. It's a little more nuanced and a lot more going on there. Um, now, the other thing that, uh, that that doesn't come up here that isn't 5e is that it engulfs. So it can actually like surround you and pull you in. And, and um, I don't know if it suffocates you so much. I think it actually just constricts you and starts doing damage while you're inside of it, which is pretty cool. Um, so that'd be something that's uh, that would be neat to see maybe in a variant of this creature, perhaps. I also love the idea of like the... Um, uh, I like the idea of, um, oh yeah, no, I do see here that, uh, if you're engulfed, I guess it's probably just a general engulfed here thing that uh, you, you would be unable to breathe even for the shambling mounds, you're blinded and restrained, can't breathe. Uh, that, that's just dangerous. Mm. <laughs> um, so it'd be cool to see that in the stat block here. I think what the other, uh, uh, variants kind of loosely mentioned there too, like spore mounds, like that'd be cool to have like, you know, a spore attack that kind of happens. So like you're like, you would probably be like an aura. You know, and then if you if you breathe said stuff in, like you guys have encountered that a little bit on the podcast. Yeah, uh, on something that you do before. kind of expect a spore cloud from most mushroom based. You would think, uh, yeah, enemies. 
Yeah. And the other one you said has has thorns. Like that just immediately makes me think like and it's probably doing piercing damage, probably, but like bleed. You know, yeah, cool yeah, a, they're called tangle thorns, and they okay. say they resemble bunches of tumbleweeds and cacti, and uh, bloody lacerations come from their attacks. Yeah, see, yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> uh, that would be really cool. So it's a shame they don't really have the variants uh, here at all for them, but I guess it came out in Bestiary One. Uh, there's wiggle, wiggle room for them to maybe throw something else in there. Um, yeah, maybe if they end up releasing a book with uh, with a, a plant and fungus focus, that'd be kind of cool to see. But well. Let's call up Paizo, show him this episode. <laughs> They'll be on it in a uh, Yeah, let's. We should write an angry letter right now. But yeah, you know what? Yeah. Let's just finish this part, and we'll go do that together. We'll collaborate. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> I'll start getting angry now. We'll finish Beautiful. it. Beautiful. Yeah, then... get pumped up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Duncan. Uh, that was great. Uh, cool creature. Simple, but like I think it's really interesting. I think it's a fun little surprise creature. It's a little. It's definitely a creature that you kind of. You're more likely to encounter along the way and just and move on. Although it is, there is some, there's something there for like you know a thunderstorm happening when you're in the swamp of the forest. Maybe you come across a whole crew of them, uh, yeah. and it'd be cool to see again a variant that's like maybe that one's larger. It's gone to huge because it's been struck by lightning. Maybe that's the one that engulfs you. Um, uh, that would be really cool. But uh, but otherwise, I love a I love a simple creature with a, a straightforward stat block that's uh, that's uh, effective and fun. So, yeah, it's neat. It's one of those ones yeah. that the fight really seems like it could go either way. Um, so thank you for putting the long list I gave you on a dartboard, throwing a dart and choosing this one. No, I put a lot of thought into what <laughs> one was the most fun to say. <laughs> but uh, no, thanks for having me, Freeman. I, uh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, and you know what? I, I might start listening to your podcast. Oh man, please do. It would be an honor. <laughs> Everyone, you can catch Duncan uh, on uh, Stemming the Tide on the Uncharted North Network, and perhaps we'll have him back here on ET again in the near future. And uh, otherwise, unless you have a, a, a podcast project we don't know about, Duncan, you can you can plug it now if you like. Uh, no, I'll wait. No, okay. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, Fair plug enough. It later. Uh, but the Duncan will also be regularly featured on all kinds of bonus content. We've slowly been recording and not really getting to editing uh, for a while now, but uh, eventually we'll, there'll be a, a, more than a few things that see the light of day. Uh, yes. Thanks a lot. Duncan. I'll finish my yeah. edits. <laughs> we'll see you soon. All right. Next up, my friends is someone I am especially excited to welcome to episode 100 because they have been recording and working with us behind the scenes for a little while uh but this i believe is going to be the proper on-air debut with the uncharted north network i'm pretty sure that's true uh we have something else for sure that they'll be a part of uh, shortly after uh and it's probably a slew of things after that but um this is kind of an exciting thing because this person has been working with us, you know, helping us with a, a few things, even just with opinions behind the scenes for a bit now. And we're very excited to have them on board. Uh, so, uh, I, and I believe, I believe, um, actually, let's just bring them in first because I, I can't quite remember the details in this. But uh, for this part, I am, of course, Freeman. Sounds like a wind escaping a fleshy tube, Iston. Uh, and uh, taking me through flumps today is Cam uh, suction from a leaking tube, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I would, I, oh, could boy. Like, I would like to start with, uh, why did you choose those nicknames? <laughs> and 
and uh, how do how did we get to know you again? As I forget, <laughs> it was so, through a charity live stream. I think it was through a charity <laughs> live stream. Uh, I came to y'all, and y'all gave me James, and that was delightful. And I was like, yeah. James, what do I gotta do to hang out with y'all more? And he was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Talk to Freeman. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, bet, bet, sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, and I guess I'm yeah. the better, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah, basically, y'all had me go through a couple um, recording sessions with y'all, just making sure I wasn't, you know, an asshole. Which <laughs> I think I tricked y'all, but we'll find out. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, but no. Uh, so I chose those names just because the sound that flumps make is considered very distinct in almost all their lore universally. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it'd be funny to name us after the sounds that they make. <laughs> after the sounds that they make. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, this creature is fun. We we had a lot of fun with it when we did it in 5e. Uh, the cultural lore we covered uh, was, the, of course, the Flying Spaghetti Monster Church. Uh, and, um, and I was particularly uh, excited to cover this one because I knew one of our longtime listeners uh, would be excited uh, for this one. So shout out to Peace uh, Joy Pancakes, who we all refer to behind the scenes as PJP, uh, <laughs> who is a, a long longtime listener. Uh, also hooked us up with uh, a connection with Gabe, uh, who was part of this series, um, which is awesome. And uh, uh, she lives in Germany. So to pair for this episode, I have myself an Airdinger uh, Weiss beer uh, <laughs> to enjoy as Cam takes me through flumps in the pathfinder second edition world and uh system so why don't you tell me about them uh what do you got cam what do i got uh flumps are one of the weirdest creatures (laughs) that i've ever come across um they are part of the aberration family which are almost universally considered evil even though I would uh, like argue that they operate more on like a blue-orange morality versus lawful good or chaotic evil, how we normally look at it. But they're the anomaly. They are the lawful good aberrations, and they tend to operate with this sort of sense of uh, justice and honor, and um, they just really are peculiar creatures. They uh, traditionally have fed off of mental energies that's less of a thing in 2e Mm. um but yeah they float around on little jets of air uh from countless (laughs) tiny pores on their body and uh apparently when they speak it also sounds like uh human it's squeaky and halting because it's being pushed out through all these pores oh interesting okay yeah uh that's fun yeah, they also have an incredibly foul-smelling spray. Um, yeah, <laughs> I recall this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's another one of the universal things is that they are um, smelly. Yeah, there's always there's got to be a downside to being a good creature in there. They're yeah, like, ah, especially I'm, an aberration. I'm the, I'm the anomaly. I, I'm I'm the good one of, of the evil bunch, but I do stink. <laughs> and I also look very very Shame peculiar. Really. Yeah, yeah, like they look like a jellyfish but kind of upside down mm-hmm. and uh yeah but they come from outer space they do not come from uh they do not come from the ocean 
And yeah. uh, I think it's <laughs> called like the seeding. The seeding? That's where they come yeah, from? It's a, it's a ritual that creates them that like or flings them from their home world. Oh, and uh, okay. yeah, so like when they land on Galarian, they instinctively know that their purpose is to uh, help people. And so they will try to establish like they also know they look very, very weird. And so for the most part, they don't directly interact unless it's something that they feel like they really have to. But they will find mm -hmm. a nearby settlement and then adopt that settlement as like their personal uh, mission. They try to recruit and guide uh, more subtly than revealing their uh, true nature. Okay. That's that's neat. I, it's, I love it. There's, I almost wonder, I always have to wonder, like, you know, because if it's a ritual that brings them down to Galarian or whatever, you know, mortal plane or planet you're playing on, um, you know, and they have this instinct plane, yeah. to to help. Um, uh, but, you know, does does that is that is that is that in their nature or is that part of the ritual? Do you, th do you think the ritual has a residual effect upon them that, that that's that makes them do that? I wonder. I think that definitely yeah. can lead to it because if the ritual sends them here, like I'm sure that that ritual has like certain mantras repeated through it. Right. That just like, right. you know, protect the weak, help where you can lead an upstanding life, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that they're kind of almost in a meditative state, uh, trance when they're sent this, because they also really, really like to, uh, keep dream journals and, uh, they, Okay. Take them very seriously, but they never try to go out of their way to prove the dreams are actual messages. Okay. And so they just see them as like, I dreamed it, so it's true. Well, do you have any evidence of that? I don't need it. It's true. <laughs> they just run with it. Okay. And they do. They absolutely just yeah. run with it. So. That's neat. So, I, I, so, so far, there's like, you know, a lot of similarities, or at least like, you know, so that the physical similarities for the 5e yeah. stuff are there. Um, and, you know, sort of the fact that they are this uh, lawful good sort of anomaly, as it were, to the, the classic aberration approach. Yeah. Um, uh, some differences, though, I would say, like, uh, I mean, the origins are, are basically stated in D&D as a mystery, possibly mm -hmm. with a genetic tie to the Grell creature. Uh, which we never did quite cover, but uh, they, they kind of look pretty similar. It's kind of strange. Um, I, I, I love the dream thing and the helping thing. I remember what we covered was something more along the lines of like they lived underground and they they would form cloisters and communities of like learning, and they would study like philosophy and poetry and like mathematics and stuff. Yeah. So they were very like learned creatures, which I, if I remember correctly, we had a bit of a trouble with because they had, didn't have a very high intelligence in the staff <laughs> box. We were like, yeah. huh? Um, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yeah, their intelligence was a 14. Um, I mean, so that's really smart. By it is, it is really smart. But the way they were described, it didn't quite add up. Uh, that being yeah, said, yeah. It, it was also like, you know, we were probably we definitely dug into some uh, extended lore from beyond 5e. So it probably, yeah. probably piled it on maybe a little too thick for them. But yeah. um, but regardless, it didn't quite seem to fit right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I kind of love the idea. They're a little more, almost a little more like space cadet and esoteric in the 2e approach. <laughs> yeah. <here>. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, that's but, cool. Uh, they definitely uh, see themselves in opposition to the cosmic horrors of the dark tapestry though 
they the space cadet is almost the perfect analogy for them in pathfinder 2e it's like the little guy that just doing his best out here and uh <laughs> is like completely believes in the cause to a cult-like level okay sent out in this ritual like indoctrinate and in my mind like the way that they write the lore it makes it seem like they are thoroughly indoctrinated yeah that's wild but and they're also aberrations and like they're for me like their sense of morality should be completely alien from ours right like if yeah. we found alien sentient aliens on another world like they would not have the same sense of morality that we do right no very totally. very unlikely and so like so we, good we discussed uh quite quite a bit on uh on this show uh the difference between a monstrosity and an aberration you know in 5e terms and i've always been the, uh, of the opinion that an aberration is otherworldly it basically only essentially means that it comes from a different world and that's yeah. about it it's like not natural to this world so it becomes you know it's alien in so many respects whereas an aberration uh or sorry a monstrosity was more yeah. like a like a magical deformed thing uh but it still can reproduce and occur or not occur naturally but is created but it ha lives a natural existence in a way yeah um and uh, when we get into like creature types and 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 traits uh for 2e versus 5e and stuff um they don't always line up properly so aberration in 2e for example uh does specify that a creature's beyond the planes or corruptions of the natural order yeah. um and so the reason I bring it up is because it's, I almost find it kind of odd that it, I agree that, um, you know, we are uh, we, like the, the mind of this creature should be very alien to, to us. Uh, but also it, it seems strange to me that it's like, it's an anomaly because it's the only lawful good one, just because it's otherworldly, just because aberrations tend are, are otherworldly and they doesn't mean they should tend to be evil. So I wonder what, what the, the, the uh, reasoning behind that is. Why are most of them evil and destructive? Um, it, it's got to be more than just we don't understand their minds you know it's it seems strange i think it is a holdover from early editions of pathfinder and gygax and his sort of morality of choice mm -hmm. in that aberrations for me like even if this creature has to stab you with you know 50 needles and drain your blood in the most horrific way possible that doesn't have to mean that they're evil. They could still just be following their nature. Their nature right. is just so horribly alien and horrible to us that we assume it's right. evil, but it should yeah. be, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's why I said, like, blue-orange alignment instead of right. the traditional. Right, yeah. Because it's uh, it's funny because it's one of those things that, that does come up, uh, especially with Pathfinder, in that the uh, the uh, chaos and lawful and evil and good they aren't just like your ph philosophy they have physical presence in the world and amongst the planes right they have a there's yeah. a, there's a uh, they are part of the physics of the world in a way because they can yeah. do good damage or they can yeah. they can take lawful damage or whatever and so uh, I've always uh, I've always thought about that how it's like you know it's not evil in in the same moral sense that we might interpret you know in our everyday lives is evil uh through like yes through the act of what's happening but that act is connected to a physical force exactly for me like the flumps we attribute them to be lawful good but like is it just their indoctrination from the seeding process that makes right. them that way like or when that aberration has to plug you with a bunch of needles you know yeah. because it's in their nature it's an evil act according to the the evil force of the universe but to them it's just normal <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's what they do. Absolutely. 
<laughs> I love that approach because you're like, oh, is evil really evil? Uh, I mean, it's awful, but like, is it evil? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it should bend your mind a bit, and I love that. Yeah, aberrations should absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, is there any anything else, uh, lore and story wise, you want to throw out there? Um. No, there is one thing that I find super interesting about them is that they really enjoy oaths and promises and they get this extreme sense of happiness just from like uh little agreements and accords and uh they take lying personally they okay like you a white lie <laughs> is still like oh it's on site like you what'd you say no we're fighting right now <laughs> that's hilarious yeah and if they complete an oath they will come find you to let you know that they have completed this oath for you. Okay. And if they it's so can't, important yeah, them, it's yeah, so okay, important to yeah. them. And if they can't, not, they're not com- showing off. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if they can't complete it, it will actually make them have anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. In other words, a flump acts in the way that, uh, that, that lawful good pout in your party shouldn't, because that's very frustrating to have a yeah. fellow player just acting so strict. Like, just don't yeah. do that, guys. It's it's really annoying. It is, uh, but annoying. it's okay for a creature. <laughs> it's okay for the GM you're to only come in here and so bother often. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. All right. Well, you want to move on to the stat block? What do you think? Sure, absolutely. All right. Hit me up. What What do we start with here? We give me the CR and all that all that nonsense. They are a CR one creature. Uh, like I said, they're lawful good. They're small and they're the aberration type. Uh, they do have dark vision, and uh, you will use the occultism skill to recall knowledge about them. Which is pretty stat- standard for aberrations, I would yeah. imagine. Yes, that is the standard for aberrations. Okay. Um, uh, how do they get around? Speed uh, and all that? <laughs> With their speed, they have a 5-foot movement speed on the ground and a 20-foot fly speed. <laughs> I can uh, picture them just like trying to wrangle across the ground. Yeah, they're little noodles just. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Help! <laughs> yeah, uh, they are definitely more dexterous and wise than they are strong or for, uh, hardy. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. And then what about they, skills? Uh, they are good at acrobatics, diplomacy, stealth, and they also have dark tapestry lore. Oh, uh, okay. I love it when it, uh, uh, not that it comes up that often, but I love it when a creature has a, a lore attached to them. Yeah, I mean, like, that is, like, a huge thing for them. Like, that's why they're sent out in the seating is to combat the dark tapestry, to stand in opposition to it. Uh, defenses? Uh, they have, are you looking for the exact numbers or, like, the relative numbers? Yeah, sure, Okay. whatever. Uh, 17 AC, their uh, reflex save and their will saves are the best save. Once again, they're not super hardy, so their fortitude save suffers. And mm-hmm. they only have about 17 hit points. Okay, so they're going down pretty quick, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're CR1, so it's... They are CR1, yeah. All right, uh, they so do they have much in the way of offense? <laughs> uh, they do not have a whole lot in the way of offense, but before we move on, they do have one kind of funny uh, trait, and that's if you knock them prone through tripping them, they have to make a DC-11 flat check, or they land on their back, rendering it flat-footed and immobilized. <laughs> yeah, this, this came up in 5e as well, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, it was called prone deficiency. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, but they have small spikes. Uh, looking at the image, I'm assuming it's on the bottom of the tendrils, it looks like. Plus seven to hit. They're agile and finesse. Agile meaning that they use their dexterity. Oh, excuse me, that they have a minus four to hit instead of a minus five. And then finesse means that they use their dexterity modifier instead of their strength modifier to hit. It does 1d4 piercing. And uh, one of the more ornery parts about these animals is they do persistent acid damage on just a regular hit. Uh, okay. It's not a crit. It's just on a hit, here's your 1d4 acid. Roll that DC yeah. 15 flat check. I love persistent damage. You know, for the listeners, it's it's done such a cool way in, in 2e where you can't really have an advantage. It's really hard to have an advantage against it. Um, there's no stats that go towards it. You can you can have put an effort towards it, but you basically like, you're going to take that damage at the end of your turn no matter what, and then you have to roll a flat check, just a flat t 20 you got to try to hit a 15. So you basically got, what, like a 75% chance of of uh, losing out and still taking damage the next time, but you can yeah, try and like wipe the acid off, too. or yeah, uh, it was like a you can wipe the try to wipe the acid off and bring that DC down at your GM's discretion. But uh, uh, if you really if you just get bad luck on this one uh, or on those things, it can really hamper you. It can stack up fast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and having yeah having from multiple sources. Oh man, nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also have what they call spray perfume, which has the olfactory trait, and olfactory just means that our creature has to be able to smell to be affected by it. Okay. Yep. And it sprays in a twenty-foot line of foul-smelling liquid. Uh, mm -hmm. Fortitude save or become sickened. Uh, sickened two on a critical failure. The fun part about it is the odor lingers for hours on all creatures that failed. And oh, they, okay. yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> you can actually be detected by smell at a range of a hundred feet. That's fun. Uh, creatures, <laughs> yeah, creatures adjacent to them also take a uh, minus two circumstance penalty uh, to save against spray perfume or to recover from the sickened condition, and it recharges on one d four rounds. Cool. Yeah. So the five e one had something similar. It was called stench spray, so it was a little more, a little more, uh, maybe aptly named. Like, yeah. was it spray perfume <laughs> spray perfume yeah it's a gener generous wording um but yeah it did actually did the same thing uh it it, it did last for 1d4 hours or some such uh, which is yeah. kind of fun you know i it, i just occurred to me too is uh i i like the idea that it's olfactory i mean the, maybe the 1d4 hours um kind of negates it a bit but um but i i love the idea that maybe someone could plug their nose if they have a free hand uh and you could use the you could use the rules for avert gaze to like you basically give a you know, kind of change it up. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Give, give them a plus two bonus to that um, yeah. to that, that saving throw, maybe. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but then you're doing it for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is not ideal. <laughs> uh, so, oh, and it's also worth mentioning that second conditions like, can be actually a pretty brutal one. I, th I think it affects like most of your stats. Um, and the only way to get rid of it is to retch. You have to spend an action retching and rebeating the DC. We've encountered it a few times in some of our, even our bonus recordings and stuff, where uh, someone just has to like retch over and over and over and over and over to the point where yeah. you had to like, okay, let's just hand wave it. Eventually, you're gonna dry heave yourself out of this. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> other fun. important part of sickened though is that you cannot willingly ingest potions either. That's right. 
That's right. Or like, so if you get, yeah, yeah, you can't ingest anything. <laughs> uh, so you can uh, eat food and drink enough to like not die if your second yeah, condition okay. lasts long enough, typically. But yeah, it's the but, fact like, that the like, potion you have to like yeah. down the whole thing in one go for it to have the effect, right? So that's yep. so that's you what cannot do it. Yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, that's that can swing it. a fight real fast sometimes. Yeah. Uh man, I love that so much. Yeah. Um. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, awesome. Uh, anything else? I think that's about it for their stat block. They're CR1 creatures. They're not super complicated. Uh, yeah. They do speak Aklo, Celestial, and Common. I guess that's an interesting thing about them. But... Sure. Okay. Yeah. Aklo is pretty, I think, pretty normal for an aberration or, yeah. or some such, I would guess. Celestial is definitely an interesting one, but I'm here for it. How, would, yeah. how do you feel you would use these creatures uh, in your own setting or whatever? Um, so my favorite way that I would think to use these is have your party come out of a a dungeon or a cave or just like a really long fight, get to a new town, sell their gear, meet some of the locals, talk to them and stuff. And then as they're leaving town, that's when the flump connects to them and is like, Hey, there is a great evil lurking in that city or that town and they are wearing the skin of other people and just like have the party like suddenly start doubting like everybody that they just interacted with like just really like turn the thing up <laughs> on them like just make it the yeah. thing as hard as i can and because like flumps are not able to solve problems on their own right and so their entire mm-hmm. thing is to basically be quest givers in a way and so yeah. that's how I would use a flump. And you can also, uh, in dungeons, like they're one of the rules of like D and D was always like trust the flump, because it yeah. was kind of a thing, a tool for the GMs to use to be like, hey, you don't want to go this way, you don't want to, because like they can't lie. So like there's no like right. you know sugarcoating. There's no oh yeah do this like it's always meant to be like this is the GM putting their hand on the scale so to speak to be like stop going this way for now like turn around or you know this is something you really need to deal with very effective tool yeah yeah yeah. fair enough do you imagine these as singular creatures or do you ever imagine them like in a group uh i think that like 90 percent of the time or higher i think that they are single creatures because i generally Mm -hmm. think of them as more like lower level things where it's like you're in a town and uh warned of danger and stuff it's not yeah as much of a cloister it, if it was going to be multiple groups it'd have to be a more aberration oriented uh campaign or at least arc for me to like see putting more than one in a time yeah yeah i think the the thing one of the things that, that that that's different from this version that i remember now from our 5e talk about it was that was you know it's something you did you did touch on where like they are like they kind of feed off mental energy so they're, they're describing what you call a, a passive parasite where they don't they don't really have any there's no negative effect per so much but they can like see your emotions and your thoughts if they're feeding off of you and then they would actually get sick by feeding off someone that was really negative and horrible such as like a mind flayer colony like you know a yeah. collaboration in, in the same area um but like we we kind of had the, i remember, i think we had this idea where the more they gathered and the more mental energy they could sort of siphon uh, maybe that was how they got smarter, and then they, that's how they started uh, um, uh, uh, sort of yeah. like learning mathematics and physics and philosophy and that sort of yeah. thing as a more collective thing. So I love the idea of like they're singular, and I love the idea of them being quest givers. Um, 
uh, but I do love the idea of the, at least them knowing of other ones, and then maybe yeah. there's a very rare moment in which you find an actual collection of them. Yeah, for me, like if there was a collection, it would have to be like this is a very severe threat. Like we have gathered mm -hmm. every flump we can in the area to try to bring in heroes right. from everywhere they can, and that could even be an interesting way to have a party meet. Is you know flumps yeah. from your come to your town and say, hey, I need you know heroes to come help me with this thing, and then they bring you all together. Be crazy like West March's uh or oh, is it, yeah West March's style game yeah. where it's like you plan a bunch across the GMs and it's like have this flump say meet me here and to all yeah. these parties and then yeah. when they meet them there all the flumps have gathered <laughs> yeah yeah that could be very awesome. cool yeah yeah cool uh, all right is there anything else for me Cam I think that's pretty much it for me uh, okay cool well it was a pleasure man that that was that was so much fun uh, oh for sure <laughs> I I love. Uh, i love these i love these creatures they're just they're just goofy and yeah. and they're fun and they're silly and uh they just have a, a very very unique pocket in in these games don't they yeah so yeah for sure yeah so like, i i hope everyone enjoyed uh cam joining us today i hope that you will join us again on on et eventually obviously oh, yeah. you will be popping up on the uncharted north network in the future yeah uh, and we're very much looking forward to that oh yeah i'm hyped uh, thank you for having me. It was a blast. <laughs> we get along just fine. Hell yeah. <laughs>
of one of uh, one of the Pathfinder adventure paths. I imagine it would be yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, for it's those like a second, of you who second <laughs> second encounter, you know, they're just walking yeah. along and boom, yeah, there no it is. <laughs> it's a pre-planned TPK. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the uh, if you want to go back and listen to our original episode for this one, it is episode thirty-eight for encounter this. Uh, and I have uh, gone out of my way to uh, pair a drink for myself for each of these creatures. Uh, and um, today I will be uh, having a drink of something that uh, uh, you might need should you face a Tarrasque. Uh It's called a Hail Mary. Uh, <laughs> and it's a delicious local cider here in Vancouver. <laughs> so um, now that it's cracked and I'm ready to go, please, please, Gabe, tell me about the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Tarrasque. Sure. Well, if I could, I, I wasn't aware we were going to be pairing drinks with it, but uh, if I yeah, could I recommend a a Tarasi <laughs> Cola to go along with the Taras. <laughs> okay. That's what Amazing. I would do. Sorry. I, the whole Here time you were saying that, I was, how can I fit RC Cola into this thing? <laughs> so ultimately I didn't. Did anyway. The worst so, way possible. Yeah. I'm sorry. Is James in the room? <laughs> <laughs> so... For the Tarasque, let me ask you a question, uh, and also a question to the listener. Uh, what do you know about Rovagug? Uh, Rovagug. Rovagug is a god, a deity. I believe, I, if I remember correctly, I always mix Rovagug up with someone else. I think it's a, a, a Chekek or something like that. Okay. Um, but I think Rovagug is like just, just straight destruction and at all times. Just wants to destroy everything and it's, and it's like trapped possibly by the other gods somewhere yes so uh mm -hmm. rovagug was created when saren ray was making the world and making other gods and then one of the gods afraid of what existed out beyond creation was consumed by that fear and then either that god became rovagug or the fear itself became rovagug rovagug is this deity of ultimate destruction upon being created. It's, it's pretty much first thing that it did was uh, burrow through the abyss and then start devouring worlds. And it <laughs> devoured a few worlds. And then eventually the gods kind of all banded together to stop it. But of course it was too powerful. They couldn't just kill it. So they imprisoned it within the earth. Now, the thing about Rovagug is that it's so focused on destruction that if you're a cleric of Rovagug, it is anathema to torture someone because why would you torture someone when you could just kill them? Wow. That's what Rovagug <laughs> is all about. <laughs> like, I love the, I love the big all encompassing darkness of like this crazy power of destruction, but that's yeah. I just, uh, that's a really interesting, unique thought on that. Like you're, it's, it is so singularly minded, isn't it? Right. So, the reason I'm bringing up Rovagug is that the Tarrasque is one of Rovagug's spawn. Uh, a lot of people consider it to be the herald of Rovagug. It wasn't the first spawn, but it was like the third, I think. And mm -hmm. uh, essentially what happened was Rovagug was imprisoned in the earth. It was imp imprisoned down uh, beneath the world. And then where it was imprisoned, it had this corrupting influence on the world. It had a corrupting influence on the, the nation of Ninshaber or Nin Ninshaber. And okay. so that part of the world started becoming evil. Now, Saren Ray told all of her followers, this place is evil. Don't go there. And somehow they misunderstood and they all went there. 
They all went there and then they created riddles. <laughs> they created a city there. And when when I was going to say Rovagug's Herald, when Saren Ray's Herald went there to go tell everybody, guys, you're not supposed to be here. This is awful. This is evil. Get away from here. They were so corrupted that they killed the Herald and Saren Ray got pissed off. So she said, all right, fine, take it then. And then she used her sword to slice open the world and created what is known as the Pit of Gormas. From Gormas, from, from the Pit of Gormas came uh, the first of, of Rovagug spawn, which was this giant beetle that actually part of its carapace is still there out in, in the, the nation of, or out in the, um, out in Ninshaber where the, the, that was all located. And eventually, a couple thousand years later, the Tarask came from this pit. So it is, again, okay. it is what most people consider to be the Herald of Rovagug. Uh, being this spawn of this immense deity of ultimate destruction, it similarly is all focused on destruction. It is kind of outright said in the rules that it is impossible to kill. The best you can do is just send it elsewhere or put it to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> maybe someday at the end of the, the end of time or something, it will eventually die. But for the time being, the Tarask is here to stay. Amazing. Can't be killed. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I can't remember if that was a thing in 5e. I don't think it was that it could well, be killed. Uh, I may be bringing that up later, but spoilers. Okay. The answer is no, it can very much be killed in 5e. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sure. <laughs> in, in third edition D and D, it, uh, the only way to kill it was to deal enough damage to keep it like 50 below zero hit points and then cast wish or miracle to make it stay dead. Oh, and, wild. <laughs> and then I think in fourth edition D and D it was explicitly unkillable unless you could get it to leave the material plane. It was like bound to the material plane. So if you could get it somehow, if you could force it off the material plane, it would die. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So crazy. <laughs> uh, what else do you have for me? Anything in particular? Um, well, do you want me to do you want me to talk about the mechanics? Do you want me to oh, rant about uh, how, how awful the fifth edition version is? Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear about that. Uh, I'm sure we went on our own rants uh, this, uh, in the 5e one. Um, uh, I, I very much particularly remember us discussing how it was like, you know, because of the size and power of the creature, you just can't take it down without armies and siege engines and that sort of thing. It just didn't really like add up a lot. I'll, but, I'll um, get to that too. I, yeah. I disagree with you on that point. <laughs> uh, but I, I'll be perfectly honest. I don't remember the details of, of what we sure. discussed. Um, uh, the, um, at least, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm listening back to the episodes a little bit here and, and, but I'm just, I'm looking over all these different creatures and like, I don't remember all the nitty gritty. Um, I do remember uh, that, uh, you know, just like small things from our notes, you know, things like, you know, the size of the creature, obviously the Tarrasque is very immense. Like mm -hmm. what I love about some of the 5e stuff is that, you know, there's such a good history uh, from multiple editions that you get like these really interesting, like specific things. Like, and we always love yeah. covering that. Uh, so things like, you know, it's 70 feet long and 50 feet tall, like to give you a, a real proper idea, you know, game terms, obviously we know it's going to be gargantuan, uh, you know, but that is, that leaves, you know, some wiggle room gargantuan in particular, sure. um, and it, you know, weighs hundreds of tons. It, 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 it's, it stocks in a bird of prey like stance, 
You know, uh, is there anything along those lines that you could say about the 2E version that stand out at all? Um, I mean, actually. if not, then whatever. You know, it's uh, I, I'm reasonably sure it looks pretty similar if we look at the artwork. Uh, it's it, got a very, very similar look to the to the 5E one. Yeah, it is pretty similar. It's got like this armored carapace. It's got spikes. It, it has spines it can fling from its tail in Pathfinder 2nd mm -hmm. Edition. It can even, instead of just making a ranged attack, it can shoot a cone of spines that okay, just yeah. hit everyone within the area, <laughs> which I think is is just a wild thing to imagine. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it can, you know, it can I, swallow whole, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's, it's good. We're looking at a lot of shared things here for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, mechanically and 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 just like physically, I, I imagine. Um, I do remember that the uh, there was a lot of religious doctrine surrounding the Tarask, or like certain certain groups of people in fifth edition would would you know eventually lean towards it, especially if the Tarask was like you know regularly coming in and and destroying things. Um, and um, the uh, you know when you have something with such immense power that's just like causing nothing but full on destruction all the time. Yeah, it's uh, you know if you're you're bound to. Uh, you know, try to find something prophetic in it. Um, and I remember some of the origin stories for, for D and D were things like it was possibly created by the primordials. Uh, mm -hmm. and the purpose was to create instability so that they, uh, could occasionally remake the world. Uh, or it was possibly from a, a species of its own, but from an, a different planet that had a high population of mind flayers. You're getting an aberration <laughs> right. territory and off world and all that stuff. Uh, but of course, in true fashion, it's like it was maybe this, it was maybe that, and so and so speculate this, and scholars believe this over here, you know, and uh, it's never really quite specific. Sure. One thing, one thing that I will say um, is more along the lines of uh, fan theory than actual gameplay stuff, but. A lot of people have noticed that in all the different designs of the Tarrasque, it shares some common traits, including um, armored spines, including eyes on the sides of its head. And those are generally traits that are uh, that belong to prey animals rather than predators. So a lot of people have okay. speculated, you know, what exactly would the Tarrasque have evolved to defend against? <laughs> you know, that's I personally, such a funny observation and never would have thought of that. <laughs> right. I personally prefer the idea that it, this thing didn't evolve. This thing is the result of some sort of specialized creation, but you know, okay. that's, that's up yeah. to, that's up to the person to, to decide for themselves. <laughs> that's too funny. I love that so much, Yeah, but just let, <laughs> let nerds be nerds on forums. Eh? They'll come up with all kinds <laughs> of crazy shit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so good. Uh, amazing. Well, uh, I mean, with that, I mean, it's the Tarrasque. I, I love the origin story. I love the involvement of Rovgug, but it's the Tarrasque. There's not a lot of story to it. It sure. just kind of does its thing. So let's talk about some mechanics. Um, yeah, this will be, uh, one of our few intros here to two E mechanics. Uh, we've done one two E creature, uh, so far, uh, in ET, but now we're doing a series of them. Let's talk uh, stats and the sort of depth of uh, the 2E system with this creature. So the Tarrasque is a CR 25. It's got an AC of 54, 540 hit points with uh, regeneration of 50. So every round it's getting back 50 hit points. Uh, it is gargantuan size. It's it's chaotic evil, which I could be mistaken. I don't have, I haven't actually looked at the like third edition version in a while. I think it used to be neutral, I think. Yeah, I already have something to say on that because yeah. um, uh, your next, the next point you're going to say, I, oh, you just covered the traits real quick. 
Sure. So uh, this is a unique creature. It has the unique trait. It also has the beast trait, which is interesting mm -hmm. because it is not an animal. It right. is technically capable of, you know, thought and planning and tactics and mm -hmm. such. Like it's, it's, it has an intelligence of three. So it's not, uh, uh, minus three. Sorry. Yeah. It has an intelligence of three. It's modifiers minus three. And mm -hmm. so it, 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 it's not like a dog. It's like a dog right. that can actually think, you know, it's, it's like the lowest intelligence that a human could have. Basically, realistically yes, that's, speaking. That's sort of the idea, right? So it's really important to note that traits, uh, you know, we're, we're going to discuss this over and over, but traits are so important in this system and they're, yep. they're connected to so many things. And so unique itself is just, uh, is a pretty simple thing. Even if a creature has relatable abilities to another creature, unique means that it has something a little extra from that. Uh, and therefore it raises the DC for recall knowledge, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, yeah. but the beast trait, yeah, it has like a minus three intelligence or higher or something like that. Uh, so it is a thinking creature rather than purely instinctual. That's why they have the beast and animal separated traits. And so I think that's really important. And I it might be the deciding factor of why it's capable of being chaotic versus, or sure, sorry, evil, sure. uh, versus neutral. Yeah. So I would, uh, also, I would assume an, an animal is generally neutral. Sure. Also in keeping with the fact that it is the spawn of a deity who's all about destroying the universe. Uh, chaotic yeah. evil makes a lot of sense, I would say. Pretty Dutch does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, to, to recall knowledge on it, it's recall knowledge beast, arcana, or nature would be a DC 60. Unspecific lore would be a DC 58, and specific lore a DC 55. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a perception of 40, plus 48. It understands the language Aklo, but cannot speak okay. itself. Uh, mm -hmm. It's got dark vision. It's got uh, imprecise sense of scent, 120 feet. Uh, can move at 50 feet, has a swim speed of 50 feet. I'm always surprised when this thing does not have a burrow speed. I feel like a burrow speed would make a lot of sense, especially since it came from beneath the earth, came from yeah. beneath the ground. And uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like the, the burrow speed, uh, I, I, I'd be for having one, but, mm -hmm. but also it, it seems like it would have to be a magical burrow speed. Okay. You know, like an earth elemental, if it's connected to the earth, it can just like kind of zip in and not leave a trace. Sure. Because the thing is so large, I have a hard time. I just have a hard time imagining it just going through the through the ground without, <laughs> yeah, without fair enough. any effort. Fair enough. It's just it's just the size of it alone, I feel like, stops it. But it makes sense. It's like Godzilla swimming through the water. Sure. Or just walking across the land. I, you know, those I can buy. Yeah, I, I very much guarantee that this was at least in some way inspired by by Godzilla. I know, of course, it's based on like a French... Uh, French legend or something, but you know, it is, it is actually, yeah, the Tarascus, <laughs> it's something really dumb. Uh, it has, <laughs> seems to be not connected at all. And it's like this, this lion headed uh, turtle uh, yeah. that, that was like in this area in Provence, France. And it was, uh, it threw its feces at things, at people to burn them <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> it was, and none of it, none of it makes sense. I don't sense. see that ability anywhere. You know, <laughs> I, I, I no, just, it's not a, yeah, so strange. It was, it was a weird one. I briefly checked my, uh, rechecked my notes on that one. And I was like, oh man, I forgot how, <laughs> how just like absurd and, and far removed the, the real world stuff was. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's got a strength and con of plus 12, dex of plus nine and wisdom of plus nine, uh, intelligence of minus three and a charisma of plus seven. Acrobatics and athletics are its only uh, skills of note. Well, what else do you need, I guess? And then yeah. <laughs> uh, fortitude plus 47, re reflex plus 37, will plus 39. Has uh, resistance to fire 25 and resistance to physical 25, which I think like 
all physical damage 25 that's mm-hmm. you you have to do 26 damage in a single hit to do one point of damage to this thing yeah and it has its regeneration of 50 so uh, no weaknesses and then a whole bunch of immunities immune to acid clumsy disease drained enfeebled mental paralyzed persistent damage petrified poison polymorph stupefied cones lines rays and magic missiles it is immune to oh, all of those it's crazy it's absolutely yes. crazy uh <laughs> so I, it's, uh, it's at this point like especially with a, a creature at this uh level so it's uh a C, effectively cr25 for mm-hmm. 2e uh in 5e i believe it's a cr30 it's the highest creature um sorry i'm rolling but, my eyes uh, at that i'll get to that later yeah <laughs> okay well, the thing i want to point out at this point with the creature at this level is, is the difference in math between the two systems. You can, it's some of it's really obvious. Sometimes it's not. So like a CR 30 creature in five E with a 25 armor class. Well, here we have a 25 CR creature in, in two E and a 54 armor class. You can see how like some numbers are smaller, but some are higher, you know, like some people are already going, what the hell it's a 47 fortitude, you know, save. Uh, mm-hmm. versus, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know what the five you would have. Um, uh, like a, a 10, that looks like uh, for a con. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I mean, but, the, the uh, games, but... they just, they deal with numbers differently in they fifth do, edition yeah. D&D. It's much more about the rolls of the dice and less about the players stats going up in PF2. Exactly, it's yeah. all of the players are just constantly getting better and the monsters are constantly getting better too. Yeah. Cause like, if you're looking at the strength, it's like, you know, in five E it's 10 and in two E it's, it's, uh, uh, 12. Mm -hmm. Um, but then the athletics is 50 versus the other. So it's like, you know, the small numbers, uh, in two, we kind of go a a bit farther and you you could see, you can already see there's so much more stacking on top. It's not just the ability score and a small proficiency bonus in there. There's so much more going on. So the smaller numbers really affect, uh, everything on a baseline. And then the numbers are growing really fast in two. Um, so attacks wise, the Tarask has, uh, has four different melee attacks that it can do has, uh, jaws at a plus 45, which deal 5d 12 plus 20 damage, piercing damage plus improved grab, uh, and then, uh, cutting a little bit ahead. It can then swallow you whole. Uh, it's got an improved grab, I believe is a free action grab. Yes. Normally if you have a, a plus grab to your attack, uh, you have to spend an action to automatically grab, which is still really powerful. But if it's improved in front of that, it's a free action. So you're not wasting any action economy. You're just doing it. Right. Um, and then uh, all of these attacks have the chaotic, evil, and magical traits. Uh, and the jaws have a reach of 20 feet. All of his attacks either are, uh, I think a couple of them are 15, one is 30, and then this one's 20. So next up, it's got uh, claws at a plus 45. And then I think it has... I think it can has like agile or something. So it's instead of being at a minus five for each su- su- successive attack, it is minus mm-hmm. four. So claws yep. plus 45, then 41 and 37, uh, five D 10 plus 20 slashing damage, 15 foot reach, a tail at plus 45, four D 12 plus 20 bludgeoning damage, reach of 30 feet, uh, horns at plus 45, four D 10 plus 20 piercing damage, reach of 15 feet. And then it does have a ranged so, attack. I mentioned earlier, it can shoot right. spines from its tail at a plus 45 range increment, 120 feet, 3d, 10 <laughs> plus 20 piercing damage. And then that has chaotic evil and magical and the brutal trait. Uh, yeah. Uses strength as a modifier instead of dex as attack roll, which is um, uh, uh, for a range attack. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's actually a feature that's only that only creatures get. So okay. a range attack usually uses uh, yeah your dexterity for attack rolls. Um, 
uh, including thrown uh, weapons, I believe. Uh, sure. But uh, this one allows the strength modifier to be uh, baked into the attack roll, which is really, yeah. really big. It's worth noting, noting too, that uh, I, I, uh, I, I, as I was getting ready to record this with you, I realized that uh, when it comes to sizing, there's a table for size and reach that had uh, something on it that I didn't expect. And uh, it's that there are two columns for the reach based on size. So, you know, you get tiny, small, medium, large, huge, gargantuan, and then the space that those creatures take up. So as a gargantuan creature, the Tarrasque is taking up, you know, 20 feet or more, uh, like square, you know, on the on the battlefield, on the map. Um, sure. But uh, if it's considered tall, the general reach of it is 20 feet. If it's considered a long creature, the general reach of it is 15 is a bit mm-hmm. less and the general sense of that is tall it means it's usually biped a biped and then a quadruped for long now this is like this one seems to be all over the place this has <laughs> right. got some f- at 15 so its arms are obviously a bit shorter mm-hmm. uh where its tails nice and long and its jaws are somewhere in between i guess yeah uh then it has a few different uh multi-action activities that it can do the first mm-hmm. i think is just hilarious so I mentioned, you know, it can do like successive attacks at a minus whatever instead of a minus five. Mm-hmm. But if it has all three actions to take, it can do the destructive frenzy action or destructive frenzy activity, which mm-hmm. makes a jaws strike, two claw strikes, two horn strikes, and a tail strike. That is six attacks for three <laughs> actions. All of those at no particular penalty because it's all the same activity. Oh. <laughs> now, that being said, I mean, uh, like, t- tactically speaking, that's not always an option because if it has to move to get to you, it's only got two actions left, so on, so on. Right. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. oh, man, especially with but the reach everything that this is within thing has, the right ranges, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, can then, it can then, for two actions, do a spine volley, which is what I mentioned earlier. It can, instead of just shooting specific spines at people, it can do a cone that is a 120 foot cone dealing 3d10 plus 20 piercing damage to everyone, everyone in that area with a DC 53 basic reflex saves. Uh, and then it can't use that attack again for 1d4 rounds, kind of similar to a uh, a dragon's breath weapon. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I mean, yeah. the 5e one, you know, it's got its own multi attack, which is up to, you know, five attacks plus its frightful presence thing, which I'm, uh, if, if this one has it, I'm sure we'll get to it. Uh, plus, uh, it can throw in a swallow there or something like that. So it's, it's got something similar going on. However, it doesn't have, I don't think it has a range attack at all, the 5e one. So, correct. Uh, I will be mentioning then, that later. Uh, yeah. And on top of that, like, not to get too, uh, into the, the old, uh, legendary actions, but, uh, but yeah, I guess that, that you can throw in an extra attack in there somewhere, but not yeah. quite the same as this destructive frenzy you've described. <laughs> right. Um, and then so for, uh, and then it's its last activity is a three action activity called trample, uh, which is it lets it stride up to triple its speed. And then I believe uh, anyone in the anyone in that distance that it strides has to make a DC 49 uh, reflex yeah. save to avoid taking 5d10 plus 20 claw slashing damage. So it can just kind of run through an area. So I mentioned earlier, like if it has to move to get to you, it can't do that three attack uh frenzy but yeah it can still it could instead just move all across the battlefield and hit every person along the way if it wanted just to just swinging its arms <laughs> yeah i love it that's amazing so crazy crazy stuff that it's got uh and then it has yeah. a few reactions uh, it has an attack of opportunity because why not of course 
Yep. Uh, it's got reflect, which anytime it's, uh, it's anytime an effect, it, wait, sorry. Anytime it's carapace deflects something, which, um, is, I believe that would be any of those cones, lines, rays, or magic missiles. The Tarask right. can spend a reaction to redirect it back at the person that created it. Oh, okay. So you try something like magic missile, the magic missile is going to be hitting you instead. Hmm. Yeah, and um, 5e, it's, uh, if it's any of those particular things, you have to roll a d6. Yep. And and then it's like uh, on a 1 to 5, it's just unaffected. On a 6, it's reflected back at you. Kind of yep. thing. Um, and then as a reaction, it can fast swallow. What that means is you mentioned, uh, Freeman, that it can, when it bites someone, it can, as a free action, it can, it can grapple them. And then it can use its reaction to then use its swallow whole attack. So it bites them, it has them grabbed, <laughs> And then now it starts to swallow them. Once you're swallowed, uh, it you take 10d6 plus 12 bludgeoning damage each time it spends an action to damage you, uh, plus 10d6 acid, and it can swallow up to a huge size creature, and it takes 50 points of damage to rupture its stomach for you to get out. I always assumed that had to be 50 points of damage from the person inside it. Someone outside mm -hmm. could actually deal 50 damage in one attack to cut a oh. hole for you to get out. Right. Okay. Sure. Uh, but again, I feel like I do that. It's been a while since I looked it up because I definitely, definitely, uh, you know, going over some other creatures like a gibbering mouther or like a gelatinous sure. cube or something like that. They have the, the, you know, the engulf kind of things for swallow. And uh, it's the same idea. There's always a rupture number you got to meet. But from the outside, that's uh, that's good to know, I guess. But it's got to be in like a single blow, right? It's not cube. a single blow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're already trying to get past the insane defenses here <laughs> trying to do 50 damage at once that's insane right <laughs> but I, I love that because you, you're looking at you're just looking at uh i mean it can swallow whole uh wait so fast swallow is a reaction so it's like it's literally just one action jaws free action grab reaction swallow it's still got two actions left is that as right as far as i can tell yeah <laughs> <laughs> now it wouldn't be able to swallow a second person because it would be out of out of its reaction, but, and I, I think it can only right. use its jaws once per turn, but it could do that okay. and then attack with a claw, attack with a horn, whatever. Right. Yeah, Amazing. great stuff. Um, <laughs> so in addition to all of its actions, it's got a few passive things. It's got regeneration of 50, dam of 50 hit points per round. It's got its carapace, which as I mentioned, it makes it immune to cones, lines, rays, and magic missiles, which it can spend a reaction if it has one to send them back at the uh, creator. Uh, it has frightful presence, which uh, is a has the aura, emotion, fear, and mental traits, a range of three hundred feet, and a will DC of thirty nine, or be uh, be frightened by that. It has okay. the inexorable ability, which the Tarask recovers from the slowed and stunned conditions at the end of its turn. It's also immune to penalties to its speeds, and it ignores difficult terrain and greater difficult terrain. So. <laughs> amazing yeah so like slowed and stunned conditions can just have like a number on them where you you lose a, a specific number of reactions but sometimes they can just last for minutes at a time yeah so in this case if it's one of those ones it's just just, it's just goes away at the end of its turn term. and then yeah. i forgot about this i just said that it wouldn't be able to use more than one reaction per turn it can actually it has the <laughs> reactive trait the reactive ability which gives it three reactions per turn but only one of them uh can be can be triggered by only one of them can be a reaction to a specific trigger. So it has okay. attack of opportunity. It could attack three different people for moving away from it. It wouldn't be able to attack one person three times. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And let's yeah. just can we just say that's way more interesting than the three times three times a day five e uh, legendary resistance bullshit. So much more interesting. <laughs> yes. So much more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Um, and then uh, just a, a couple cool. other little things about spawns of Rovagug, because the Tarask is only one of the many spawns of this deity. All spawn of Rovagug can sleep for centuries and do not need to eat, drink, or even breathe while hibernating. While hibernating, a spawn's resistance is double in value. It can't be located by divination effects. And for any saving throw, it uses the outcome for one degree of success better than the result. So it can never critically fail while it's hibernating. It can only fail, and that's if it rolls a critical failure. Um, and then a spawn of Rovagug, this is a great one. Spawn of Rovagug has regeneration powerful enough to revive it, even if slain by a death effect. If the spawn fails a save <laughs> against an effect that would kill it instantly, it rises from death three rounds later with one hit point. It can be banished, imprisoned, or transported away as a means to save a region or kept in a state of dying by an effect that deals constant damage. No method of deactivating the Tarask's regeneration has yet been discovered. I've heard of stories people have, have come up with in their campaigns where there's like a city that is built around a Tarask where every day people's job is to go there and attack it to keep it below zero hit points. <laughs> and then if they ever slack on their job, everyone will be killed. They're all screwed. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's a fun thing that comes about because of abilities like this. Oh man, that is so cool. Um, and that, and, and what you just described there too, is that's, that's for spawns of Robogug, not just the Tarrasque. Correct. Right? Correct. Which is cool because, uh, I, I was doing a little cursory research for the 2e stuff for this, but I wanted to leave most of it in your hands, but I did come across the, the fact, I, I didn't realize there was, there was, the, the Tarrasque wasn't just this lone, you know, spawned creature. Sure. And, uh, so you, you mentioned the, the original one, I think, uh, uh which the, it says here, the name is, uh, Ulanat or Ulanat. Yes. Yeah. Ulanat was the first, one. first. Yeah. So currently resides in, uh, or the carcass resides in Sothis, which is the capital of Assyrian. So whatever, yeah. I guess whatever the modern day and in, in, uh, the the 2E setting of Galarian would be. Yeah. Uh, and then the, and then, the second uh, came out the same year as the Tarask. It's called uh, Kothagaz. And they had to cut its heart into 101 pieces to keep it from <laughs> resurrect, from, to keep it from regenerating. Amazing. I love, I love these little names too, because the Tarask is the Tarask, the Armageddon engine. Yes. And Kothagaz, Dance of Disharmony. <laughs> it's so yeah. dramatic. Uh, and that actually, uh, what's great is Kothagaz has a stat block, which was featured in the Monsters of Myth book that they released, which is super okay. cool. Um, and then uh, there's also uh, uh, Chemnosit, the Monarch Worm. I don't know anything about that one. Do you? I, I Not off the top of my head. I, I mainly just focused okay. on the Tarask. Sure. Fair enough. And then there's Zotani, the Fire Bleeder. Mm -hmm. um which also has that one also has a stat block and is also featured in an adventure path adventure oh yeah what did i what did i say zotani could be jotani uh <laughs> it starts with an x anyway yeah. uh, uh we're just gonna keep it true to form with me and james uh you know i'm, I'm just inspired by james um in my history of being un unable to pronounce anything that's not plain english uh that's gonna stop like i i i actually kind of excited about this because it looks like we might end up covering these later on and maybe gabe will bring you back for those <laughs> that would be we'll super see fun. that'd be awesome yeah so i think the lesson here is that uh spawns of Rovagug are great end boss material oh i mean you'd have to be at that level <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right <laughs> uh really really cool 
I we're, we're going a little long, which I expected with this creature. It's totally fine. Uh, sure. I know you want to rant a little bit. By all means, rant a little bit. But tell tell me a little bit of rant, and then give me a little bit of uh, of uh, uh, how you would use this creature if you were like doing a homebrew uh, something. Sure. Um, I'll that that'll actually be uh, the end of my rant. Is is how the, okay, I think this perfect. sort of thing should be used. Um, <laughs> yeah. My rant is about the fifth edition Tarask specifically. My problem with it is that to me, it is a terribly made monster. And mm-hmm. it was clearly never play tested in an actual game. If it was ever play tested, they were told, okay, just make some 20th level party members. Uh, all right, you're in a room. The Tarask is on the other side of the room. Roll initiative. Because right. it, it it's a giant sack of hit points and melee damage. It, yeah. <laughs> as written, has no offense whatsoever against any sort of ranged, ranged combatant. If you can fly mm-hmm. outside of its range, there is nothing in the stat block that it can do against you. The corner case that people love to talk about, I love to talk about it, of the first level winged tiefling cleric, where if you make a winged okay. tiefling at level one, you can fly. If you're a cleric and you have the sacred flame cantrip, that's one of the few things that is not negated by its carapace. In fifth edition D&D, there isn't anything written stopping you from just flying 50 feet up in the air or whatever, and just using sacred flame for 10 hours until the Tarrasque dies. <laughs> Obviously that's stupid. I get it. That would never happen. Right. But what isn't a corner case is a 20th level party with access to flight and ranged weapons, a 20th level party, which keep in mind is 10 levels below the Tarrasque's CR would be easily able to avoid everything written in its stat block. And as long as you have a plus one weapon, which is all that its its physical resistance stops, or it stops non-magical weapons, as long as you have a plus one weapon and you can fly 60 feet up in the air, the DM has to resort to things that are not in the stat block to, right. to fight you. Of course, mm-hmm. people have said like, oh, well, it can just pick up a rock and throw it. Yes, it can. Why isn't that in the stat block? Because by the time by the time the party gets to be 20th level, there are so many ways they can get flight. Flight isn't some rare special like you can get it at level 5 easily. You can get it at level right. 1 with two of the player races. You can have it at first level. There's an there are two uncommon magic items that give you flight. One of them is unlimited flight. The other gives it to you for like four hours. There are potions of flight. There are scrolls of fly. Fly itself, again, is a third level spell. You can get it at fifth level. There are tons of other spells that can get it. There are numerous classes that just get flight at levels below 20. So if a party gets to be level 20, they're not going to get to level 20 by walking up and putting their head in the dragon's mouth. A smart party, even the melee fighters, are going to take stock of the situation. They're going to stay out of range. The Trask's a giant thing unless the Trask is burrowing out of the ground, which it can't do. They're going to see the Trask far off, probably attacking a city or something. And then they're going to say, okay, if we go into melee, this thing's going to eat us. Let's not go into melee. Let's stay flying in the air and shoot it. And in that case, the DM would have to make up an attack or or the or the trash dies or it runs away or or something. And the thing is like having it throw a rock, improvised weapons deal a d4 damage. I know that's stupid. Of course the DM could make up something else. But again, why isn't it in the stat block? 
What yeah, other yeah, monster yeah. has to rely, <laughs> has to rely on stuff not in its stat block just to challenge a party 10 levels below its CR? I think that it being CR is <laughs> CR 30 is ridiculous because yeah. in previous editions, this was also an issue. The Trask has, has uh, in like third edition, that was an issue. It didn't have a range attack then. It does have a range attack in PF2E, which is a great move because that ignores so mm-hmm. much of this. But more importantly, yeah. in all other versions of the Tarask, it has intense regeneration. Mm-hmm. Even if you could theoretically get a first level character to fly outside of its range and plink it with, you know, a D4 damage or whatever, it's not going to kill it because it's regenerating 50 hit points around. So in right. other editions of the game, the melee fighters had a reason they had to get into melee with it. Because if they mm-hmm. don't, they're doing suboptimal damage and its regeneration is probably going to outpace their damage. They took away its most noteworthy ability, regeneration, and increased its CR by 50%. It was a CR 20 <laughs> in third edition. It's a CR 50 in, or sorry, a CR, CR 30 in fifth edition. <laughs> It and might I as well don't, be 50. It might as well. <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> why they gave it a higher CR when it is, there's nothing to stop you Remarkably, from just killing yeah. it. Even if you're in melee range, you're going to kill it eventually. I mentioned yeah. earlier that in third edition, you had to cast Wish or Miracle to actually kill it. Not so in fifth edition. You just have to deal damage until it dies. Now, if... The Tarrasque was not meant to threaten the party. If it was meant to be a hazard, if it's going to destroy the city and the party has to figure out how to kill it, how to distract it, how to drive it away before it destroys the city. Awesome. 100% on board. Mm -hmm. Don't give it a monster manual entry. Don't make it a CR 30. If it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide as an epic level hazard rather than a monster... Mm-hmm. It's perfect. It is a hundred times more accurate. It's just as legendary. It's so legendary. The players can't, I mean, if you're not letting the players look in the dungeon master's guide, the players can't even just go and look at it. Like if it's in the monster manual and a player might have the monster manual, cause they're a, I don't know, summon a summoning mage or something like that. Like they're not just going to flip upon the, the Tarrasque. They might see it over the DM's shoulder and be like, what is that? So if it's presented, not as a monster, the party can eventually get to a high enough level to fight because if they do, they'll kill it. They'll have the means to kill it. If it's instead presented as an epic level hazard that can't actually be killed, it can only be driven away. That's the way you use it. The (laughs) Tarrasque isn't the monster. The city being destroyed is the monster and the party has to figure out how to stop that. So that's a shortened version of my rant. Oh, I did it man. earlier. My wife heard the entire thing. It was it was think, very long and very I embarrassing. Think, I hope James, who's behind the scenes right now, is thinking the same thing I'm thinking and going, why wasn't Gabe part of our original Tarask episode? And I know the answer is because we didn't know him then. Exactly. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been nice. I hope we can even just clip, without my, my laughs, just clip that rant and just release an excerpt. <laughs> with your permission, it's fine with that's me. amazing. It. it actually brings me it brings uh, me to uh, it reminds me that um, that James and I, as much as we love like off the cuff like 
analytics to these stat blocks and stuff that we come up with some stuff as we're doing the research sure. we don't really get too hard into the theory crafting of encounter building like on air as as it were and you should so, not like, yeah so the, the the very idea that like the whole produce flame thing and flying away at a low level like just like that blew my mind like i and yeah. i know there's people out there doing that with 5e and stuff like that because there's there's so little uh support and balance in in a lot of 5e elements uh that uh you kind of have to like just go crazy and like be over analytical sure. and then like create your own stuff and and then like bend the rules or like you know you know look at a rule and go well it's not clear so you can be interpreted this way yada 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 like we don't really do that sure. uh but i know there's loads of people that do and it's always amazing to hear <laughs> when people have like nailed something down like that <laughs> it just cracks me up <laughs> i just i keep hoping that one day there will be an errata that's like oops we meant to give it regeneration 50 obviously we yeah. meant to give it regeneration 50 but uh <laughs> hasn't happened oh amazing well, that was awesome. I'm so happy with that, Gabe. Thank you very <laughs> Thank much you. for taking me through the Tarasque. Uh Gabe, I, I think this is on our airwaves the first time you're actually going to be heard, uh, okay. though we have done some things with you in the past, um, and you can expect something coming up ahead uh, with Gabe very, very prominently featured uh, 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 that will launch the Uncharted feeds, uh, as well as his own feeds. Um, Gabe, Last last chance uh, or last moment here, I should say, to uh, plug yourself. Where can people find you? What are you working on now? And what do you have coming up? Sure. So I previously made a podcast for five years called Interparty Conflict. Freeman guested on episode 240. So go check that out. Um, and at the moment, I'm working on making an actual play podcast with uh, some friends of the show. And it, it's been difficult. We had uh, some major setbacks that, uh, that, that came up a few months ago, but we're on track and can't give any sort of a, a release date, but hopefully within the next year, we'll have, have something coming out for our listeners and it's going to be a lot of fun. Amazing. I will be eagerly waiting for that because I know you're doing something a little, little different and a little off the beaten path. Uh, compared a little bit. To most, right. So <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, and I'm sure we will have Gabe uh, on here again sometime in the near future, whether it's for a, a bonus one shot or a different game or just another ET episode. As long as you're game, Gabe, we are absolutely game to have you again. I would, I would love to. You guys are awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Gabe. That was wicked. Uh, and uh, I guess we will uh, we'll see you soon and on to the next one. All right, friends. It's the moment you've all been dreading. Yep. You know what it is. It's the enemy at the gates. The collaborator in both interpretations of the word. We have seen fit to invite a proven rival into our trap of friendship and cooperation. I am Freeman, the veiled Master Eisen, and with James, the faceless stalker kid behind the scenes, we present to you none other than the wicked mind behind the Roll for Intent podcast, Trevor, scum of the earth, pain. I was waiting for the scum reference. I was waiting for it. <laughs> Had to happen eventually. <laughs> Trevor gave me three nicknames to play with, so I went with it. <laughs> Uh, welcome, Trevor, to episode 100 of Encounter This. You are one of many guests, and uh, you have chosen a creature that's going to take a little longer than most, I think. But I'm here for it. I'm excited. Uh, we're going to be covering, uh, well, I guess it depends how, you, how, you, how you're going to bother calling it. In, in the 2E tense, it's going to be called the Algolthu Master, although it can also, I think, be called by the 5E name which was our episode 99. So it's pretty recent recovering here. Um, uh, the Abolith, 
So uh, the floor is pretty much yours. I, I've been pairing a drink with each of these episodes that I didn't warn anybody about. Uh, so today I will be sipping on a beer uh, called Euphoria, which is what I imagine a lot of a lot of creatures go through when uh, enslaved by these horrible creatures. Um, and uh, it's a proper percentage. So don't let me drink too fast, Trevor. Don't take up too much time. <laughs> well, if I would have known, I would have pulled down one of my scotches. I think I have one that's perfect for it. <laughs> oh, well, you know. Something yeah, dark and smoky <laughs> like Lefroy Glore or something. Ah, uh, delicious. <laughs> Would have been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's let's talk about the Algol Thu, uh, or however you like to pronounce it, <laughs> and um, and all of, all of the jazz uh, uh, surrounding it. Because I know there's a lot more, especially stat block wise and and sort of different creature wise than than there was in Five E. Uh, so the floor is yours, my friend. Well, when when you came to me initially, I had another creature in mind that I was looking at, um, which I don't know if anybody else is doing that, but it's something that I really like. But the lore for 1E and 2E, Pathfinder, for it is really, really sparse. Really bad. Like nothing compared to the 5E and 3.5 and AD&D lore for that creature. So then when I saw uh, you had Aboleths that you had actually marked as off-limits because there's so much stuff about them. Uh, mm -hmm. And honestly, Aboleths and uh, uh, Algolthu are my absolute favorite monsters in Paizo. <laughs> to me, if D&D &D has the dragon as their like keystone monster, for me, it's the Aboleth in, Pi in uh, Paizo stuff. Uh, okay. You go all the way cool. back to like the very last... AP that Paizo published in Dungeon Magazine, the antagonists were Aboleths. Um, we've got yeah. you know ruins of Aslant. Spoilers. Um, cover your ears if you're going to play that one e adventure path. Yeah. <laughs> Goes all the way back to Aboleths. The the primary moment, one of the like biggest events in the entire Paizoverse and Galarian is instigated by the Aboleths. They truly are the veiled masters that are pulling the strings behind everything on Galarian up to a certain point and some would argue mm -hmm. they still are yeah <laughs> yeah i i would and i would sit and listen to that argument because <laughs> it's fascinating <laughs> so, oh they're so cool uh, i mean anytime yeah. that i can like get these things in a campaign i will because they're they're just ripe for just they're powerful fighters they're schemers they're incredibly intelligent they're freakishly charismatic they're actually aliens like they're they're nuts. They're absolutely yeah. <laughs> crazy creatures. And they're yeah. so, their design is alien. They feel terrifying. They like tap into that thalassophobia feeling of this huge oh, yeah. monstrosity living under the water that isn't just a mindless killing machine, but knows how to make you suffer while it kills you. Yeah. They're great. It's not Not quite as erratic as, say, the Kraken. But, you know, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and even a little bit smaller, but somehow far more terrifying, you know. And for those of you that are blissfully unaware of what Thalassophobia is, it is the fear of the deep, dark ocean and the things that may mm. dwell within it. Yeah. And or open water where that's all you can see. Exactly. <laughs> I, as a I've not done. <laughs> I've not terrified. done much like open deep water <laughs> stuff, but I did not enjoy mm. it. No, <laughs> it's just a little bit too nerve wracking. Eh? Oh yeah, no, not not a. Not yeah, I, I I I have uh, incredible uh, fearful respect for the ocean and the water. 
All right. Well, tell so, me, tell me about. Uh, I mean, tell me about these creatures. Tell me how they operate, and uh, you know what's in, what's involved with them. And, and I, uh, like I said, I know there's other, there's very much other creatures. It's not just these Algothu, these Aboleths. There's so much more going on, right? Right. These things, to begin with, are fish monsters, right? That's like the beginning. If you look at an Aboleth, oh look, it's a eel thing. It's kind of mm -hmm. creepy looking. But there's so much more than that. Uh, the most common version of the actual algal go through, not any of their servitor races or anything like that, is going to be the Algothu Master or what in D&D uh, &D would have been just an Aboleth. Um, they're right. huge creatures. Um, they are among the first intelligent races on Galarian. Uh, they came eons and eons before even the rise of the serpent folk to galarian and uh in order to flee from uh some mistakes they made on their home planet when they created some servitor races that had a slave rebellion uh mm -hmm. they essentially combined all of their power and sent some uh specific uh entities through as these aboleth masters to various planets to try to seed life and take control of any planet they they had uh, access to. They have a series of core tenets that life exists to be controlled. An Algolothu should be the one controlling them. Algolothus are eternal and many as one, one. They're like a hive mind almost. And to overreach by their servitor races is to threaten the eternal. They are disdainful of the gods. They hate them. In fact, some say that the sin of the Aslanti that caused the imposition of Earthfall by the Algothu was their temerity to believe in the gods. Mm. <laughs> I love this because there's already a small like parallel to a degree um, from the 5e lore in that. Um, so the Aboleth and 5e, they, they existed before the gods and it was the gods that actually overthrew their empire and forced all of them to like let, let all their slaves or like freed all the slaves. And uh, so they have this like incredible, intense hatred for the gods. And uh, now they basically now secretly plan for who knows how long for like untold eons, as it said, uh, to over re overthrow the gods themselves. Uh, so, yeah, there, you can see a few par parallels in there, which is pretty cool. Now, Earthfall was meant to completely obliterate the human civilization that they had essentially brought up through cave dwellers, right? On yeah. Galarian. Um, and it was stopped by one of, not really stopped, but it was hampered. Impact was limited. <laughs> it was hamstrung, yeah. mitigated yeah. Yeah. There you by go. <laughs> the Eslanti goddess of the moon, Akavna, yeah. who gave her life mm. to deflect the incoming meteor. It shattered it, yeah. killed her, um, and it still obliterated Galarian, um, but it did not completely eliminate all life on the surface. Yeah. Um, and also led to the Starstone. Um, falling into the inner sea region, which is another one of those big uh, uh, identifying important instigating events within the whole Galarian lore. And then further and on, even into Starfinder lore, it's things. all because of these things. Yeah, yeah. Not only are they like master schemers and, and secretive, but they are flesh warpers. They probably wouldn't even call it flesh warping. Uh, they... Mm essentially genetically engineer things like that that would what we would be calling them it's not just base you know splicing pieces together and making things happen right. you know like the drow would do 
they are creating things from whole cloth, taking the best bits of things and selectively breeding them until they create several servitor races, like mm -hmm. the Faceless Stalkers and the Scum and the Azarketi are all technically servitor races of the Avalaths that were created before Earthfall. Yeah. Uh, hell of a thing. I, I remember reading um, what, what I've read so far of like second edition uh, flesh warping, but these creatures do not come up. You get like talk of Nexian and certainly Drow, and, and I think there's at least one other. I forget off the top of my head, but those are like the main ones that are that are like known in in the wide world, as it were. Um, with these these creatures, obviously, probably being very secretive, I imagine um, uh, people don't know much about them to begin with. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I don't think it. I don't think they would call it flesh warping. You know, genetic engineering makes way more sense. Uh, it's, it's I think they would be insulted. Process. By the drow yeah. attempt of flesh warping. <laughs> I think that they would be incensed yeah. that they would consider themselves as one with them, as right. one with the true yeah. masters, you know. Because flesh warping is a very sloppy, messy process that's a lot of trial and error with mostly error. And uh, I would imagine these creatures would not settle for something as uh, as uh, messy as that. No, I, I feel that uh, Agalothus from top to bottom are like everything about them is precision like everything mm -hmm. has to be perfect or they're not going to do it right yeah and these things are 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 huge right these aren't just like a large creature or even a humanoid sized creature they are at home in the water um they have really high swim speed uh you do not want to find one of them in their natural habitat uh, yeah <laughs> but they can get on land through various means they are powerful magic users they can use items to their advantage to do pretty awful things they don't like hoard wealth mm -hmm. like a dragon um they don't seek things for just the the mere act of seeking it everything they right. do has a purpose you are never going to have a uh, algolothu doing something on a whim every single thing yeah. is measured and purposeful mm -hmm. and usually yeah. awful yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's one of those things, uh, again, with 5e, a slight parallel there where um, the, they basically are, uh, every time they spawn a new one, so they give birth or, or what have you, there's a new generation, they automatically pass on a perfect recollected memory of everything they know. And so every time you get a new generation, it's it's literally got however many generations behind it, a perfect recollection. And so ev and using that is, they use that to, to be exacting and to do their planning and everything, everything, absolutely every movement and action and plan is with a very, very particular. It's purpose. a lot like Benny Gesserit, uh, genetic memory from Dune. Very much okay. the same thing. Uh, I don't know Dune very well, but uh, I recently have been, been picking up some, some tidbits here and there with the, the film and, and uh, uh, some podcasts playing the game and stuff like that. But yeah. I, I feel neat. like, I feel like when, these creatures were created there was some of that looking at that mm -hmm. sort of thing in it where it is a very secretive society that controls things from the outside if you run into one you know you're screwed because they are exceptionally powerful um yeah. and they have the ability to just pass along the memory um i i really think and and they kind of gloss over this a bit i really think honestly that aboleths are like a pseudo hive mind they're a little bit more than mm -hmm. the perfect recollection, um, specifically mm -hmm. because of one of their tenets that they are eternal as many and as one. When they 
went through their portals from their home world into various places, they combined their essences to make more powerful versions of themselves. So they had, you know, essentially created the best of themselves to send out. This is another one of those. Um, back to another weird fandom, uh, like <laughs> the uh, the God Emperor in uh, in Warhammer, right? The whole okay. mythos behind that is mm -hmm. a bunch of powerful psychers, air quote, psychic users combine their essences to make the most perfect version of themselves, right? Very right. much the same thing, and then sent it off to fight against whatever they wanted to fight against at the time. Right. <laughs> now, with yeah. that one, it was very altruistic. With the Avalettes, very much not. They're like, oh, great, let's just go find another world to ruin. Let's just do it. Let's go. Yeah. So after the Earthfall happened, lots of things died, right? Whole surface of the world is devastated. The whole surface of Galarian is devastated. But a lot of the Agalothi died as well. Most of them did mm -hmm. go into hibernation, but they were not protected because of how Earthfall happened. It became, you know, a meteorite storm instead of one giant meteor. They It was not predicted, so a lot of them died. So from once having this vast empire, it shrunk down significantly in the time after Earthfall. Um, their numbers have gone up, but not only did, did their numbers dwindle, but all these servitor races that numbered once in the thousands upon thousands upon thousands became scattered. They forgot their past. They forgot who mm. they originally served. But you can see in the way that these creatures are written, and I don't know if we'll get into that, but that original programming still resides in them in the way that they work, in the way that they operate, yeah. in the way that you can run them as a GM. Yeah, it, sound, uh, it sounds a, a, a slight bit like uh, like 5e attempted to have to, to bring in an, another creature that was a little more closer to do a direct servitor of something like this called the deep scion um they don't think they directly linked them uh to the abolith uh specifically but it was a really obvious connection you could use with this creature they're effectively created through like a ritual or something something like that we did cover it on on encounter this year but um but yeah uh, they didn't really give much more than that um so uh yeah tell me tell me about some of the servitors like what do you, what do you got for for them and and what what kind of what kind of lingers in them do you think so the big ones that you see a lot in the game in the writing of different adventure paths um one of the biggest ones that you see all the time are faceless stalkers faceless stalkers mm -hmm. are shapeshifters all the infiltration yeah. agents inexplicably they're drawn to coastlines even though their physiology doesn't necessarily need it they like mm. water, they like marshes, but they're not aquatic, nor are they amphibious, right? Okay. While the Algolothu hated the worship of gods, they instilled in these things the worship of the Algolothu. Because of that, the faceless stalkers are searching for something to serve. They find themselves in cults. They are worshippers, typically of something like Galandur or Nimbaloth or one of the other uh, deities that would be considered less savory, typically that would have yeah. cults hiding away mm -hmm. in marshes and swamps and coastal regions. Yeah, so you're getting into like, you know, uh, the it's likely, you know, the sort of uh, elder, uh, the great old ones or the outer gods effectively for, for Pathfinder lore. Because in 5e, it's the elder evils they're called, but it's, it's basically that Cthulian sort of, uh, uh section of of uh worship and stuff like that and uh, i think in pathfinder specifically it's called the the dark tapestry um so in the galarian universe something like that anyway there's the dark tapestry but beyond there mm -hmm. there's also dominion of the black 
right. which yes. is yeah. <laughs> to me, Aboleths definitely represent one of the races that make up the Dominion of the Black. In my opinion, mm-hmm. they are alien. Okay. They're from a far off planet. Just because they've been here a long time, they are still just as alien as mm. these other things that come. Because Migo yeah. are, sure. you know, Lovecraftian, right? It's a Lovecraftian creature. Yeah. But it's part of Dominion of the Black, right? They're not dark yeah. tapestry. They're Dominion of the Black. They're mm-hmm. aliens. Intellect of ours are in, uh, Dominion of the Black. They're all right. aliens, right? To me, mm-hmm. Abolas very much feed into these are creatures that are technically Dominion of the Black. And if you were going um into that sort of that sort of campaign where you wanted to have something like that and connect it to the overall world better abolas fit the bill to me yeah it's uh, definitely a shoe in for your uh, at the very least introduction if not uh, uh, the meat of, of the story you're telling uh definitely so uh, so tell me more back about to the faceless stalkers what, yeah, yeah so the faceless stalkers their whole point was to be the eyes and ears of the masters within human societies because while the most powerful ones, the um, veiled masters, uh, the videleths, uh, they can shapeshift into humans. They can shapeshift into anything okay. at will, whenever they want to. But that's a very small amount of them. That's the most powerful of them. So they needed eyes and ears in human settlements. Um, right. They needed to, to know the goings-on, but they also needed to make sure that individual humans and individual communities did not become too powerful without the oversight of the Aboleths uh, allowing it. So one of the things that you can see happening, because these things are natural infiltrators and they sow dissent and deceit, uh, something that you can do as a GM with this these things is you can have three or four of these creatures in a town and literally all they do is squander the town's resources. They cause panics, they cause uh, awful things to happen, and then they suggest the worst possible way to deal with it and are very good Mm -hmm. at convincing people to follow those plans. They're they're high charisma, high deception, high diplomacy creatures. Yeah, at least dramatic points that like sway people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another weird thing about them, and this is kind of their tell, and this is the thing that kind of makes these things extremely creepy. They're clay-like bodies. Um, Mm. They are... They don't really have discernible organs. They're like a mass of like a bentonite clay. They stretch and they're, they're heavy. They're heavier than a human of the same amount of size. They're solid. They don't have any organs and they feed exclusively on blood through a three tipped proboscis that they shoot out from their faces and eat things. Now that's like their blood suckers. (laughs) That's the giveaway. Like that's something that if you, if you want to telegraph, to your players, and this is something that I think is really, really fun. It's something that I've done in my yeah. show is yeah. if you want to telegraph to your players that they need to be terrified that there's faceless stalkers around, leave a couple corpses with three holes in them. And then yeah. they are looking <laughs> under every single rock for a faceless stalker. And it's really yeah. fun. Yeah. Fun for them and fun for you, honestly, as a GM. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love watching them scramble. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but they don't even know what they are. They have no idea that they're correct, connected with Aboleths. They will. They just um, sort of do this collectively on right? instinct then. Eh? Like, they do it they on do instinct. It, they, co- they cooperate. They collaborate. They do it together. But they just do it because that's how they're programmed. That's, that's their it. programming. If they find something that wants to use them, they will immediately pledge their service to them. They will immediately work for something that allows them to do what they were created to do, 
on instinct and they have no idea Basically why giving it ever ever slightly more purpose perhaps yeah. exactly like if you've uh, got a lamia or a lamia matriarch or something that's scheming and stuff fantastic mm -hmm. thing for them to like fall into just a cult uh you know they could just hang out around a particularly powerful bugbear or something like mm -hmm. they want something that has a stronger will than them to direct them to do things yeah I cool. think they're really fun cool. and they can fit anywhere yeah. in a game. You can make them yeah, they, they are, live in yeah, the universe anywhere. They, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to the, uh, it, it didn't, they didn't quite uh, get to uh, finishing it, but the glass cannon did, did start trying to do the ruins of Aslan. And there was so much of that, uh, that ended up like really just creating a panic amongst the, the intro to that game. I think we crossed the first two books even or something. And it was in retrospect, you know, Skid did a really good job of that. Cause you're like, uh, you really undermined the whole thing. Uh, and everything you're saying just makes right. sense. Like, I've never really, really looked up faces the like dinner party much, like, in you know, that. It was it was intense. Yeah, <laughs> that dinner party scene that ends up being the big fire and stuff. That's insane because they're yeah, still looking yeah. for. Last I listened to them, they were still watching out for uh, faceless stalkers in the hole. Oh uh, yeah, you know, they, they, they have solid bodies in the heart. The just, joke is that they, they were punch just punching them in the gut. everyone in the gut yeah. <laughs> to see if they were. <laughs> They get a really funny joke, but a very effective strategy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. They're they're denser and heavier oh, than a regular person. Yeah. But that's not the only uh, server so what, race that they created, right? Yeah, because you mentioned the scum. The scum are weird. Um, the scum are fish dudes. <laughs> they are fish creatures uh that are a little bit less genetically modified and more along the lines of like a Lord of the Rings orc or Urukai where they are bred from human stock. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were, um, they're called Ulatkini, which is the name of the research facility in which they were created. So the Abolas have their own freaking <laughs> Area 51. So they're Fantastic. Named after the research facility. They were the foot That's soldiers. Like they were the army of the Agalothu during the height of Agalothu Empire during the time of the Aslanti. There were mm. probably more scum uh Ulatkini prowling the coastlines than there were Aslanti soldiers. They Crazy. numbered in the Crazy. hundreds of thousands, if not millions, mm. in the time before Earthfall. In the time after Earthfall, a lot of them died off, but uh, they are a constant threat on coastlines, and their numbers mm -hmm. have degraded significantly since the time of uh, Earthfall for a couple reasons. Uh, not as much as you would think. So the first one is they can't breed on their own. Mm -hmm. They are they you know this is this kind of a fantasy trope but they have to kidnap women right and they okay. have hybrid hybrid creatures that's very much they have the ends mouth look if you want to put it that way uh very much okay. lovecraftian yeah. a half human half fish hybrid thing that can mm. pass as human but upon their death they rapidly transform into a scum Okay. Now, you would think that that would cause a problem for their numbers, except for the second fact about the scum is that they're functionally immortal. They cannot die of old age. They can only be okay. Uh, they can be killed. I mean, they're not particularly sure. hardy, uh, but they 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 cannot die of old age. Uh, so their numbers have dwindled. Uh, is, um, that, is that reasonable? Is that true throughout these creatures, though? Is that not true? Because I'm genuinely not sure. But I know in Five E that it was kind of the same. Like Avalus could not be could not die of old age or disease or anything. And if, if that you did kill one, their spirit actually went back to the plane of water 
reformed within weeks or months and then they had to find their way back to the material plane i don't think that there's could reset i don't know that there's anything specifically written for that lore for galarian i would not surprise okay. me if that's been in a source book somewhere but it's not something that i could find sure. find in my research up for this sure. now i sure. like that idea going back to how they first came to mm -hmm. um galarian and you know fuse their essences almost like they create they go back to one hole that generates new ones as it has enough power um to do so i like that idea um mm -hmm. and i would probably write these things as being functionally immortal as well i mean if they can make their creations yeah, functionally immortal there's yeah. no reason that they wouldn't have done the same to themselves this is one of those things too, uh, you know, we covered so many D and D stuff and there's so much material from the previous editions that like, sometimes it just feeds, you know, the idea that, you know, you, you always often became disappointed. Like, why didn't 5e include that? That's really cool. Or why did 5e like write that over and like change it? It'd be really cool. But a lot of the old stuff you would find is like origin stories, which were usually a bit of a mystery. And then like, you know, reproduction cycles and like ecology and stuff like that, that would cover in like, you know, the, the third edition stuff all the time. And so uh, I love it. It's like, you know, you're saying the scum can't reproduce, but I'm, it's, I'm sitting here wondering, how do the face of stalkers reproduce? Is that written down? If not, then is it safe to assume that they just do live forever until, until they're killed? And like, how do you create new ones? Are the I'd like to still think doing that yada, yada, yada. I'd yada, like yada. to think that the uh, face of stalkers reproduce like by budding. They're like coral polyps. I like that idea. Okay. Plus it makes yeah, it really right. unsettling cool. in a whole other layer. Yeah, seriously. In my opinion. <laughs> you just grossed me out. Thanks. <laughs> I, I had written this really um, interesting and I, I might run it for somebody in the future, but the whole conceit of the entire thing is I was going to like force them to have a specific background. So that's something I've been mm -hmm. playing with, with games is saying like, all right, if, if you're in this, right, you can build your character however you want, but you have to pick this background. And the whole yeah. idea is that they were investigating a series of disappearances um, and it pointed to face of stalkers and eventually led to their Aboleth master that was trying to gain a little bit of a fiefdom in the Puddles district in Absalom, right? Uh, yeah. And you find out that the PCs are faceless stalkers that forgot they were faceless stalkers. <laughs> like i thought that i've always have thought that'd be a cool idea and that's something that i've, I've considered as well like if yeah. you are a shape-shifting creature and a part mm -hmm. of your shape-shifting ability something about the face of stalkers is they you know absorb the memories of the things that they've turned into and the mannerisms and stuff right mm -hmm. if you embody something for so long that you is does the possibility exist that you forget what you were to begin with right i think that's a yeah. really interesting if you're I mean, functionally immortal already sure. and you yeah, are yeah, yeah copying a creature that has an abnormally long lifespan like an elf or or something along those lines yeah and you know you're not going to yeah. die normally you think you're not going to mm -hmm. die do you remember when you were right you know who knows i guess that yeah it begs the question uh, does the the perfect recollection of memory is that uh, you know sort of engineered into them or not you know i would imagine not probably for very specific purposes you know for you know avoiding things like rebellion and stuff like that but so maybe, if they do reproduce by something, right? If they do repro mm -hmm. reproduce by fission or something like that, who's to say that, you know, some of the the copying has caused some loss over time of, of yeah. like the perfect blueprint, you know? For sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, you have some of that in the scum as well, right? Like mm -hmm. while there were these gigantic communities, you've just got few scattered pockets 
except for in the Darklands, in Orv, in the deepest regions of the Darklands, right? There's mm -hmm. a deep sunless sea that's ruled by Avaleths, and they have continued to perfect their research on the scum and have further mm -hmm. differentiated them into different castes and having specific um, uh, uh, functions for the different types of scum that they've created. And it's a whole functioning society not just like mm -hmm. roving war bands of scum like it is on the surface, right? So obviously yeah. the Aboleths have uh, an eye towards perfecting their creations whenever they possibly can. Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's such a cool thing. There's now, so much you can do with these yeah. things. Uh, are we coming, oh, we must be coming close to the, do you have anything else before we hit to the stat block? Because I, I've- I guess the very question. final thing is we, we haven't talked about them, yeah. but there is a big bad mamma jamma version of these things. Okay, that's, right? that's what I was going to ask. Right. Yeah, okay. You go for it then, yeah. You have these things called the Veiled Masters, which are everything mm -hmm. about the Algolothu turned up to 11. They're more powerful. Right. They have um, better stats. They're double the, the threat rating of the others. Mm -hmm. They can shape change they have more spells honestly i think that based on a few things about the stat block i think they're overtuned a little bit they're listed as a level 14 creature they should probably be listed as like a 16 in my opinion based on a few things <laughs> on top of the fact that like they are an underwater creature so you have like if you're gonna right. fight you're fighting one of these them things, underwater you're yeah, fighting yeah, them yeah. underwater which is a whole other level that's like adding a hazard yeah. on top of your combat right yeah um yeah. You, you, yeah, you would have to be presumed to be like prepared to fight underwater by, by level 14 or, or some or, or right, similar exactly. level. Exactly. You must, you, you know, the adventure you're running on, I would, I would hope it has prepared you to a degree to be doing that so that it's not nearly as uh, taxing. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they have really weird ways to deal with that as well. And I guess we'll probably mm -hmm. get to that when we get into the stat block because the mm -hmm. Veiled Master, as opposed to the Agalothu Master, their features aren't significantly different. It's just that the DCs are ramped up and the damage is ramped up and it's just worse in every possible way to come up against one. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Well, I mean, I, I certainly have always found these things fascinating. You've, you've added, you've added reasons why I love it. Um, let's, let's talk stat block. Let's go for it. Um, we're going to cover the Algolfu master since that seems to be the, uh, the big one is—is is that right? Uh, that's like sort of the, yeah, the think... one you're most likely to to come across, right? Um, as like the as the villain. Yeah, if I we're talking as the top billing, the top billing for mm -hmm. this this you know class of creatures, Al Agalothu. Yeah, this is definitely the top yeah. billing. This is the one that like oh, if you see a scum, whatever. If you see a face of stock or whatever. If you see an Agalothu master and you're not ready for it, you're screwed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's that's what I want to hear about. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, hit me. What, what, are we, what are we working with? So these are a level seven creature. Um, they have right. an AC of 23, which is not insane for a level seven creature. Um, it's pretty okay. good, but it's not nuts. Yeah. But they are damage sinks. They have 135 HP, which is at the higher end for a level seven creature. Uh, they are okay. huge and lawful evil. What else would they possibly be but lawful evil? Yeah. I cannot <laughs> imagine them being anything but lawful evil. Yeah. Oh, they have the aquatic the, trait. Uh, they dance the beat of their own drum. Exactly. <laughs> they have the aquatic yeah. trait, which means they breathe water um, and mm -hmm. must breathe water. Uh, and they're also yeah, they aberrations. Can, cannot breathe They air cannot all, breathe air. Right? Exactly. You did um, say they can get around on land a little bit, but but it's probably not to their benefit unless they have a little something extra I don't know about. But. Right, exactly. 
Um, it, they, they have a really slow move speed on land, kind of like how like a giant squid would 10 feet on land. Mm-hmm. Um, but underwater, they got a 60 foot move speed. You are not going to get out ahead of them. No, nope. uh, the only things that are faster are going to be squids and octopuses and krakens that have the jet, you know, and they can do 120, right? You know, feet in okay. a round or in a in a in an mm-hmm. action. They're uncommon creatures. Uh, I kind of am suspect of that. I would probably have tagged these as rare and therefore up their uh, recall knowledge okay. DCs. Uh, yeah, but they're uh, they're aberrations, so they key off of occultism. It's DC twenty five check. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just a have... quick look here. The veiled master is rare. So there is that. Right. So the Veiled Master absolutely is rare. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the lores, you know, you drop that down by a step. So, you know, it goes down to 23 <laughs> for non-specific. For non-specific, I would say something like sea lore or ocean lore or Aslant lore or something like right. that. And if you went on specific lore, I would key off of something like Dark Tapestry or Dominion of the Black or mm-hmm. Aberration lore or uh you know under dark lore i would probably give something that's a less common lore to have reward the player for having the less common lore by giving them that benefit here Mm -hmm. there are like sort of groupings some of some of them sort of official some of them unofficial that you'll see on archives of nephis which is like you know obviously one of the best sources for for this information for uh you know official information and they're called like a family of monsters so you know you'll get like undead families and a water elemental families and stuff like that. And they just kind of list stat blocks that, that feature very similar things. And, uh, and this one just, it, I don't know if it's official one or not, but it's an algol foo family. Um, so like, I, I'd almost like say, you know, along the way, if your characters are like learning about these creatures they're probably encountering scum and faceless stalkers and stuff like that. And they learn that they're maybe part of this family, you know, a, a player might actually invest in algal through family lore or some, some such. And that'd be another example that would be hyper specific, but right. I would a, probably give an extra bonus. You could provide. Probably, and, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Either that or give really, them really like the kitchen sink of, of knowledge check. Recall yeah. knowledge <laughs> info whenever they get it. Yeah. Give them one degree of success higher every time or something. Exactly. Like yeah. <laughs> something ridiculous. Yeah. It's like they have whatever, know it all or whatever the, it's quite uh, the that investment. is. Yeah. 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 Uh, they're not super perceptive. These are not high wisdom creatures. I'm sorry. That's a lie. They are high wisdom creatures, but their perception isn't as high as you would think for a creature at this level. Okay. Sure. I think that's because they have one eye. I, I think it's, it's uh, honestly, I think it's prejudiced against Aboleths for having one eye to give oh, them a low more perception. Of a, yeah, more of a biological thing than anything. Well, yeah. they've got, they actually got three eyes, but they're like, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Other, See, I don't, I don't way. look at yeah. pictures. I don't play with minis. I just read the books. <laughs> Um, but still, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're massive aquatic creatures, like, you know, in big oceans, you know, it makes sense to me that they're, they probably have way more at their disposal than just looking at stuff, you know? You would think, but they don't have any imprecise or precise sense beyond vision and dark vision. I would think they would almost have like the, the water sense, kind of like the tremor sense or air sense, air currents. Yeah, I would have thought the same. Yeah. I probably would give it to them if I was running one of these in the right scenario, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even if it's imprecise, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like they know sense. something's yeah. moving in the water, even if they can't see it. Yeah. Uh, for languages, they just got you know the the slate of aberration languages, the slate of aberration underdark languages: common, aclo, yeah, aquan, undercommon, and algolothu. 
as if okay. they didn't need more things unique to them. They have their own language. <laughs> they got their own language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Just brings me back to episode two. Yetis. Did you hear the Yetis? <laughs> Speak Yeti? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <In> 5e. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no idea when that's ever going to be used, but it's been a joke ever since we read it. <laughs> what a crazy thing. I actually played in a game not too long ago where we ran into a Yeti and it spoke Yeti and nobody spoke Yeti. So we were all like pantomiming words to the thing. It was a good time. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> so I already talked about the speeds on this thing, 10 feet on land as it, you know, kind of does the worm across the ground. Uh, yep. 60 feet in the water because it's a big fish. Uh, these are strong creatures. These are incredibly powerful, despite, you know, being these masters of intellect. They have a plus five strength mm -hmm. mod, only plus one dex. Mm -hmm. Their con okay. is absurd. Back to, they have really high HP. They got a plus six con. Int is plus three, which is something that's always kind of con confused me with them. I always would have considered these to have a higher int than a plus three, you know? I probably would have mm -hmm. considered these a plus yeah. four. Um, but, you know, if you're doing your monster building table, something has to give, right? And yeah, you're not going to give on strength. You're not going to give on wisdom, their will, and you're not going to give mm -hmm. on charisma, their ability to, to deceive and, and weave plots. Right. So something's got to yeah. give, and I guess it's going to be end. Yeah. I guess a quick glance at the veiled master too. There, it does actually go over the wisdom. Uh, so it does end up um, becoming higher at the higher stat right. for, for the, uh, the, the person at the top of the chain, I guess. But yeah. For their skills, uh, there's just a few. Athletics, big, strong creature. Use those athletics maneuvers. Mm -hmm. Shove, grab with a bite, you know. Um, trip in the water. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, in why not? Intimidate sure is high. <laughs> uh, they got a plus 15 yep. for intimidation um, and a plus 16 for occultism. I know that they have a deception, but it did not make it into my listing, unfortunately. Uh, it's 15. I see it here. That's a yeah. 15. Yeah. So those it's face skills are high. Those mm -hmm. face skills are high. Now, not diplomacy. I probably would have liked to see that. But back to when you create a monster in, five, in, in 2E, there are specific, very good rules as to how those yeah. stat allocations go. So something's got to give. Yeah. And if you would have given this thing a plus 15 diplomacy, um, that would have been stupid. I mean, you just couldn't do it and make it a balanced creature. It talk its way at anything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you can pick one lore. You can pick one lore of any subcategory. So if you have, you know, oh. an Ableth, I, I like that this is unique, right? This is a unique thing mm -hmm. that you can take this Ableth because they have different functions in society. Maybe this is a bit of a bookworm Ableth. Maybe he specifically right. studied how to uh, worm his way into a specific settlement and he spent the last 30 years studying everything about Absalom, right? Mm -hmm. So he's got, you know, plus 14 Absalom, Absalom lore. lore. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Or, you yeah, know, cool. he's been studying a specific type of item so he has like a plus 15 uh you know item lore or curse lore or something like mm -hmm. that a very specialized creature because this is a level seven creature when you've got a high enough campaign you you're playing with like level 12 or something you can run into two mm -hmm. of these as well at once make them some research yeah. partners or something give them some uniqueness oh, sure. yeah, yeah. between the two of them give them a little abbott and costello yeah. vibe if you want to that'd be fun and if, if you really if you really want to subvert the whole system just give it diplomacy lore call it a day perfect exactly there you go Got it. <laughs> i 
<laughs> I like that. I like that. It's um, it's like how I build characters. It's very Munchkin, and I dig it. <laughs> Such a Munchkin. It's very uh, Munchkin. I like it. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> Make a note. You're welcome for that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, Fort Save is ridiculous. 15. Will is just right behind it at 16. But like I said, something's got to give. They have a very low reflex of plus 10. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just when, uh, the larger creature gets, the more I expect that, right? Like exactly. It, the yeah. AC is always a bit lower. The dex is usually a bit lower, and the reflex is, is going to be almost negligible. That's almost always so. One of the things that I, I have problems with in the system for this, uh, for the case of Versimilitude, right? You see this a lot with large flying creatures, like very large dragons or something like that. You see this with large underwater creatures. You see this with large burrowing creatures like uh, mm-hmm. like a boulette, right? They have low reflex. Mm-hmm. If yeah. they're in their standard terrain, can, can you trip something digging in a hole? Can you <laughs> yeah. trip something while flying? Can you trip it while swimming? Like, yes, yeah. raw, you can, but mm-hmm. it feels dumb and I don't like it. Yeah. So to me, yeah. sometimes these are half, half-hearted, you know, uh, sure. uh, negatives to the creature, right? Because how are you going to capitalize on that little reflex? Sure, a breath weapon. Okay, what's your breath weapon? Is it fire? Are you underwater? Yeah. What are you going to do with that? Because so, we we do see creatures that get certain bonuses on based on their terrain, which is nice. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. usually something like, you know, in this terrain, it's kind of better camouflage, which gets a boost to its stealth on its hive checks kind of thing, which is right. great. It's great to have. However, you're not wrong. It, it would be it would be kind of it would be cool to see. You know, but that being said, like, you know, with a with a burrowing creature, for example, like, how would you even go about attempting to trip it if you're not also burrowing? You know, so it kind of negates the, the complaint there in a way. Um, I mean, if you are burrowing, so, fly less so. But yeah, but, you know, if you're both burrowing, then you're like, OK, how does this work? That doesn't, that doesn't really make any sense. But you got to you got to cross that threshold first. Now, like, yeah. am I even burrowing? Why would I even bother to trip something that's burrowing when I'm not burrowing? It's not even a question anymore. You know, for the most of the time is what I'm getting. At. Right. Uh, so when it does come up, you know, it's it, you're right. It's something like, you know, what what do we do here? What's the point? You know, <laughs> can you're going to have really that same thing for like slime discretion always or gelatinous cubes yeah. Yeah. or right or like sure. uh, a snake. Like I'm yep. going to trip a python. Good luck. Yep. Hey, for all. Yeah. I, yeah. Snakes uh, uh, for sure. For all I know, it's been a while since I looked at like, say, a gelatinous cube. But for all I know, they, they are immune to. They probably are immune. Being prone. I haven't run one. Yeah, they probably have something. Yet. <laughs> yeah, I hope they are. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about not, offense. Uh, I assume that's everything for for defense and passives, yeah. more or less. Uh, what, what, um, what do we got for offense? So they really only have one melee attack, um, and it's really the main way that they can deal damage because their spells are all illusion and enchantment spells, all of them and not ones that okay. do damage. So they have a tentacle okay. attack. And while this is a big fish thing, they have a pair of tentacles on them mm-hmm. um, that are a, a, a pretty middle of the, the pack, plus 16 to hit. It's not insane. Okay. Um, like I said, it, it's it's right in the middle of the two hit for this, this creature's range. Mm-hmm. And um, it does a little bit higher damage than creatures of this range would typically, though, at 2d8 plus 10. Sorry, 2d8 plus 10 okay. bludgeoning. And it's an agile, agile weapon, right? So because it's okay. a natural attack, okay. it's agile. Sure. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's two hit is a little bit lower, but since it's agile, it gets some uh, some benefit to the lower multiple attack penalty. Uh, it okay. also has a 15 foot reach, 
and counts as magical. So it's pretty nasty, right? Uh, I mean, yes, it's a huge creature. So a huge creature is going to have 15 foot of reach. But the, the extra thing that this does that is really the killer for an Abolath is it adds <laughs> something called slime, uh, which imagine okay. slime as water-based mummy rot. Uh, <laughs> it is a disease and it is a curse and it is virulent, right? Um, okay. It's got a DC I did do a little port. bit of cursory research in this beforehand because it looked a little complicated uh, because the curse and disease combo. But yeah, continue. Right, so... This uh, has a DC 25 fort save. So that's high for this level, right? That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. really good. Um, yep. Usually for a level seven creature, you're looking at a 21 or a 23, 25 is nuts. Um, yeah. It's keyed off fort. And for the first stage, which is the first round, nothing bad happens, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The next stage, your skin softens and you become drained one. Okay. For one round. So drained like affects basically all your stats, right? No, drained and it's usually right, oh. right. Um, drained is is pretty much everything. It's nuts. Um, just double checking because yeah, absolutely, I, I know yeah. it's gnarly. It's what it's one that always stops you. Dry. Okay, it's it's Constitution forward, Constitution and right. Fortitude. So it, you're automatically as soon as you hit stage two, you're automatically going to do worse on this already high save. Uh, so that's what it's it's uh, hits your Constitution based checks and Fortitude saves. And, and it uh, brings down your hit points uh, by a certain amount, including your maximum hit points. Um, and I believe you can't restore uh, that maximum points until you've you know, basically gotten rid of the drain condition, um, which is uh, typically after a full night's rest per number of, of, of conditions. So that's where uh, this gets so really be, gross. It can be yeah, it gets stacked bad. Yeah. <laughs> this lasts for one, one round. And then mm-hmm. it gets worse. The victim's skin becomes clear yeah. and slimy if they fail that fortitude save, which is harder for them now because they're drained. And they become mm-hmm. drained too until the curse ends. Period. Oh. Done. Doesn't matter if you drop the stage somehow. You are stuck drained yeah. until the curse ends. Every yeah. hour you remain dry. Brutal. So if you are not in the water, your drained condition increases by one more. <laughs> and that's permanent. You've, you've got to do that every, at least every hour. Oh man, that's brutal. Permanent. Oh man. And I would imagine if you hit, you hit a certain point of drain, it's going to kill you. If it does. Like exactly. If you hit right, that, that zero con, you. you're gone. Mm-hmm. Um. So if you yeah. are not wet, you have bad things happen to you. Um. They they actually did this. One of the people that they found it, and you know. <laughs> in ruins of Aslan in their Raiders. Mm-hmm. When we talked about Raiders lost continent, the GCP uh, show, one of the creatures they had was under the influence of this curse. One of the people that they found yeah. from the original settlement. I remember um, that, yeah. And the joke was they kept peeing on him to keep him moist. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leave it to those guys. Um, yeah. But brutal, though. you can, Remove curse. So like you can remove curse as well, but this one, the you can use remove disease to try to counteract the curse as well. And remember, curses need to counteract. You have to run counteract checks on curses, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's a little yeah. bit easy, um, difficult, more difficult than remove disease. It is a counteract period. Yeah. It's still good though, because it means you can do that early. Uh, you can attempt it early anyway. Remove because remove disease is a level three spell. 
uh, roof exactly. versus level four. So, you know, there's, you know, basically at least a minimum of two more levels generally you're going to need to gain before you get roof curse. So that, that, there, that is sort of a slight offset, you know, to have, to have a, a curse that also acts as a disease, giving you a, a slightly wider avenue of getting rid of it. Um, but the fact that it's virulent, which is a really important trait uh, for the listeners, it means basically that you need double the amount of like effort or saving throws in order to recover from it. So you need to do two consecutive ones in order to like go back and like kind of get re uh, like sort of remove it or get uh, over it naturally or whatever. Um, but so that can be really brutal. So it's really stacked against you to to get this disease. Uh, but at least they give you a slight extra avenue to try and get rid of it as well. So this creature came out in Bestiary 1, right? And they added something as a rider to slime to the stage 2, is that immunity to disease offers no protection against this, right? Oh. <laughs> so this is where this is That's important, awesome. right? Because there are several yeah. there's several um, classes that can pick up a feature that gives them immunity to disease, uh, things like that. But in Treasure mm -hmm. Vaults, they introduced an alchemical item called a vaccine which can right. instigate okay. and it's a really fun one i love it i have it on my mm -hmm. chat region that i play with sometimes yeah. it's great you can create a vaccine against a disease and give you immunity against that disease if it's inflicted by something so if you think you're going to pull a fast one and become immune to slime right. you got another thing coming buddy because you can't, can't do it, do it. <laughs> sorry because yeah. vaccine existed before treasure vault but it was literally just a, a bonus to like your your um uh not a minister first day but your uh your downtime version right of exactly can help people recover from disease um and so uh but like sounds like they expanded upon it I didn't they know did about that, they I did that. Like, improve it, vaccine, it, yeah. it will not save you in this case it, because it's a curse it will it will affect you as a curse but it's also a disease but like the curse overrides that so your immunity is no good here. just like mummy rot <laughs> awesome. just like mummy rot mummy rot's the same way it's just a curse like, and it's a oh, disease brutal. it's rough <laughs> Because once you get to I a certain it. level of it, if like you haven't gotten rid of the disease before the curse gets to a certain level, you are screwed until you can magically remove right. the curse. Uh, okay. So spells then. What do you got for spells? Well, before we get to spells, it's got one more passive that's kind of goo related. So I figured it kind of fits right here. They, while they're underwater, they have a mucus cloud around them in a radius of five feet. Oh yeah. Okay. This was, this also sort of existed in 5e, but yeah. Exactly. It's an aura. Okay. Um, it's also a disease. Um, of course it is. Five foot radius. And if you fail at a DC 40, 25 fortitude save, you lose the ability to breathe air. <laughs> no. <laughs> you gain the ability to breathe water for three hours, but you lose the ability to breathe air if you're an air breathing creature. Oh, man. I also remember this from the Ruins of Aslan. Um, yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, it, it basically morphs you into an air breathing creature for better or for worse. <laughs> yep. It's, like, it's rough. How long does that last for? Three hours. Three hours. Three hours. Okay. So, right. But for three you're hours, like, you're stuck underwater. In the water. Yeah, probably not your your favored terrain, <laughs> unless you're an Azuketi. You know, like uh, you're very probably very vulnerable to attack. You get, but you gotta sit there for three hours. It's like going up the line from the the deep dive scuba diving. You gotta take your time so you don't get the bends. You know, you get, it must be must be really like ah, oh, I want to get up there now. Uh, brutal. You can do some really interesting uh, things with fun. this, and when we get into the spells, you know, this is yeah, this is where you can do some really nasty things with that aura specifically mm. you influence yeah. the inability to breathe and then you screw with somebody's mind essentially right okay. yeah. so you'd ask about spells 
This thing is yeah. DC 25 again. So once again, high saves on these spells for a level seven creature, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any cantrips, but pretty much everything it has is at will. So who cares? Right. Uh, <laughs> and its lowest level spell is a level three hypnotic pattern, right? Uh, hypnotic okay. pattern is always, always a fun spell. Um, mm. It will. Uh, oh, yeah. So you're yeah. dazzled. But if right. you um, uh, if you fail, you're also fascinated. Um, and right. if you crit fail, you're fascinated and you cannot use reactions. It's it's crazy because it forces you to focus on the thing that fascinated you, which can be really brutal. Because if it's if it's this creature and it just swims away, and you're being attacked from multiple sides, you have to basically ignore it. You can't attack yep. those other creatures if you're fascinated. It's crazy powerful in the right circumstance. That's a fun one, right? Because you can mm -hmm. you can like you said make it so that they ignore everything else. This is you know this is a air quote boss monster. You should have mooks use the mooks yeah. in that situation, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It has a fourth level, and that's it at will, right there. So you could cast hypnotic right. pattern every round if you wanted to. Basically, um, yeah. That that unless the unless the staplock lists a, a limited use, even though it's at will. Like if it doesn't say that, yeah. As far as I know, the raw is you could just use it over and over, right? Like that's how that works. Yep, absolutely. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Level four spell, and this is where it gets really fun when you combine things like the mucus. You get hallucinatory mm -hmm. uh, hallucinatory terrain. Oh, so yes. if they fail this thing, they can think that where they are is different. So now they can't breathe air. Because they're mucus. Because they think they're in air. <laughs> Make them think that they're in air now. And unless they disbelieve oh. the illusion, they will not breathe. Just cruel. Yeah. <laughs> or just make oh, them think man, that it. the terrain adjacent to them is water. You know, like the, the air place on land is water and where they are is air. And they bring themselves out into yeah. the air and they begin to suffocate. Right. Mm. There's a few fun ways you can do that. And this is, you know, mm. this is one of those really neat defensive abilities that, that you can, right. you can do, right? For sure. Um, because you can, you know, the floor is lava. Run away. <laughs> you know, that's this, yeah. this spell is the floor is lava, right? It works yeah. in a 50 foot burst. It's a massive area, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's cool, especially when you combine the other spells and the other kit of this, this creature. Um, you have illusory object, which is not as cool, but you okay. could do some of the same thing. If something has been, uh, you know, given the idea that they can only breathe water and you make an illusory waterfall and they want to go get right. under the waterfall because they can breathe there, but they actually can't. Right. Same deal. Yeah. Yeah, because because this is a level one spell, but we're looking at it at a heightened at level, level five. five which is yeah, yeah. So heightened level two is like gives it the auditory olfactory traits because it generates the sound and smells and everything yep. in touch. At level five, it's uh, unlimited duration. So yeah, it's not like a limited right. It could just be running in the it. area, right? Because it's in a twenty foot yeah, burst. Right. I would probably have fun with that and just say it's almost like a perpetual aura. If you get within the certain area, you think you see this right. thing, right? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah one of those things that you can prep in your combat beforehand, essentially give it a hazard in the space. Yeah. Same thing. We have illusory scene, uh, but this one's at a sixth level. Uh, so you can create okay. like a bar. You could create a tavern fight or something, right? Right. Uh, things oh, in the scene can combine these speak. really easily. Too. Exactly. Like you can yeah. layer these things on top of each other 
and like imagine this Abeleth that's in this like sunken city or something and you go into where it is and it looks like this palatial estate or something but it's just these spells layered on top of each other really yeah. cool thematic it says an illusory scene yeah there's a there's a line in the end of the first paragraph it says though uh, it doesn't include changes to the environment around the scene but you can place uh, your scene within the illusory environment of hallucinatory terrain. <laughs> so exactly. yeah, you're right. You're just layering yep. these things. That would be a hell of a way to like slowly end a combat by confusing the players. Like this appears, like the, the environment changes around you. And then there's this object and around that object, this whole thing forms and suddenly you're not in the water anymore. And everyone, and everyone's failing their will saves or whatever, whatever it is. They're going to be like, what's just happened. <laughs> we exactly. swear we were in the water. Now we're in a tavern exactly. with a player piano in the middle of the forest. <laughs> That'd be so good. <laughs> this is where it really gets fun is we get dominated at this level too. These are not at will, okay. but it's a level three. But dominate is always fun. Uh, I'm sorry. We can do it three times a day, not at level three. It's a level six dominate, though. Oh, so, yeah, it is. This is fun. Um, and this is the yeah. the control the creature. Um, it is a uh, incapacitation. So you treat the, the save as one uh, higher if it's a, you know, creature is a, a higher level than you. However, typically yeah. this thing is going to be fighting things lower level. I mean, this would probably be in a, you know, APL minus two or APL plus two encounter, right? So mm -hmm. it's not going to matter. Yeah. Even if you succeed, you're stunned one. That's nuts. Even if right. you succeed yeah. that save, <laughs> you are stunned. <laughs> if you are yeah. failed, you are controlled, but you can attempt a will save to get out of it every turn, right? But mm -hmm. what does that matter if it, you know, bellies up to you, makes it so that you can't breathe air anymore, dominates yeah. you, and yeah. then commands you to get out of the water? Yeah. <laughs> crazy yeah dominates such a gnarly spell if if it gets off i i feel like there's very few circumstances when it really truly gets off in, in the worst fashion but but man i love that i love the degrees of success in the system where you know even when it if it doesn't get off in the brutal way you're still being punished oh yeah so critical failure you can they only get a save if you tell them to do something that's completely against their nature like attack their ally like you can just say right. all right take yeah. your clothes off and stand in the corner and they don't get a save yeah. against that they just do it <laughs> yeah so unless they're never nudes <laughs> exactly unless, never unless nudes. they're never that's, nudes. Be one no, of the i'm writing that into all my characters now so nobody can do it I'm a never nude. <laughs> that's just it that's it um, uh and cool. finally we got two level seven spells both of these are again at will. Uh, we have Veil. Okay, so only Dominate is the one that's limited use. That's the okay, only limited use, but it's still three times. That's barely fair. Still a lot. That's yeah, nuts. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we have Veil, uh, which essentially can disguise things. So you can essentially shape shift something. And at seventh level, it disguises their sense, their voices. It has the auditory and olfactory traits. They can appear as creatures of any size. They can, can uh, appear as specific individuals, more of layering the illusions on mm -hmm. top of one another yeah. to create mm -hmm. this scene. This is even cooler when you have a veiled master that already mm -hmm. can transform into anything at will, right? Right. So you well, could walk into something that you had no idea was happening and then you're in the room and you're talking to this thing and all of a sudden the room starts filling with water and it turns into a giant fish and beats the crap yeah. out of you. 
I love that mind-bending thriller movie. Right? Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and the very final one, one more, one more illusion spell. We have project image at level seven. You protect okay. project an I... image of yourself. Mm, okay. Within 30 Thought feet so. of you. Uh, whenever you cast a spell other than one that has an emanation, you can make it so that the spell comes from that thing, right? Okay. From the it's image, like yeah. mirror image on crack. Uh, they can target right. that thing. Yeah. It has the same AC as you. If it hits it, the illusion ends, right? But it can give mm -hmm. something a, a chance to get away. If you can mm -hmm. get the party right. to believe that that's the real one, right? Yeah. More of live to fight another day, twirl the mustache and, and swim away quickly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Amazing. They got a that's lot a, going on. A hell of a list. There's so much yeah, here with these things. On. Yeah. Like if Honestly, you like it, plots. Me... Yeah. So these, this creature reminds me of, and I'm reasonably sure we, we James and I had talked about this with the Aboleth. Um, in that, like, these are not really your go toe to toe creatures. Um, they, they don't want to fight you, really. They want to get away. They want to walk away or they want to take you down with their minions around, around them. So it's one of those. But they don't really want to take you head on because they don't have a lot of offense. They have a lot of just mind fuckery. You know, in 5v, they have the Mucus Cloud thing, but it's only upon like hit. So there's something there that's similar, but you have to be engaged in combat, which doesn't sound like what this creature wants to do, especially in melee. Um, and I think the one thing that's, that's I find a little, uh, maybe it's odd, maybe it's not, but it's missing by comparison to 5e is that 5e has like, uh, they're telepathic creatures. I don't see this in the stat block and they have the ability to enslave creatures and take over their mind three times a day. So that's very similar to the dominate kind of thing, but it's a little more in depth. It's a, they're a little more like enslavement on the spot kind of thing in 5e. Um, and, uh, and a little more telepathic and they, they have the, they have one of those legendary action things where they can like drain your your uh your they could do a psychic drain and cause mental damage or something like that um but otherwise and most of it does line up quite a bit um but yeah i just uh, th this is one of those creatures that we've covered where we're, we, we were generally of the opinion i think of like you know th they are big uh, uh sort of uh, story arc creatures uh they are big bads but like they're not the big bad that wants to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you at all like they just want to they want to fuck with you and they want to walk away so they can go get back to scheming and they will kill you you know with their minions or in some other way uh they don't they don't want to take you down themselves they, have, they probably have no interest in it really so that's where the veiled master comes in because mm -hmm. remember how i said at the beginning of this the veiled masters everything that the agalothu master is turned up to 11 it absolutely yeah. is because this thing is just large right it's not huge but it has the reach of a gargantuan creature on its claw attacks, right? It's got a 20-foot yeah. <laughs> reach, right? And it deals nasty Amazing. damage. It's got a DC yeah. 37 Gius that it can cast, right? Uh. It has mind reading <laughs> at will. It has tongues. Yep. This is the thing. And it has suggestion, right, on top yeah. of dominate. And it's an eighth-level suggestion. So it is the maximum heightened suggestion, right? Yeah. This is that one, right? This has this has um, a flurry attack, like how like a uh, River Drake or something has, where it can attack everything in its range, or a Hydra, where it can attack everything in its mm -hmm. range. It can attack everything in its range with a tentacle strike, and mm -hmm. that's Crazy. a twenty foot reach. So everything within yeah. twenty feet for two actions, it gets to attack at its highest <laughs> map. It's oh, it's not so. 
that's the one like it's got thought lance which is another one of those things that's just on top of it on top of slime right even if it doesn't deal damage right something just touched by it 34 save they become slowed on a failure slowed to on a crit failure it just happens if it touches yeah. you <laughs> it just happens right it has consumed uh, memories this, right yeah. it can it makes you stupefied and you regain yeah. hit points these things <laughs> Like I said, these things ought to be a level 16 creature, not a 14. Yeah. These things are nuts. I want to put one so against good. my players someday. Yeah. Well, I hope I'm in the party. <laughs> I want to see it all crumble for us. I love Fantastic. being on <laughs> Well, unless there's anything crucial you think uh, needs to be added to this, I think we'll wrap uh, wrap this, uh, this long one up. Um, I want to add one got? more scary thing real quick. Okay. Right. Azerketi. Azerketi are gillmen, right? Azerketi mm -hmm. are another servitor race. They're long playable ancestry. separated. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are playable ancestry. They are long separated. In 1E, they had a concept of sleeper agent Azerketi that their genetic program would be activated one day and they would just start killing crap in the name of the, the Veiled Masters, right? Aslanturian candidate? <laughs> yes, Aslanturian candidate. That's exactly what it is. Um... And that I think is something that they need to bring back in 2E as like a background or something to give that this a, a possibility to put in. That would be so cool. Like you call it like, you know, deep programming or veiled programming. It's right. like, an, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. an Azerketi. It's almost looks like a curse or something. Mm. So cool. And it would be cool would if like something that. like half like a blighted boon, was like, like a blighted boon or something. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if like half the, the population had like somehow genetically moved on from that and so it's only half of them that turn when the event happens or so it's like half of them have the possibility and it's like a yeah. tiny fraction of half of them oh, but like they yeah. turn on and they're like sleeper <laughs> agents and they're just not necessarily just go on a rampage but they just start sowing dissent yeah. because they right. yeah. like saw a disguised veiled master and <laughs> exactly right like who is this and there's an azarketi in in your in your party just twiddling his thumbs acting like nothing's yeah. wrong and every time he goes to bed he wakes up and wakes up with blood on his hands so yeah, yeah. no i think it's fun it's like amazing really messed up werewolf yeah <laughs> i'm here for it that's amazing yeah that'd absolutely be that'd be a great idea take take notes paizo um I know we know you're watching. Uh, cool. Uh, thanks, Trevor. That was super sweet. I I hope we uh, one day soon cover the other stat blocks. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode for it and bring you back in to do it. Uh, that'd be really fun. Oh man, um, I could just talk about that veiled yeah. master for an hour and a half. <laughs> it's so fun. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, because we covered we basically covered the lore on it. So, but I would love to cover the stat blocks just just for shits and giggles and fun and and just thoroughness, I guess um but yeah awesome thank you for joining us for this this is super exciting uh tell everyone where they can find you if, if they don't know who you are uh we have an abomination faults podcast roll for intent releases every monday um we're the second best abomination faults podcast right after uh right after uncharted north stemming the tide um <laughs> and you can find us anywhere you can get you your podcast <laughs> just roll for intent uh, we also have a review show called Roll for Intent Creators Corner where we talk about third-party content as well that releases when we can get to it. it I happens. featured on one of those at one point, didn't I? You were. You were on one of those episodes. Sick. <laughs> 
but yeah, episodes every Monday going through Abomination Vaults. We have a great time. Uh, you can find us Sweet. there. You can check out our Discord, rollforintent.com slash Discord. I had a lilt there for someone. You can check out our Discord. <laughs> Discord. Our Discord. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm sure down the line you'll hear my voice and, and possibly James' voice or anyone else from Uncharted North on uh, some of Trevor's content. And Absolutely. you certainly will on the line here, Trevor, on, on some of ours. Uh, we've already done recordings, just stuff that's never seen the light of day. Who knows if some of the will or will not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, some of it's sloppy. Some of it's just not not good for the ears. But uh, but we had fun anyway, and we'll we'll definitely have more fun in the future. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, Trevor. Really appreciate it. Thank it you so much fun. for having appreciate me. This effects. was great. Yeah, no worries, man. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, y'all. Scoobity poopa Hey, that should give you a hint <laughs> for the next guest. <laughs> the man who infuriatingly enjoys everything except for my NPCs or all NPCs. All NPCs. Uh, the mustachioed like freak who has three, count them, three celebrity doppelgangers, uh, varied impressiveness. Uh, our social media guru because he likes it and we don't. And I think the only member of the Uncharted North and its collaborators to actually have listened to every episode of Encounter This, which I can tell, by the way, he's nearly mimicked how James and I do our, do our notes. Uh, I, Freeman, bodily fluid Fedora Eisten, <laughs> and uh, courage, cordially welcome Scott, Bloody Beret Barber. Hey, Encounter Me, baby. <laughs> Hey, that's my joke. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell's going on, world? Oh, man. Scott, I feel like it's well overdue that you are on Encounter This. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm, I'm just well happy to overdue. be here. Yeah, uh, we are going to be going through revisiting Red Caps, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. This is, one, this is the one you picked. Yeah. Original uh, for AT was episode 45. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a while. It's been a hot minute. Yeah. Um, uh the uh the floor is yours uh, actually before it is i do have to ask one question i thought you were a canucks fan and i thought the rule was you're not allowed to change teams wow so why the what's, what's that <laughs> first of all buddy anyone who thinks that they can gatekeep what team you like is an asshole <laughs> I grew up being a Montreal Canadiens fan until I moved to Vancouver, and I just thought I'd get with the program here, and I've been loving it ever since. So I'm okay. a man of two sides. And also, it's fucking <laughs> red caps, baby. Come on. This is just, this is a Canucks hat. It's just soaked in blood. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say you're a man of, of many sides, meaning you're versatile, of course, multifaceted. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but in case you were worried, in case you were worried that I, I, you were the only one who came themed, it's not true because I've not, I didn't tell anyone, but I, I, I paired a drink for every episode. Ooh. And so uh, today I have a twin sales beer. Uh, it is their milkshake, uh, milkshake IPA. Uh, specifically, though, it is made with blood orange. Ah, very nice. Um, <laughs> I, I will enjoy that. admit that I was going to have a um, blackmail, but uh, yeah. in much my fashion i drank too much this weekend and i don't feel like drinking anything <laughs> that's fair that's fair so there's a water uh, I'll, I'll drink enough for both of us i guess <laughs> uh all right take me take me into the world of pathfinder red caps what do you got for me i'm a blank well, slate first 
I would like to read a slight excerpt from a nursery rhyme. Never told nursery rhymes by Nayuda. And uh, sure. this comes amidst a poem called The Soldier and the Red Cap Queen. The Red Cap Queen removed her crown and washed it deeply in the blood. And when placed back upon her frown, looked rather like a grim rosebud. Now, we're talking red caps, baby. And what that means is we are talking <laughs> fey creatures that just love to murder. And whether they love it or whether they just have to because it's their only way to live, I'll let you decide. But to me, they love that shit. <laughs> Uh, right. If I can I introduce the, the reason that I love red caps or, well, how I got into them first, you mentioned in the, uh, the first encounter this episode where it was a famous NPC from the Glass Cannon podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. um, it was just such a good character. It was such a funny character. Troy did it in a way that was more comical um, than yeah. I think that they should be portrayed. Um, yeah. <laughs> as horrifying, crazy creatures. But I just really yeah. fell in love with them after that in looking at what mm -hmm. they're like because they're just metal as fuck. They're literally they're really cool. fucking yeah. metal. <laughs> Absolutely. Razmataz yeah, is Yeah, Ra was the name of the was the name of the uh the the GCP one for anyone who doesn't remember. Uh and, yes. and if I remember, if I recall correctly, the reason it ended up being so goofy is not just because Troy is good at being goofy, but it was effectively dominated by one of the PCs, um, who I think might have been Matthew. But uh, it's yeah, it was just like so unexpected, and it became a, an effective NPC of the party so long as they wanted to continue spending a spell slot every day. So it was like, you know, what choice did he have? So he had fun with it, and uh, and uh, it turned this into something that wasn't a murder machine because it was dominated by something that wasn't a murder machine. You know, so that's me apologizing for. His betrayal, but you're right. You're right. Yes. It's a, it was well, a goofy thing. He always but these things are nasty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, he did. <laughs> he always wanted to murder. <laughs> so it's just in so. my mind, I can, you know, I picture them two ways. I do picture them as cute little garden gnomes. Like, okay, you know, what are those toys called with the big heads? Like pop pop it, pop-ems. Funko, Funko pops. pops. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the way that they're cute with their big heads is almost how mm -hmm. I picture them sometimes, you know, like garden gnomes <laughs> yeah. with like blood soaked red hats. But then yeah. when you actually read the lore and realize that they are small creatures that are lanky and greasy, disgusting old men with fucking yep. huge scythes and <laughs> hats yeah. covered in blood and then boots that are just made of metal. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just, just wild. At all. A Funko Pop. <laughs> I could not even close. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. So I see him both ways, just depending on what my mood is. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, just to kind of get into a little bit of lore, uh, they are fey creatures. Um, in Pathfinder lore, they are sadistic and cruel and just live for the thrill of bloodletting and murder. So, you know, it. <laughs> I think the Pathfinder lore just really leans into... Not the fact that they have to kill to live, but the fact that they live to kill. They're just all about it. They just it. have to kill. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. like an, it's like an addiction. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> they just it's, it. it's that They're good chasing shit. that dragon. Yeah. For sure. And uh, as far as they go with other fey creatures, they just 
generally don't really get along with them. So mm. um, there are some fake creatures that will hire red caps as mercenaries, which I think it uh, goes a little bit away from the D and D lore, but I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, other things that are pointed out in Pathfinder lore is that although red caps are vicious hunters, they're not fond of eating flesh. So they prefer oh. to drink the blood of their victims and or suck okay. out the marrow of their bones. And okay. just the main reason they're out there hunting is just to keep those caps soaked in blood. Oh, brutal. <laughs> yeah. I love it's that. great. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that's so good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just thinking of like a note uh, from the 5e stuff uh, was that... Um, you know, they they were like you know the sort of anomaly of I, I, if I remember correctly they would spawn from you know the from uh, like blood spilt on the ground near where like the 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 barrier or the veil to the, the Feywild was thinned or something like that mm-hmm. and they um they, uh, they I don't th- I don't know if we just explicitly covered some something saying that they uh, didn't get along with other Fey but there was something where in, it was like a three E thing or a two E thing. Where uh, when they died, they would leave behind like a tooth or something, and then mm-hmm. you could actually give that to other fake creatures to gain favor because because other favorite creatures would be like, oh, that's one less red cap, good work, you know. Yeah. So it was like I sort of assumed, I think, to a degree that uh, that they were they were a bit troublesome. <laughs> yeah, I think that they, like because I the thing is is that no one is really safe from red caps because when it right. comes down to it, if they haven't killed in the last couple days. You might be next. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you stand right. for. They'll mm-hmm. just come at you. They got to um, feed it every so often. Yeah. An interesting little thing that I found. Unlike D&D lore, this one says red caps are believed to only mate after successful murders. Female red caps give birth to twins or triplets after six to eight months. Siblings constantly fight for the respect of others and the attention of parents, and usually only one red cap per birth survive to adulthood. Parents usually oh. encourage this fight. Those that show weakness are culled, and red caps live up to 60 years, but are almost always killed before that. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that shit. So, like, James and I have covered so many, like, you know, so many creatures now in DD, and we eventually turned into making sure we covered stuff from the previous editions, right? And a lot of that yeah. previous stuff uh, included, like, you know, mating and, and uh, diet and all that stuff. And I always love those details. I love those details. Uh, do you know off the top of your head, does that, does that information come from second edition or is that extended back to first edition? Yes. So that's from 2013, Faye Revisited. Okay. Um, so it's worth noting, j- j- just for a second, not, not that I think that all, any of that was too, I mean, it's dark as all hell, but it's not necessarily too problematic. Um, you know, some things will have changed or just will be kind of it essentially left out or, or reimagined or reinterpreted or, or you know, you know, will have an organic change in 2E uh, yes. for a lot of this lore. But um, uh, but yeah, I, lo- I love that. I love that. I think I'm going to have a fresh murder before they can do it. Like, that's, that's messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is so messed up. And like always twins or triplets, like ooh, that's yeah, crazy. there's just there's just a little less on the actual uh Pathfinder second edition lore. Um sure. one yeah. particular feature is that uh a red cap's boots and cap are of little value to other creatures, but it carries a scythe and various valuable trophies from its kills. 
So that okay. could be a fun way to, um, you know, spice up some items for your adventurers or just add some yeah. gross, creepy flavor. I'm sure we'll get into it. I don't know, I don't know what uh, CR this creature is, but I, I, there's something that I do love about 2E in that, um, uh, like, from D&D, you expect certain items to drop or whatever. Um, so like, if someone's carrying around, you know, a, a staff or something like that, they're going to drop it, and you know you can pick that up. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, it's a little bit more prominent in second edition for Pathfinder because you know the higher level creature you fight, it's probably going to have runes on it. Right. Or, you know, the armor might be valuable or it might be carrying a certain item. And that, that becomes much more part of the stat block in this game than it ever did in 5e, which I think is really fun. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm always excited to explore that. Yeah, because it just gives extra ways to benefit the PCs in that, you know, the runes don't necessarily need to stay on whatever it is, right? So just by right. feeding them some runes, it definitely helps out, but it doesn't necessarily have to lock in an item which only one person could use. And if you didn't have that proper party build, right. then it's just useless. Yeah, um, it suddenly becomes like the, these tre these these treasure drops from from creatures are, are are versatile in their value, which is really cool, and it's really important for for uh, for that to happen. Exactly. Um, one other thing uh, with the lore that I want to point out was actually, uh, this is something that was, it is from Pathfinder first edition, but just a fun little fact, because there is a such thing as Winter Fey. Have you ever run into this? Now, I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me, but they're essentially mm -hmm. just like variant creatures, but like winterized. So if you okay. were running a campaign, um, you know, somewhere that was more snowy, they just have. I think that they have an effect that can freeze um, their enemies. Okay. And so you get some cool stuff like from his snow white beard and blue frost covered face to the wicked look in his frozen eyes. This little humanoid portrays a cruelty that only winter itself can match. Fun. <laughs> love those descriptions <laughs> mm -hmm. so it's just like uh, i don't know i thought that was pretty cool and i think that winter phase is something mm -hmm. that you can actually apply to a lot of creatures in pathfinder first a uh, little voice in my ear from james saying that there are two fey courts it's assumed that the stat blocks are for summer and winter versions um so that's kind of an interesting little thing that we might explore one sometime down the line mm -hmm. um, cool i don't know if that's uh that's something that uh, exists in 2e just yet for the right cap uh, I hope that I because I, I, uh, I think one of the beauties of first edition there's so many there's so many like extra books that they've released you know on different topics and all these different and, and so, so many different varieties for the first edition. Uh, 2e being still relatively new, um, it um, uh, they still have yet to release a good number of books. And I think one of the ones we're we're really missing is a focus on Fey. You know mm -hmm. they, they've done regions and they've done factions and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's really cool to see a focus on um, fake creatures uh, where we see variants like that. Uh, Agreed. Totally. Do you want to okay. talk stat block? Yeah, if, if you're done with the lore. Yeah, because um, as far as Pathfinder lore comes, that's kind of where we're wrapping up. They're essentially just... Okay. They're murder yeah. hobos, baby. Uh, did, it, did it specify how many days it was uh, that they had to kill? Uh, cause like, so I remember in the 5e lore, it was something like it has, in order to survive, it has to soak its hat in blood. Is that a 2e thing? Um, it has to do it like every, once every three days, otherwise it'll, it will die if it doesn't soak its own hat. Um, um did that ever come up? Or are we now, a pretty big difference here. This isn't exactly it, but 
in actual mechanics, um, there is an interact action called blood soak. Oh. And oh, the okay. red cap, okay. yeah, the red cap dips its cap into the blood of a slain foe, and the foe must have died in the last minute, and the red cap must have helped kill it. And then it gains a plus okay. two status bonus to damage for one minute. Okay, cool. Freeman, I'm just looking back, and I don't think that there is any specific information. So it's about. not about it's not about they don't have to do that to survive. Okay. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it's just a pretty big difference. I'm sure there's, you know, they do it for a reason. So but it's just not life or death, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. That, that I think would, that, that would that, be a, yeah. That might have been something that was just kind of remnant in my head from the D D lore that I actually never yeah, it could really be, yeah. even <laughs> second guess because it's just so baked in there that that's actually something that sure. affects them, right? Yeah. I mean, I could also be, you know, not remembering it correctly either. But uh, yeah, let's get into the stat block. I'm mm. sure we have some answers there. So uh, tell me about the the mechanics of okay. the red cap. Dude, okay. <laughs> so it's actually pretty fun because they have okay. some pretty sweet things going on here that are a little different than 5e. Mm-hmm. First of all, CR5. Okay. Okay. And then let's see here. AC of 21. They have 60 HP, but also fast healing 10. Um, Small creatures. Yep. Yep. Uh, Chaotic evil. And then traits, they are fey. Mm -hmm. Hopping into just some other very basic things about them. One thing that I find really awesome is that their speed is 50. Ooh, they're quick boys. Yeah, they are (laughs) very quick boys. So if you're... Imagine, if you will, thinking about these greasy, disgusting, small but lanky old dudes just running at literally double the PCs, generally. Yeah, that's crazy. So um, not to skip forward too much, but that does come into play when they use um, this action called Stomp, and it's an attack action where they stride up to half their speed and make a boot strike at any point during that movement. And then if oh, yeah. it hits a prone creature, it also deals an extra 2d6 persistent bleed damage. So like they're Oh cool. They're like running at only half their speed, which is essentially a PC's speed, and then curb yeah. stomping them at any point and giving them bleed damage. <laughs> that's amazing. Like, I'm that's sure they have something that, that gives them the option to trip to make that happen or like knock them prone. Just remind me, so 5e had one, it was called Ironbound Pursuit. Uh, and they would basically move up to their speed and then kick someone with their boots, knocking them prone and doing like pretty mm. significant damage. Especially for well, a, it was like they're a CR3 creature in 5e and they did they were doing like 3d10. It was a big hit. Um, so it's not not dissimilar. The scythe weapon that they have in Pathfinder Second Edition has the trip trait. Yeah, see, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> also, so for the listeners, uh, it's a really important for weapons to have certain traits like that because generally, especially if you're using athletics like trip or shove or grab, you need a hand to be free. So if you're using a two-handed weapon, it needs uh, you need to remove a hand, which is not kind of costly for action economy, or you need to put in, or you need to have the the trait on the weapon to to allow you to do it without the free hand. So having trip the trip trait on the weapon is is huge for that. Mm-hmm. And just while we're on that weapon, real quick, uh, scythe at plus fifteen to hit is uh, 
one D10 plus 10 slashing, and it is a deadly D10 as well. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> that's I mean, that's a solid, that's a solid to hit. That's uh, that's a decent amount of damage. That's a big hit die. Uh, and again, for the listeners, deadly D8 means that if you crit with the weapon, you get to add whatever the, the die uh, that's listed, the die amount that's listed. So a D10. You get to add that. You don't get to double that one, but you get to add it on top of the double damage, which mm. is brutal. <laughs> so brutal. Uh, awesome. Um, okay. About, uh, tell, me, tell me more about, like, uh, yeah, their, their languages and their stats. Uh, absolutely. Skills. So other fun facts. Um, they speak common and sylvan. Okay. Uh, low light vision, standard. which mm-hmm. low light vision goes away from 5e, where I believe they have full dark vision. Um, uh, let me just double check. You are correct. Dark vision, 60 feet. Mm-hmm. And then let's see here. Strength four, dex four, con two, intelligence one, wisdom one, and charisma one. Uh, charisma two, my apologies. So well, they're, they're out for blood. <laughs> Stat-wise, they're, they're, out they're for already blood, out for blood. <laughs> yeah. Stacked up. And they're, with, they're not uh, thinking about it too much. Mm. <laughs> Like 15 in athletics, 13 acrobatics, 13 intimidation, 13 stealth, so they can sneak up on you too. 11 yeah. deception, 10 nature. I love it. They have a little boost to intimidation. Like they've just, just enough to bother with, but, uh, but it's not a priority. You know, they're just they're there to sneak up on you and kill you. Yeah. Um, pretty decent uh, saves, fortitude 11, reflex 15, will 10. A little fun one here. They do have weakness uh, to cold iron five. And then they have this thing Uh, called... Which is a classic Fae thing. Mm -hmm. They have a fun thing called Divine Revulsion. So I'm just going to be sneaking down into a little section here. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call this, I guess, maybe a... It's not a reaction, but if a red cap... passive thing? Yeah, exactly. If a red cap sees a creature brandish a religious symbol of a good deity, which requires an interact action, so essentially if a PC takes the action to display this, or right. uh, casts a divine spell, the red cap must attempt a DC 19 will save, and um, it then becomes temporarily immune to all brandished religious symbols for 10 minutes. But yeah. basically, if they fail... They are, they pass or unaffected. If they fail, they're frightened too. And um, if they critically fail, the red cap gains the fleeing condition for one round and is frightened four. Damn. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty brutal weakness. Assuming you've got a religious symbol somewhere in the inventory of the party. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a hell of a thing. Um, it is not necessarily like, it's so it's a DC 19 and their will is 10. So you're not going to be hitting, yeah. you're going to be hitting it like, no, uh, four, I don't know, I'm bad at math, 40% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting one. Um, I would imagine uh, the thing that I do get a little puzzled on that is like, it's like, does this creature automatically know what all the good deities are, you know? Um, or, does you know does the gm have some freedom i mean the gm always has the freedom uh to play with like what what counts and what, what doesn't you know mm-hmm. like i would have i would imagine i would have a hard time uh saying that um say uh, abadar i can't remember if abadar is actually good um 
uh, I have a feeling they're probably neutral. Uh, but uh, yeah, all about that coin, yeah. baby, good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but follower alignments do include good in them, but like you know, certain certain good deities like that, that just might be off the beaten path. Like, what are the chances of the right cap automatically knowing what this? Well, is? they live in a world where gods are real. So hmm. whether you believe or know about the god or not, if you see that religious symbol, it gives out good vibes if it's a good <laughs> god and bad vibes if it's a bad god. So and you, so you don't have combo. to know, you feel yeah. it. It's not, just, it's not just that they're revolted by it, but there is a, there's a, a presence of a, a physical power that triggers the revulsion. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Because, like, you know, they exist. Spoken like a true GM, Scott. I hope you I hope you run a game one day. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days. One of these Looking days. Looking forward to it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be Amazing. horrifying. It's gonna be seven hundred red caps. <laughs> <laughs> Just mowing them down. <laughs> uh all right, cool. We've bounced all over the place with this one, but I'm okay with it. I love it. Um, what else do you have? Okay. Sorry, listeners, if this is a little unhinged, but this is what you get, baby. <laughs> um, let's talk about the cap itself. Um, I think that I briefly mentioned this earlier when we were trying to figure out if it needed to soak the cap to live. But essentially, uh, the red cap's woolen hat is dyed with the blood of his victims. If the red cap loses the cap, it no longer benefits from fast healing and takes a minus four status penalty to its damage rolls. It can create a new cap in 10 minutes, but that cap doesn't gain its powers until the red cap has been turned red with uh, the blood soak action. And a cap has no benefit for creatures other than the red cap who made it. Cool. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's, the, that's the thing to the mystery I was hoping for. That's awesome. So it doesn't, doesn't really, it doesn't rely on it, but, um, but it kind of does. Like that fast healing 10, it's massive that's really big that's a tough thing to overcome um, that's big and, and then to lose the that, negative four to lose that would be brutal for the creature yeah, yeah. the negative four to damage the damage rolls. rolls yeah that's uh that's awful uh so this this thing has a, a very very much needed priority to keep that hat soaked in blood <laughs> right and then so that uh, i will now go back to i think it was a blood uh blood soak that we talked about earlier i'll go back mm-hmm. to that because it almost kind of they play off each other. So with that first one, yeah. if they lose a cap, they get negative four to their damage. Now, mm-hmm. with the interact blood soak, the red cap dips its cap in the blood of a slain foe, and the foe must have died in the last minute, and the red cap must have helped kill it. And when dipped, right. the red cap gets a plus four status bonus to damage rolls for one minute. So oh. if they lose a cap, they get negative four. If they're just mm-hmm. fighting, they're regular. But if they've helped kill something and dip the cap, oh, then they get they plus four. they take the time to re-dip it, they get a plus four. Oh, mm-hmm. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you're powered down and then yeah. you're powered up. So taking the hat away is like one of the most important things you could possibly do. And if you could possibly destroy it, it's incredibly important for the creature. Oh man! Uh, otherwise, it's 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 just either it's at its main damage, which is already a lot, and then it has the opportunity if it takes something down and kills it to like boost that even further, and just really end up with uh you know p- push that uh, uh NPC death spiral or that PC death spiral down exactly <laughs> really quick. Yeah. 
because it, it just awesome. seems like unless you start taking them out early they're gonna overwhelm the party because the stronger yeah. they get it just ramps <laughs> cool mm -hmm. uh that is awesome okay so we've got divine revulsion we've got blood soak we've got the stomp that we covered earlier the scythe is there any other attacks actions we reactions? have a reaction baby and it's called deadly okay. cleave so if the red cap reduces a creature to zero hit points with a scythe strike um the red cap is able to make another scythe strike against a different creature using the same um multiple attack penalty as the triggering strike mm -hmm. which then in turn counts towards its multiple attack penalty later but essentially okay. just you get an attack at the same uh map which is nice okay crazy so that would be a really rare thing is usually reactions don't no matter what like especially attacks of opportunity they don't count towards your multiple attack penalty they don't take them into a uh, uh, consideration at all uh, but this one specifically does but it's also not ignoring it to start and then and then adding to it after um that's awesome that's really good uh <laughs> you really don't want this thing to take someone down uh that's that's the biggest danger isn't it yeah oh for sure and they're just really cool they're built like little chainsaws really yeah uh that is awesome now i know uh in 5e they had this weird uh do they so do they do they have like a boots attack is kind of i'm about to ask because because in 5e it was like a specific thing they're like they prefer even though they had a scythe they preferred to kick things with their iron boots like that's what they wanted to do yeah it's different than that in this it, they because they do have the stomp and that's about as far okay. as that goes yeah okay gotcha. yeah and that's um, specifically to attack well not specifically, because you can attack them at any point if they're if you're using the stomp action. But if they're right. prone, that's when you right. get the okay. well, uh, I, mean, I guess you, yeah, steps. I forgot you did say it. They they make a boot strike, so they have this boot attack, but they're not likely to use it unless something's prone. Is what you're saying? Yeah, um, I mean, well, okay. Well, here's yeah. the thing: is that it, we're when we're looking at red caps here. For me, I'm thinking that they're going to be in packs. So you okay. have multiple of them <laughs> that are size striking that are using yeah. it to trip. And then mm -hmm. if you get tripped, they're all using their freaky amount of run to like be running. They're in, all just running gonna out zip around just, the battlefield. Yeah, stomping you. Yeah. <laughs> stomping on you. And like <laughs> if you really just think about what it's like to see, you know, your like barbarian run at like 25, you see your yeah. monk run at Thirty, and you're like, oh shit, thirty's fast compared to like our fighter who's going twenty. Yeah, and then the red caps pull in going fifty, like <laughs> awesome. It's too much, man. It is so good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing. So it's pretty wild. Uh, and I guess so I should fun, just throw man. out that the boot strike is, um, it's plus thirteen to hit, and then nine and five for the, uh, okay. the map and it's one yeah. d6 plus eight piercing in traits piercing. are agile and versatile to bludgeoning oh okay cool uh as piercing did stand out as a bit odd but i guess that makes hmm. sense through stomping you or they're kicking you with their iron boots okay but eight. if you think about it don't forget that their uh stomp does the persistent yeah. blood damage so 
I'm thinking yeah. that these boots have spikes on them. That's just what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at the artwork, which we'll have on the screen here, um, yeah, they are pointed. <laughs> They're definitely pointed. <laughs> yeah. These boots are made for uh, stomping. Like they could, is they all could I'm saying. A, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Oh, so good. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to add to this uh, besides uh, your your want to use 700 of them in a, in a combat? <laughs> Um, or do you think they fit into your like story if you, if you were to do it? I mean, I think that really they're there to... I see them being used in two ways in my mind. One is to whittle down the PCs right before a final fight. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other one is just kind of potentially as henchmen in, a in the final fight. You know, you have like a different fey creature of increased strength or you have kind of a hag or some other sort of villainous treacherous yeah. crazy fey motherfucker and then these are their like little crew in front of you there just like little wrecking balls yeah. and i just like see them <laughs> whenever you say wild whenever you talk about a fake creature and then call them a minion my my heart just goes straight to hag <laughs> hmm. there's there's a hag with a big old mushroom farm, and these things are pretending to be mushrooms, and they pop up, and you're dead. So <laughs> you're screwed. <laughs> I love you're it. Dead. Cool. Oh, All right. Well, that's time. it, Scoot. Thank you very much for finally joining ET. Um, anyone uh, who's familiar will know you can already hear Scoot in his uh, dulcet tones on the old stemming the tide on Uncharted North. And we'll hear him more and more on upcoming projects and uh, and uh, hopefully hopefully stuff that's not even involving me, maybe one day. And hopefully behind maybe. the DM screen. <laughs> Let me close out on one more line okay. from this poem. Yes. All right. Yes. <laughs> and the true spirit of E.T., yes. <laughs> Thank you so, she uttered then, for all the lovely blood you've spilled. The soldier felt so guilty when he thought of all those whom he'd killed. And it just brings to mind all that blood and all those red caps just getting stronger and stronger every time. <laughs> I love it. Thanks Thank for having too. me on, guys. Yeah, man. That was awesome. I can't wait for this to, to get out there on the airwaves and to do more with you. Keep it fun and keep it metal, baby. Red caps for life. <laughs> well, all right. That wasn't too bad, right? Like we yeah, it's, been, it's been good. Got everything we needed. Well, not everything. What are we missing? What do you, what do you mean? I, okay, we've got more to do. Jinx, hold on. I bought one more beer. Uh, it's it's a it's from Bellwoods Brewery. It's a Fodor aged wild ale made with apricot. It's called the Barn Owl. No, still not getting it. Okay. No. Nope. Uh, you are an owl coholic. That's what we call you, James Owl Coholic Kid. I'm Freeman, barely sober. Heiston? No? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, oh, uh, okay. Um, 
Listeners, creatures, uh, you've made it this far. <laughs> Welcome to the ultimate segment, apparently. Uh, from Bestiary <laughs> 1, page 259, the original episode, 47. And for some reason, this man is presenting to me my favorite creature, <laughs> the owl bear. <laughs> the owl bear. We couldn't, we couldn't do this without swapping who's, who's doing what for somebody. We can't do it. That's what we do. <laughs> we take turns. <laughs> yes, the owl bear. I am going to show you what an owl bear can really do because you thought you liked it in 5e. <laughs> I can't tell you how many memes I've seen about the woes of 5e players on the owl bear stat block compared to the 2e one <laughs> and how the owl bear is described as this magnificently horrible creature to to come across and the 5e staff locks like yeah it, it scratch you <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's and that's about all you get that's about all you get i'm i'm not even joking the owl bear uh has multi attack with its beak and claws that's it that's 5e staff block you, that's you 5e, don't eh? want to know 2e's <laughs> okay uh okay. And you've actually so this faced is, one of these for, for in unreleased content. This is the 5e creature. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we have. So 5e, it does look quite cuddly and quite nice. And yeah. uh, yeah. I haven't seen the D&D the &D movie because I'm not planning on it. But um, <laughs> yeah, love these creatures. And uh, yeah. apparently they, they take place in said, uh, said, yes. said uh, movie. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard as well. I'm also not sure if I'm going to bother. But um yeah, the, the 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 breakdown of how terrifying these creatures are in in Pathfinder is no no less terrifying. Um, but the that staff block's gonna gonna leave you real happy, I think. Um, now you faced you faced one of these in some unreleased content of ours, and um, it was real dangerous. Um, and uh, and I had story reasons to not eviscerate the whole party. <laughs> Uh, immediately because but it came real close anyway uh yeah it did. <laughs> so yeah. the only time i felt like i kind of held back because i was like worried <laughs> but um yeah let's let's talk about the owl bear yeah uh, okay take take me through the 2e owl bear that looks a little something like this even this is this is an even more imposing uh pose like it's, yes. it's standing yeah. on its hind legs and it is just I want to say roaring, but I'm not a god. Damn motorcycles! <laughs> uh, I I want to say roaring, but I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's what it would be doing. I in my head, it's doing this cute little. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, even the five E lore, if I recall correctly, specifies that it has a horrifying screech. Um, it does, yeah. And it, the stat block still leaves you wanting uh so we we will we'll cover that oh we'll, we'll be covering that um but let's talk about the basics here uh described as having the body of a powerful brown bear which i thought was a bit redundant because of course it's powerful it's a brown bear um and uh, of course the keen senses of an owl bear or of, a, of an owl sorry <laughs> <laughs> i got excited <laughs> uh, no i get it dangerous, i'm excited too <laughs> dangerous territorial predator aggressively attacks anything that enters its space uh it has a lair that expands you know uh up to five miles beautiful. beyond its nest uh which is about what eight eight ish kilometers uh 
any clear signs of its habitat appear within one mile or 1.6 uh, kilometers. You can expect things like clawed up trees, gigantic feathers, shredded carcasses, etc. And they rarely leave their lair. Um, and uh, if they do, it is for the purposes of mating, uh, rearing children, um, younglings, uh, little, little cubs uh, hatched from eggs. It's weird, a bear from an egg. And in their lairs, you you won't find you won't find much in the way uh, of uh, useful goods. Although you, occasionally you, you might find some undigested, uh, you know, coins and jewels and such uh, from uh, probably killing some traders along the path or something. Um, and their origin is lost to time. Uh, although it is speculated they were part of a magical experiment to um, create a more cunning and powerful predator. And according to legend, the uh, first victim of any owlbear was indeed the creator. And they can be found all over uh, Galarian. And they have minor adaptations based on climate. So in more temperate rainforests, you can expect a black bear, well, more of a black bear body with a barn owl uh, face. Or in the tundra, polar bears and snowy owls. That being said... Okay, so... The one we see the picture of, what kind of, I mean, it's obviously brown bear. What kind of owl is that? Do you know? Because I don't. Um, You're the owl expert. Best here. guess is a barn owl. Uh, That's already claimed is, by is... rainforests. <laughs> well, so barn owls are, like, they're what we get here. We Like, in, okay. in BC, we mostly get barn owls. But every now and yeah. again, we'll get something like a great horned owl. But I don't think that's a great horned owl. Mm, yeah, um, I don't think so either. And there are a couple of other, like, I can go get my bird book, but. I, th I think I think we're probably fine. <laughs> That's it. This episode is taking a dive into ornithology. We're going for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm I'm actually struck by a lot of this. Most of this is almost verbatim the same as Five E. Like, there's not a whole lot of differences there at all, including the um, the 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 regional adaptations, like in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. You you faced a snowy owl bear. Yep. Um, and I'm sure there's more that I can't think of off the top of my head, but they're, they're just a reskinned version of, of the regular five E owl bear. Yeah. So, yeah. The uh, only thing I didn't find, or the one thing I did find that was a little bit separate, uh, and it's a very small detail, but in five E they have serrated beak, which you can see in the artwork um, in this, in the case of uh, the second edition, that does not seem to be the case. Okay. Uh, let's, but just let's a minor take a quick detail. look at that. Yeah, yeah, you can see the serrated beak. Um, yeah. I guess this is the first time the listeners would have ever had um, an, an owl bear on screen to, on screen, to take a look yeah, at yeah. if you're, you're uh, checking the video. Um, but mm. yeah, 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 okay. Um, I've never noticed that in like owls themselves, but I understand the need for it. Like it, it just it really helps cut through flesh and muscle. Like it's it's yeah. the difference between a butter knife and a steak knife. Basically, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, other than that, like, yeah, basically the same idea, just large owl headed feathered bear body, so on and so forth. Right. Um, possibly bred by a demented wizard. So that, that was even in the old five, you know, so, uh, that, that, even yeah. that lines up. Yeah. It's weird that they're, they're both like have determined that somebody made this shit as opposed to like just regular evolution. I, th I think that's a weird choice to mm. have made for pathfinder when they could just be like well there's fucking magic so magic shit happens <laughs> I mean, like why do you need sure. to try and justify that away with yeah. with um mm -hmm. uh, genealogy right right yeah <laughs> i guess sometimes they, they just uh they probably just avoid changing you know classic stuff 
where where they feel it's 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 fine and not problematic so they just let it happen um i guess yeah uh, there was only one other note from the 5e lore that I really loved, uh, and I wish it was a little more present here. And it's that, uh, I mean, you can it's fair to say that both versions are ill-tempered, stubborn, and nearly fearless. Uh, but what I really loved was that um, even creatures that outmatched and outsized it uh, didn't bother to fuck with it, because the collateral damage wasn't worth it. <laughs> like, yeah. That's awesome. uh, bears are vicious, as are yeah. owls. So to put the two yeah. of them together, uh, you're, you're not walking away from that with un- unscathed. Like it's, yeah. they're, they're both very dangerous predators. They're, they're both yeah. apex predators as far as like, as far, well, I'm, at least most owls are apex predators, mm-hmm. but I think bears are always apex. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we let's let's do the stat block because this is the most exciting part. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. Show me. I mean, uh, they're awesome. But... Show show me what they have in two e versus five e. Like, why is this more lauded as a stat block versus yeah um, the the fifth edition one, which is fine. It wasn't you know obviously mm-hmm. it didn't blow us away, but yeah. let's uh let's 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 dive. I into mean, this. in fifth edition, multi attack can be a very significant thing, especially at a lower level. Uh, what were they? CR uh, three. So multi-tech at CR three. Yeah. That can be scary. So at least they have that. But there's not a lot of dynamics to that stat block. It's pretty straightforward and, uh, in my opinion, dull in comparison to what we have here. We'll go through the basics here first. Creature level, four. AC at 21. HP is 70. They are a large creature. They are neutral. And they are an animal. So as we discussed at the very beginning of this, well, we covered a beast. A beast was an, an, an animal with a higher intelligence. This is a baseline intelligence creature. So uh, they're at a minus four intelligence. They are operating on purely on instinct. That's about it. Right. Um, uh, whereas um, beasts are a minus two, if I'm not mistaken. So there, there's... Your... Uh, it's minus three or above. So they're right right okay. below the threshold. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, if you want to f- recall some knowledge on this creature, you're looking at a nature check at a DC of 19. Otherwise, you might dig into some unspecified, uh, unspecific lore or specific lore. I mean, specific lore, I guess, would be maybe you know, uh, creatures of, of the particular terrain that, they're, that you're in, I guess. Uh, that could work yeah. in, the, in the forest, like forest lore, you know, and you can maybe use that. You're at a DC 17 for that. Specific lore could be, um, you know, uh animals uh you know dangerous animals of this terrain or, or some such like you know forest right. animals lower or, or some such um and the then um, sign yeah <laughs> um and learn lore ornithology somehow they both work or signs have you ever playing a summoner just give like your summon one and give yourself the other is like a running joke and see how many animals you can find that crossover so uh decent perception of 13 important note i can't remember if we covered this so far yet um we, we probably have maybe um uh, covering some other 2e stuff in the previous episodes a little bit but uh, perception is really important because it is your baseline initiative modifier in second edition uh, so that's a really important thing to note. It's not just your ability to detect to stuff. It's it's got a it's got a lot of clout in this game for that reason. Yeah, now, and and it's not connected to your traditional skills in the way that it used to be. It's it's kind of broken out as more like a save uh, in, right. in second edition, which I think is great. I still that's right. I'm, I'm still don't love the concept of it, but mm-hmm. I I also haven't loved it in any game that I've played yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not able to uh, manually choose uh, your level of proficiency in it or you're trained or whatever. Uh, it, that is basically um, 
it's automatically going to raise an uh, an increase in power based on your your class and the level you're at. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's uh, it's a very important skill for for many many features of the game. Um, but it is not technically under the list of skills. Um, okay. So Owlbear, uh, speed of twenty five, so it's got the same speed as your average uh, PC uh, to start. Nice. So they're actually and... slower than they are in five E. Yeah. Uh, and, um, they have, uh, but they got something to to their advantage. We'll see a little bit in a little bit. Uh, they got low light vision, so they're probably hunting, you know, in the evening or, or in the early morning, but not in the middle of the night. Uh, and they do have worse than 5e where they have dark vision. Yeah. (laughs) And then, uh, they have imprecise scent, however, to back that up. Uh, so even if they are hunting at night, they can probably try and detect something via scent, uh, as long as it's within 30 feet. Um, yep. obviously yep. they have a big, big yep. boost to their strength with a six, their con is a five, everything else is like middling or low. Um, so they are, they're, um, you know, beastly tough things, um, get a, uh, obvious bonus to their athletics, a little bit to acrobatics and their intimidation, which I think is fun. I, I kind of wonder if, uh, uh, how much this thing can, can imagine trying to put fear into something to gain advantage if it, it doesn't quite have that, uh, intelligence, but, um, I well, I guess, so I, guess I, I would argue that, in general, that I think they do. yeah, yeah. So I would argue that something as primal as intimidation, like like mm-hmm. trying to get something away from your territory, would be just baked into animals. Like I don't know yeah. if you've ever encountered a bear before, but almost a hundred percent of the time that I've encountered them, they've just raised up on two legs and just let out a roar. There, there were a couple <laughs> of anomalies, terrifying. but. Yeah, well, and that's the point, is because they don't yeah. want to engage you. They want you to fuck right. off while they're eating. Right, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is my home and my dinner. <laughs> yeah. Do not do not cross the line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this bush of blueberries, this is mine. You need to fuck right off for a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, as far as defenses go, uh, they've got a highest in fortitude, which you can imagine with that con. Um and uh, they're not too nimbly, so the reflex is seven. So four, two, thirteen, seven reflex, eleven will. So eh, they, that's that's the stubbornness coming through, I think. Um, oh, but yeah. let's get into yeah, let's that, get into, that's that's the owl, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> let's get into yield uh, uh, actions. Oh, I love the action economy in this system. Um, okay, yeah, basic stuff. Single action, Talon. Uh, Standardly, four, plus 14 to hit. Can be 1d10 plus 6 piercing. This is an agile attack. Uh, so it does have the minus 4 and minus 8 respective multiple attack penalties. Uh, and it also has what's called plus grab, um, which I'll cover in just a sec. They also have a beak attack okay. um, that's going to be a, the same uh, baseline attack bonus at 14. Not agile. So it's taking that minus 5 and minus 10. And uh, and it's a one d twelve plus six as opposed to one d ten, so big little little bit of a boost to the damage there. Okay. Um. Um. So just a quick question for you, as somebody who has got way more experience than two e uh, mm-hmm. in a, a GM space, is do you do you reckon the talons are agile because there's two of them, and the beak isn't because there's only one of them, or do you reckon that has to do with the speed of the muscles involved to use them? uh yeah i i don't consider i hadn't really actually i shouldn't i should say i hadn't considered the fact that there's two of them um but i i my gut tells me it's more of the speed of the muscles that's what i think it's i have a hard time imagining 
even though it's what you want to do mechanically, you almost want to use that first attack for the the higher damaging one. I, I and I've done it, and I've done it for the for, you know perhaps uh, unethically, <laughs> but uh, you I have a hard time imagining something lunging forward and using its face first uh, to attack rather than oh, it grabbing you with grab with the claws and then pull you into the face. Uh, I'm sure it does, but I just it's, I just have a hard time picturing it. Like you know, th this is this right here. This your face is so uh, it's one of the most delicate things of your body, uh, and there's so much there. And the instinct tells you know tells me not to put my my face in first. It's well, arm's length, baby. <laughs> your mouth and nose aren't <laughs> you know? made of pure hardened cartilage. They're just made of that, regular that you cartilage. know of. <laughs> yeah that's fair uh, also that's not how face. owls hunt either Owl, owls aren't beak hunters they're talent right. hunters so that makes talent sense hunters. yeah 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 that's something to think of going forward actually i just ha I hadn't really thought about the the whole the whole two limb thing but um but yeah let's talk about the plus grab though the plus grabs are really big because in okay. pathfinder second edition if you want to grab something you have to spend one of your actions to do it and you have to take a, the grab action basically or their grapple action, or whatever. I forget what it's called exactly. But you basically, um, and it has the attack trait to it, so it affects your multiple attack penalty. Uh, so you have to basically spend an action, attempt to grab someone, roll an athletics check. Uh, that goes against, I think, their reflex DC. And and then if you, success, if you succeed, they are grabbed, which makes them immobilized, they can't move, and also makes them flat-footed, which gives them a minus two to their AC. So it's very significant. However, plus grabs are amazing on creatures because they don't have to roll the check. They still have to spend the action economy, but they do not have to roll the check. So if this thing hits you with a talon, it can just spend its next action to grab you. And now it can attack you. Oh, okay, just you. like auto-grab. Right. And now it can effectively attack you with its beak, still at that minus five with its second attack for that round, but you're at a minus two AC, so you've basically removed... Uh, the effect of um, uh, or, uh, don't, you haven't removed the penalty so much as you've almost effectively made the beak agile by by uh, losing out on the minus one. It would actually one, be it's even better, better than agile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so okay. that's almost the order you want to go in. If you're already within melee reach, you grab a talon, grab, beak, strike. Deadly combo. Um, and you're still working in your, your upper range of the multiple attack penalty. Right, so that that would be your three action round. Then is the talon, yeah, the free grab, and then the beak at the. Mm -hmm. My my question at that point is because the grab has an attack trait. Does it also like even though it's a free grab, does it count against your our map? So would that beak be oh. actually at a minus four? It's actually a really quick good question that I don't I don't know the answer to off my head. Now that's something I probably should know. Um, now that I think about it, because I've definitely used this a few times. Um, I feel like I feel like the fact that you're not rolling the check might mean that you don't um, go through the attack penalty motions. Um, right, but you're spending the action, and it's the action, the action that has the attack trait, not the roll. If I'm, uh, I, I could right. be mistaken here. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that's something we're gonna have to look into. <laughs> that's something yeah. we definitely have to look into. Right, write, write uh, that down for later. Yeah, <laughs> put a sticky note on my my monitor here. Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, it's also worth noting too that it's uh, you 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 call it free grab, but you also know it costs you uh, action economy. It's not really free; it does cost you something. Right. That being said, there are creatures with uh, things called improved grab, which does make it a free action. So right. And, that, and that if goes I'm for, not mistaken, that's a that's a creature feat, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I, 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 I think you can work. Maybe you can maybe work your way up to improve grabbing feats, but it doesn't function the same way. Like it just like I just uh, mean like it. It falls under oh. the feat category versus the action category. But for creatures, um, yeah. Instead of it being a feat, it counts as a passive. Is that right? Is that is that how they yeah, change the language? Yeah, it'd be basically a passive, or you might call it just a, a monster ability. I think is the the, the main okay. thing. But it, yeah, it falls under a sort of the passive passive category of the stat block. Yeah. Because in one e they used to be feats, like you could actually just give creatures PC feats, right? Yeah, um, no, they, or PC yeah, they, levels. Like this could they, be Owlbear yeah. three, Monk one, for for yeah. all intents and purposes. They've they've uh, other than spellcasting, they have pulled very far away from that, and there are a lot of obviously creature abilities that creatures can have that PCs can never have, and vice versa as well. They are uh, they are very very separate from each other, more so than they used to be, especially compared to one e. One e was yeah. a lot of like this is an NPC that is just a PC. You know, learn learn how to play a PC quick. And you're like, damn it, that's not easy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> An- another reason that I love this system. Yeah, <laughs> exactly the reason I hated DMing it. <laughs> it, was, it was too much. <laughs> at least at higher levels, it was way too much work. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. But speaking of which, uh, well, here's here's why you can see that the 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 setup for these creatures could be so much simpler to like prep for. Um, so, so far, pretty straightforward. As you, have, you gotta go find some of the nested rules for, like, you know, the grab and how that works, and does it still cost me the action? You gotta do some research to find that, but once you know that, you can do that going forward. It's not hard to, to maintain and understand. Um, we get into another action that has, it's an 80-foot emanation, uh, which costs one action, and it's called Blood-Curdling Screech. 80 um, feet is so many feet. Yeah. <laughs> emanation is a very particular term that's important. It means that it basically starts from the outside of your character, the outer edge of your character. However, you can actually choose generally whether or not it includes you, um, but it does start from the from the outer side of your character. So when it goes 80 feet, it doesn't include your square. It starts in the square adjacent to you. Uh, whereas burst starts in your square. Correct, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, actually, so, no, sorry. Uh, burst, burst doesn't, uh, burst is a weird one. Burst starts at the corner of a square or of four squares uh usually a burst action has uh a range so you choose a location away from you and you pick a corner of a square and it bursts from there which is pretty hard the line i believe is the one that starts from your square or or the one ahead of you at least yeah yeah maybe that's what i'm thinking of i i'm just thinking of the three action heal but that's not not relevant to this conversation tell me about this blood curdling (laughs) screech uh so it has uh the auditory emotion fear and mental traits uh so these are all important because it has to be heard to have an effect hence the auditory trait although that is technically separate from what uh sometimes they they're uh, that's combined with a sonic trait um but uh not really not really the case here i don't think but um but yeah it has to be heard in order in order for it to have an effect it has the emotion trait um which uh, in turn always has the mental trait, which it has here as well. Um, so you basically have to be able to be afraid of this blood curly screech. You have to have some emotion, what have you. And um, Okay. So like if yeah. you were an automaton or undead, you may be immune to things with the emotional trait. Exactly, yeah. Like mindless undead would not be affected by this. That being said, there yeah. are much fewer mindless undead in this version of the game than I think in previous editions. Um, a lot of them are reasonably more thinking. It's pretty cool. Yeah. As somebody who's so, fought and killed a lot of them, uh, yes, there are very, very few mindless undead. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what this does. The owl bear unleashes a loud screech that terrifies its prey. Each creature within that 80-foot emanation must attempt a DC 20 will save. 
regardless of the result, uh, the creature is temporarily immune for one minute. So, fool me once. Critical success, unaffected. You've stood your ground. Success, even if you succeed, you're still shaking a little bit. And that's what I love about this system. You're frightened one. Frightened is really important. It is a status penalty to nearly everything on your character sheet. All of your DCs yeah. and your your attacks and your AC and yeah, uh, it's it's brutal. Um, if you fail, you're frightened two, uh, so you're getting a minus two to everything. Uh, and in case it hasn't been covered, and it's something we're going to say over and over and over, every plus or minus one in this game really matters. It's really big. oh god. Uh, as as, as much break. as there's a huge range of numbers, like my AC is thirty, the difference between critting and not critting or hitting and not hitting is always going to be one so giving a <laughs> plus one or a minus yeah. one or a plus one yeah. or a minus two like you're still adding five percent for each plus one yeah um that math doesn't change yeah your character's ac of 30 is not uh, overpowering it is a necessity <laughs> yeah it gets the things you're fighting <laughs> yeah i mean uh, mind you i have the highest ac in the party by yeah. kind of a long shot but that's also mm. i've designed my character to be a wall versus uh you know <laughs> yeah. a, a tank yeah <laughs> uh critical failure is uh frightened three which is no fun of course given that conversation and uh you are also fleeing for one round which means you have to spend all of your actions getting away from the source uh so and that's remember you have three actions that's all that's at least 75 feet of movement on average <laughs> of just going yeah. the other way that's not a as a thing. player <laughs> i would rather be frightened than fleeing fleeing sucks in the game it takes all the fun out of playing yep you flee for one round and then you have to make your way back the next round <laughs> it's brutal unless you're a caster who has, has some decent range you're, you're screwed uh for a couple of rounds at least yeah it really it really does take you out of the game for two rounds whereas at least frightened you, you've only got a status penalty and you can still keep keep you know keep on keeping on but yeah. fleeing you are fucked for two whole rounds like that is a yeah. really brutal critical fail mm-hmm. So at this point, we've covered we've we've mostly covered what the five E uh, uh, stat block can do, other than the grab part. Uh, and now we've covered this blood curly creatures. What I really wish was in the five E stat block, given that they do specify that in the lore itself. Uh, yeah. And then well, we have another single action called gnaw, as in uh, oh. G N A W gnaw. Um, and uh, so basically, How else would if you the spell creature. Gnaw? Uh, I don't know. I, I've said I've said nah before, <laughs> and it confused people. It confused people, so I, oh. I feel like I had to say. Yeah, I said. Yeah, don't you remember? It was on. Okay. It was on something tied. I said gnawing something. It was like a gnawing. I forget the words, but everyone was very confused about what the hell I just said. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> um. Anyway, the uh, there's a requirement for this one. It needs to have grabbed a creature within its talons. So now we're we're throwing back already. Uh. And the effect is that the owlbear attempts to disembowel the creature with a beak strike. So even without this, we were already right that you want to do this. But now you have an added bonus because if that strike hits, the creature now has to attempt a will save of DC 22. Or if it's critical success, it's fine. Uh, If it's a success, it's sickened one. Uh, If it's a failure, it's sickened one and slowed one as long as it remains sickened. Uh, And there is no critical failure effect on this one. Okay, that, that's not <laughs> terrible. Um, well, I mean, sickened. What? So what? What kind of save is that? 
Um, will save because you're like will save you're basically trying to not panic by the right. fact that you're about to be disemboweled um right. keep, keep your bowels inside yeah <laughs> the second condition uh adds a penalty to all your checks and dcs uh it's not as bad as frightened but it's not great the only way to get rid of it is to spend an action retching to try and redo uh, the dc so you can attempt that and fail over and over and over james is very familiar with failing that over and over <laughs> every one of my characters has had this happen to them for multiple rounds every single I th- one to the point where including you said, my I'm support gonna, casters you're just going to take the penalty and finish the combat first i think every time <laughs> yeah yeah there well i mean there there were a couple of times where i made it through but that, that, that that's all gilda stuff like there's some unreleased yeah. arfer stuff where I couldn't make this second session, so I just that's just what Arthur spent the game doing. <laughs> yeah, it was unrecorded. He just he just spent the the, the rest of the game in the corner, uh, dry heaving and casting heal yeah. spells when he could. <laughs> oh, it was good. The other important thing, though, about second is that you cannot willingly ingest anything, so you cannot drink a potion or an elixir or take a mutagen if you can't. Uh, so if that's what you are relying on that moment, you're, you're in trouble and slowed one is not fun. Uh, at least not right away. Uh, so if you fail and yeah. your second one, and then you're slowed one, that means on your next turn, uh, you reduce the amount of actions you get by the amount of slowed you are. So your next turn, you only get two actions, which is could really suck. If you're trying to like break that grab and try to do an escape check. And then get something else yeah. done. You're, you're really limited, and, and you might you're probably staying in the danger zone because you're you're second and slowed. Yeah. So one one of the things I think is very important about slowed is about the distribution of the action economy, because as mm-hmm. far as I know, your three actions are distributed at the top of the round, not on your turn. Your reaction is distributed on your turn. So mm-hmm. at the top of the round, when the first initiative order starts, you only get two actions, and if you lose that slowed before your turn you still only have two actions until the end of the round. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know if there's an effect that would remove slow before your turn. I'd be curious to know if there really was. Um, haste. Haste would do it. Okay, that's interesting. That is, that, that's also something worth double-checking. That's a really good point. Yeah, because a stunned will override flow, uh, slowed, yeah. uh, but, but haste counteracts it uh, because that yeah. gives you the, what's called the quickened condition. Um, that's really neat. That's really cool. I did not think of that. Good to know. Uh, let me just try and game the system now that I'm the PC go. and not the, not the GM. <laughs> I'm going to go look up how many creatures I have ahead of me that can slow. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so that can be that can be rough rough and tumble right there. Our original action economy idea already added effect on it. That's going to be really, really, really fun yeah. today. Um, Talon, grab, gnaw. Like just yeah. just a righteous three round, especially considering with that third, you know, you still have your map minus, you know, your your map one or your map two. We're mm-hmm. still unsure on that, but like there's also a DC, and then there's conditions on top of that. So it's it's pretty hard to get down that track when it's your third action. But it, yeah. if you do get down that track, you are punished for it in a way that is yeah. only happening in two e. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Oh man, um, and then we have we have one final one final thing, and uh, it's what I was saying earlier about the creature oh, speed. Because that's not enough. Old... No, no, it's not enough. <laughs> okay, no, it's never enough. 
we have what's called Screeching Advance. Uh, also auditory emotion of fear and mental effects. The Owlbear makes a blood-curling screech, which we've already covered, and strides yeah. twice. So this costs you two actions for the uh, the effects of three. So we can stride up to two times and do its blood-curling screech. All creatures within the 80-foot of the Owlbear at any point during the movement are subject to the effects. Uh, so it can choose when that blood-curling screech goes off in that movement. So if, if it knows you're not quite far enough you know, within the radius, and it's going to make it halfway first, and then it screeches and keeps coming at you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty bad combo. So, um, Amazing. That's such a vicious two-action to stride twice and then just let off this, this, this mm-hmm. blood-curling screech that we've already covered that's 80 feet, and then the DC 20 will save. That's... That's fucking, that's, that's gotta be it, right? Like that's already so much better than the 5e stat block. It's, there's, you get so much going on there. It's a lot to track in a way, but it all, once you read through it and you understand some of the nested rules, you can see how easy it is to connect them all together. And you can just plan your strategy before the combat begins without, without a whole lot of effort. Um, and the more you read these stat blocks, that's the, oh, I'm so excited to have switched to Pathfinder Second Edition, because the more you read these stat blocks, the more you can quickly reinterpret a new one that you haven't read yet. And as we go on, I hope that we help people listening and watching do the same. And I hope that we get a little bonus of that too. And, and you, James, I know you haven't run or looked at too many of these compared to me, right? So this, this ideally will, will prep you more for, for running these games in this system. It's, it's really cool. Um, there is a there is a consistency and a flow that you can expect from some of these stat blocks, but somehow they aren't boring. Yeah. So of- these these stat blocks have always been kind of intimidating to me because they are a lot. They look like a lot and they read a, like a lot. And um, I, I think it's just a matter of formatting. For whatever reason, Paizo hasn't, in my opinion, figured out a way to format them cleanly. But yeah. Archives of Nethys and Foundry VTT, uh, two sources that we can't shout out enough, make it flow in a way that it cannot possibly flow on a page they really do deserve to be digital um i would love to see paizo come up with like a paid monthly app like you know i'll give paizo five bucks a month to a to an ipad or like web version like like Mm -hmm. a D &D beyond version or 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 whatever um i know they'll never ask for that because of archives (laughs) of nethys but yeah uh, the, the connections, the the internal linking, it really, really helps when looking at these. Like just looking at them on the in on the page in the book is fine because that that's how I prefer to learn. But mm-hmm. I can't actually learn it until I start digging in on AOM. Right. The the actual tooltips because it's a newer feature on Archives of Nethys, and like the tooltips that float and the way the fact that they've gone through everything to link them all is unreal, mm-hmm. and it makes. It's so much faster and so much easier because of those nested rules. And you're right. It deserves to be digital in a way because the, the reason the formatting is hard on Paizo's end is because they have to put it in a book. They have to worry about page count and print time and the money yeah. that is involved in that. Uh, there's a reason things are formatted in those ways. It's to save page space, uh, which makes it harder to navigate when it's in a book. Um, so I yeah. think they do a, and they so do a pretty damn stuff, good ref- job considering stuff. Yeah. But like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, rules, well, you're back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, pages and page and page, page, right? They can't. Yeah. Re- they, they basically have to avoid repeating themselves too much. Um, yeah. I mean, too much room. They, they do do a good job, but 
I'm not going to lie to you. The 2E stat blocks and the 2E character sheets are the ugliest I've ever seen in out of any game. I will not use the Paizo branded 2E uh, character sheet because I think it's just I, absolute trash. Like it's, it's I don't such even know rubbish. If I don't remember the last time I looked at it because Foundry is the best. It's, yeah, Foundry's great. So I, I, I also Again, have another digital. one. Again, um, digital. It's got tabs, yeah. right? That's yeah. the, that's, you can't do that on a piece of paper. You can't do it. No. You know, there, there's, like, there is a physical one that's good, but it is, it is done in the one E style because I think the one E character sheets are probably some of the best I've ever seen, yeah. uh, as opposed to the variant five E ones, uh, which I'll try and remember to link. Um, you can get them on, on DMs guild. I, I don't remember who, um, who I bought them from, but they're shout out to those variant five E character sheets. Cause they are fucking choice. Oh, I remember them. The, I remember them. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try and find the variant two E mm-hmm. sheet that I have as well. Um, cool. But yeah, it, it, you're, you're right. It, it is because it's so self-referential and, and everything needs to connect to something else. And it's just impossible to do that analog. Yeah. Uh, that being said, you said you would you would give Paizo five bucks a month. Um, you can easily donate to Archives and Ethics. They are an official partner oh, of Paizo. Yeah. yeah. But anyone anyone who yeah. uses them uh, thinks they're very valuable. And same with Foundry. You can support them on Patreon. Um, they're extremely good tools, especially for the system. And they absolutely deserve a little bit of cash if you can afford it. Because uh, yeah, I do. Just I do twenty bucks a year to archives and Ethis. I know it's not Beautiful. enough, but it's it's what okay. I can afford currently. And yeah. eventually, as a show, uh, as a network going forward, we're we're um, going to we'll talk about supporting the archives. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, back to the owl bear. <laughs> there ain't much more. The staff block's amazing. Uh, there's a little bit uh, of more info here, and uh, that there is a variant owl bear um, that uh, doesn't really listen to staff block. Uh, a staff block for it but uh, basically um the snowy owl bears are considered uh, to trade their terrifying screech for amazing stealth and have learned uh, the ability to erupt from the snow to take prey by surprise uh which i wish we had a little oh. action for that was built out which would be really fun um although incredibly rare apparently some owl bears will also retain a limited form of flight allowing them to glide almost 20 feet for every foot of height descended terrifyingly these gliding owl bears are entirely silent during the descent of their on their prey <laughs> yep yes they so are. Uh, it makes me want to fight the snowy owl bear and then we kind of we actually do kind of get a stat block for this not with the flight part or the jumping in the snow part but there is a stat block on archives of death is called the iriseni owl bear comes from Irisin, which is a uh, northern nation in on Galarian. It's just like known for the fact that it's really harsh land and the snow and ice never melt. Uh, and it's really uh, brutal. It's territory. also known that their monarch is a witch, uh, yep. Baba Yaga specifically. <laughs> Baba Yaga. <laughs> <Yeah>. Queen Anastasia. <laughs> the uh the weird thing about this stuff, I was very confused about it when I was looking at it first, uh, because it's literally just the same but level five instead of level four um okay. and i thought that's strange that's just an elite template it literally double checked stats it's an elite template uh so we said we were talking about this uh uh down the line here so here it is like in elite and weak templates basically you can apply them to any creature to lower or raise their their level by one um and you're basically just adding based on the current level you're adding hp to a by a flat amount and uh you know, uh, basically stats by a flat amount, skills by a, uh, by a flat amount. And it's somewhere in the range of like a plus two or something like that to most things. And uh, it's 
you know, it's pretty straightforward. It's like a really useful tool. But this creature literally was just that, and I was confused by it. I was like, why is it got a whole separate stat block? But the only thing it really says is that they're, you know, it's like a symbol of of Irisin, this like particular um, uh, owl bear. And um, so I double checked the source because uh, it comes from the Lost Omens travel guide, and it turns out. In the travel guide, it literally just, it doesn't even give a stat block. Because I was thinking, that's a waste of space to just reprint something with a couple extra, you know, with the elite template on it. But they didn't. It just says, use the owlbear with the elite template. Uh, oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> so Archives and just went out of their way to, like, put it on there. The thing, though, is that there's one additional detail. And this is, this is I'm so glad I looked it up. Is that it says, use the elite template, but also give it cold resistance five. Except oh, Archives cool. and Nevis didn't do it. So that's why I was really confused. They mi- they missed the cold resistance five, and I've reported it. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, hey guys, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> you're missing something, right?" Because otherwise, it literally is just an elite template owlbear. Like, this doesn't make any sense. So, <laughs> so the okay. whole purpose of giving it its own entry, they missed. God love them. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully they get that on there as well as giving it that uh, that that fucking glide mechanic because oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, it would essentially just be Featherfall, right? Something like it, but yeah, but it's a, no a glide is is definitely a mechanic in the game where you, you have to like you have to keep moving in a particular direction, and I'm sure you can turn a little bit, but you're you're locked into the motion, right? The forward moving motion to a degree, otherwise you're just going to drop straight down. So. Uh, right you have you have to map your way around that depending on the size of your map and stuff you're doing so it can be that can take a little bit of prep for sure yeah so i'm quickly looking it up and there are a bunch of different glides um Mm -hmm. like like racial specific glide like there's an aruxi glide a leshy glide a gripply glide Um, one for the strix as well i don't see one for the strix but it uh, oh you have to you have to feed your way into it for sure at least but oh okay yeah well, as a uh, as a there, pc there, i guess there's a glider form for the eidolon for the summoner mm, yeah um, yeah so there there are mechanics that they could steal from yeah hey, i love the idea of taking uh, prey by surprise by bursting out of the snow I, I like to imagine it's either they get like a bonus to their stealth when in snowy terrain which is an obvious thing that happens quite a bit in the creature staff box to get a little bonus space in terrain um uh we actually covered it in the with the shambler and uh, and then also maybe maybe it's like you know it, if it burrows in the snow the snow is like in dis- you can't really discern that it's been burrowed into it would be a really unique way of doing it you know um, oh, okay. like like some like elemental creatures that can burrow into the ground when they or into like a rock wall when they do so they leave no evidence behind so i think that would be a neat thing where you know for a fact that this, this thing is going to effectively surprise attack you um uh catch you uh catch you flat-footed right away or something like that i think that would be neat that would Give be it, fucking you could basically, terrifying just so long as it's the in the snow yeah explodes out of it <laughs> I, I think i know how you, you could do that so long as it's managed to burrow in the snow uh you can give it the surprise attacker ability which means anything mm. that hasn't gone before you when this when the combat starts because we have no surprise rounds right uh anything that hasn't gone um yet is flat-footed to your your next attack and that would be the easiest way to do it yeah, uh, just go look at the old rogue. And, yeah, it'll work. Um, but yeah, that's the old owlbear. That's think? it. That's the, the that's it for owlbear. <laughs> I I I love it. Um, other than the art, which again, I'm not 100 percent sure if I like the two e. This is the two e here. I'm not 100 percent sure I like this more than I like the the five mm. e art. The five e arts 
Like it's it's this sketch style. It's kind of classic. I don't love the five E art as is, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I like the Paizo representation better. And I think that's mm-hmm. just probably me. I do really like the five E art style, and I'm not in love with the Paizo art style just yet. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, there is a, a reasonable amount of variance in the in the Paizo art style that I have found. Uh, it's definitely not a consistent yes. thing. I mean, five E wasn't always consistent either, right? But um, but yeah, there's uh, there's some variance there, and I think some of the creatures look amazing, but some of them definitely, eh, they're okay. Yeah, uh, Trevor Zabalith earlier on in the the series, um, mm. way better in 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 two uh, E oh, than than in five E. Really, really cool. Yeah, so much more alien looking, you know. <laughs> yeah, you have one final thing to add. Uh, during this, I did manage to skim, pay attention, and skim through uh, a rule uh, for grab, and the multiple oh, okay. penalty. Uh, it does not suffer from the multiple attack penalty, <laughs> much to the chagrin of the PCs, because it, grab is a creature ability. Grapple is a PC ability. Okay. Grapple has the attack um, trait. Grab does not. Not a fan, but I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Again, with the separation of the PC mechanics right. and the creature mechanics, they've That's kept great. it pretty clear and wide. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I guess if that's it, uh, thank you so, so much, Freeman, for not only essentially putting this together and running the show, um, but, you know, here's here's to you, good buddy, for a uh, hundred fucking episodes. That's <laughs> that is batshit insane. Cheers, and man. With nearly no more. break. <laughs> With nearly yeah. no break at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and thank you, listeners, yep. and uh, hopefully we, we, we get a hundred more and we do Probably not this giant size of a 200, but something special for 203, three and a half years when we get there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we hope you all decide to follow us on our journey through second edition. That's This is a very important change for us, um, not only because we, we like the system more, uh, but we like the company that produces the system more. And, and we think, we truly believe it's it's... Um, a more well-rounded game. I don't want to say better game because, uh, you know, not everything for all people, but um, as far as we're concerned, it's it's a more well-rounded game. And I think it's probably an easier game to learn than you might think. Mm-hmm. And as always, if you subscribe to the Patreon at the proper tier, we'll cover whatever system you want. So if you want to hear us angrily rant about another 5e creature, if that's if that's worth something to you, get on there because we'll do it. <laughs> we We will do it. <laughs> We yep, might even invite Patreon. Gabe back <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> just for that one. <laughs> yeah. And that Patreon uh, also allows you direct access to us as well as our Discord. But that, that you know, for, for $5 a month, not only do you get a handwritten thank you letter and a theme button and, and probably some stickers and some other goodies, uh, and for $10 a month is, is that tier Freeman's talking about where you can say, suggest a creature. You also get a discount code for our merch store. But you also get a special access to our, uh, a place in our Discord called the Patreon Lounge, where we are available as long as we're awake to answer any questions you have. We're, we love talking about this stuff, be it 5e, be it 2e, um, be it Traveler, Delta Green, wh- whatever floats your boat. We, we want you in the Discord, and we want to hear about it. And you can, you can get there by just going to unchartednorth.com backslash Discord. That'll just prompt you a, a direct link. Uh, if you want to see some of our cool merch, including a hat, not exactly like this, but very similar to our critty encounter this chapeau the 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 dad cap you can find that all at unchartednorth.com backslash shop 
If you want to find some of the images, if you're an audio listener, you can find that on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Twitter and uh, Twitter and Facebook is at, at EncounterPod. Instagram is at Encounter.Pod. If you want to see the show notes that we used to put these together, probably not this episode, but every other episode, you can find those all at EncounterThis.ca. That will just directly shuffle you to the uh, Encounter This page of the Uncharted North website. If you have the ability and the opportunity to rate and review on your platform of choice, be it YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever it is, it really does help new people find us. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit the bell to be notified when new episodes come out. Hit the subscribe button if you really dig it. Um, but mostly just you know throw a thumbs up if, if, if you thought anything we covered was interested. That all really helps, uh, as far as I can tell, with the YouTube metrics. I'm still very new at YouTube. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for being with us through 100 episodes. It's still, it's still fucking wild to me that people want to listen to us clowns talk about <laughs> dumb shit, like stuff that we're literally making up or that somebody else made up. But from our, the bottom like, of our hearts, we do really appreciate it. I feel like it's become a little less wild because going through these, these uh, episodes with, with guests and stuff, uh it's it's so you i felt it i felt how different it was to host one of these little segments with someone else and it's it's actually a little bit strange and uh i was we were kind of going for the illusion that um that uh, we did them all back to back i screwed that up by cutting my hair and shimming my beard uh but uh uh, it doesn't change the fact that uh uh what we finished all the the guest ones and then james and i did these together and i was like immediately it felt like we're i was it was back to 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 the home turf you know as like this it doesn't surprise me maybe because we have some flow i mean all the guests were fun they were great they held different types of energy and lots to add Um, it was so much fun um and i can't wait to have any and all of them back at some point uh especially since we're doing video and whatnot but the, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and just and a I, reminder: all the links to all their it. shows will be in the description. And a <laughs> yes, big thank yeah. you to Trevor and Gabe and Scott and Duncan and Cam all for being here and helping us out with this. We, yeah. it, it wouldn't be this giant size extravaganza without them wanting to participate in a way that was probably unfair of us to ask them. But they showed up. They were, and they, they were, were all excited. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll try our best to have some of them on in the future. And I'd love to do more guests, you know, creature designers. Maybe, uh, you know, if if this show gets big enough, I'd love to have Bullman on here, like uh, like Jason Bullman mm-hmm. from Paizo, um, you know, Sabine Phoenix, one of the old Five uh, E reps. Like they would be mm-hmm. great to have on the show just to talk about creature design or, uh, you know, what what whatever they're into right now. Like the mm-hmm. the fact that we've already we've now done and experimented with guests really opens up doors and avenues and you know maybe a new patreon tier down the road yeah who knows <laughs> yeah that would be truly amazing uh but i guess uh i guess that's it i guess that's the extravaganza let the fanfare roll everyone uh pop your christmas crackers uh stop <laughs> your fire your fireworks uh i don't recommend throwing glitter because that that you never get rid of it when you do so don't do that (laughs) (laughs) that's a nightmare uh and i guess we'll we'll see you in two weeks yep with our first ever two-week exclusive episode and it is also going to probably be a giant-sized one that might be a little bit of a spoiler Um, but it (laughs) it will be a good opportunity for me to come out of my shell 
Oh, okay. There's gotta be there's gotta be a segue in there somewhere. Start looking up <laughs> shells on Aeon, everyone. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh thank you again so much, creatures, for for everything for joining us for this. And uh we'll we'll be back very shortly. It will not take us this long to get to our next one. So thanks again. <laughs> Cheers, friends. Until next time, creatures. Thanks, as always, for listening to Encounter This.